Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio on Halloween week, and we have 13 scary topics for you to discuss tonight, and uh, I'm not kidding, 13 topics, we've never had that many topics to discuss on one show before, so hopefully this show will be less than 7 hours, that's all I can hope for, and uh, a lot of these topics are indeed scary and unpleasant, in fact when I posted the initial list of topics for tonight's show, the first comment we got on our forum was, wow, what a depressing show. <laughs> so, the problem is, I cannot control what happens in the world of poker 
and gambling and Las Vegas and everything else we talk about on the show, sometimes it's a depressing week and there's little good to report. And this is one of those weeks. Now, I will tell you that the topics we're going to discuss tonight are very interesting. They're just not good. They're not good news. So, before we begin, before we get down to the 13 topics, I want to announce a few things. First of all, tonight we are going to have, I think, a new co-host. As you know, this is the Druffin Friends show, meaning that we have a revolving door of co-hosts, and sometimes no one walks through that door. Sometimes I have to do it myself. Tonight, China Maniac is unavailable. He's our usual uh, guest co-host. But uh, tonight we have Lon Cigar, who's actually a very nice guy. I've met him in person a few times, and uh, he's donated things to this show. He has been very good to this site and even the previous site I was involved with. And we've talked about doing a show together before. It just hasn't happened. So tonight, I believe it's going to happen. I'm going to try to put him on in a second, and uh, he will be the co-host tonight. Eric Ryland also offered to be a third co-host, but I'm not sure if he was serious. But if Eric Ryland wants, he can be a third co-host as well. When this show first began in early 2012, we actually had three hosts. Me, Brandon Drexel Gerson, and Vowles. And uh, the other two are no longer with the show. Welcome to come back any time, but they're no longer with us now. And so that's why we have the revolving door of hosts. But uh, I'll be happy to have three hosts tonight. It's fine, especially with all there is to talk about. It will give me a little bit of a break when other people put in their two cents. So here is the usual stuff I'm going to go through that I always have to do every week because this is a live show. And there's always new listeners here. And even people who listen in the archives, they think it's important to hear this stuff, even though some of it is related to the live show. We have a free roll. $73 free roll. Or, I'm sorry. Not, uh, not 73 What am I saying? At the last minute, we got another $50 donated by C-Money. So the new free roll prize pool is 123 It's a very large free roll. Usually we're around 50 but the last several weeks we've been closer to 100 sometimes above 100 one week above 200 And this takes place in the No Fraud Online Poker Room. You can click near the top of the screen. It'll say No Fraud Online Poker. You need to sign up for a separate account there from the forum. But it's totally free. You have a free account there. You don't even need play chips to enter the tournament. Someone PM'd me last week, I need chips to play the tournament. No, you don't. Just register for it. You're there. Only thing you need is an account and to be there on time by 740 Pacific. That's it. Now, this week, we're not having a No Limit Hold'em tournament. This week, we're mixing it up a bit. It's going to be Pot Limit Omaha, PLO. So if you don't know PLO very well, you're welcome to take a shot. Not like you're risking anything. But uh, that is the tournament this week, PLO, 7.40 p.m., which is uh, 27 minutes from now on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. I'm going to have to make up the new prize pool on the fly because the one I posted is no longer correct since we have 50 additional dollars for the prize pool. The new payouts will be first place, $50, second place, $30, Third place, $20. Fourth place, $10. Fifth place, $8. Sixth place, $5. So that's $123. 50, 30, 20, 10, 8, and 5. So we're playing, we're paying six places here, which means you have a good chance at cashing 
because there's not that many people entering. It's not like you got to get top six out of a thousand. It's going to be top six out of less than a hundred. So definitely go play tonight if you want to win some free money. PLO starting at seven forty. Want to thank the following four people for donating. We have Pooh donating fifty dollars, C Money donating fifty dollars, Limp Donk Bingo donating eight, and Richard Brody's Comb Over donating fifteen. And by the way, I want to throw in that C-Money is promising to donate another 50, which we will use next week, if TMMLK speaks for more than 10 minutes on the air tonight. So not only do we have to go through 13 topics, but if we want to have another 50 from C-Money next week, then uh, I have to give TMMLK 10 minutes of airtime, which I will do if he wants to call in. He will have to wait his turn. He can't just interrupt the show. But I will give him his 10 minutes to make C-Money happy since he's done so much for this show and for the site. You know, he posts these sports picks that win all the time. I mean, this guy's great. Uh, he's donated more money to this free roll than anybody. But I appreciate all the people who've donated. And all the donors together have made Poker Fraud Alert the poker radio show that has given away the most money in the world of any poker podcast or poker radio show in its free rolls. You won't find any other show anywhere in the world related to poker that has given away this type of money in its poker free rolls. It just has not happened. And this is all thanks to our users, C-Money and many others. So, thank you to all of you. And I'm very happy to see it. So, 7.40, don't be late or you will miss out on the free roll. If you want to qualify for the free money, you need to either have a registered account on this form by January 1st, 2013, or... You have to email me, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com. Tell me how long you've been here, how long you have been uh, listening or lurking on the forum. Tell me your favorite anecdotes from either the forum or the radio show, things that you have enjoyed, things that you may not have enjoyed, and just uh, convince me you've been around and haven't just been uh, showing up tonight to get the free money. That's what I don't want to see. But you have to do it before the free roll starts. And if I know you in person, you don't have to do that. So if you're someone I, I, I know, if I've met you in person, I remember you, whatever, then you don't have to do that. But everybody else you have to. And that's just to protect the people on the site from uh, having the free roll money stolen by free roll leeches. And they are out there. Russians who are looking to steal our free roll money. So let me see if we can get our co-host on here, Lon Cigar. Now, whenever we have a new co-host, we have to hold our breath that their setup works, that their microphone works, because this show does not test that beforehand. We just we just don't. Hey, Todd, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. So far. Okay. So far, so good. Okay. All right, so uh, this is Lon Cigar. Hello, and welcome to the show. How are you, buddy? Um, I'm good, and this is going to be our, uh, our co-host for tonight. And uh, I want to make one more announcement here. And I, I'm not even ready for that. I'm, I'm ready for nothing tonight, it seems. All right, here, here's the announcement. Didn't even have the right volume on that music. We have $50 more that is getting donated. This is from yeah. our co-host, Lawn Cigar. Thank you very much. No problem. So he, he Skyped that to me as I was looking to connect him. So that makes our prize pool... Much larger. Now our prize pool is an unbelievable 
One million dollars. No, I, I actually shouldn't play that, or someone's going to hold me to it and sue me. But no, it's it's really a uh, hundred seventy-three dollars, which is great. Uh, so thank you, to Long Cigar, for the additional fifty. So that, now I have to recalculate in my head really quickly what uh, the payouts are going to be. The payouts will be now. Uh, you know what? I'll throw half of that on first. So it'll be first seventy-five. Second will be forty. Third will be. Well, this is getting hard. Uh, third, third will be thirty. So seventy-five, forty, and thirty. What the hell does that make? Uh, uh, One forty-five. Then we have twenty-eight left. Is that right? Yeah, I guess it is. Seven, right. Yep, it is. It, so seventy-five, forty, and thirty. And um, fourth will be ten. Uh, now we'll make fourth fifteen. And then eight and five. That's how we'll do it. All right. So seventy-five for first, forty for second, third, thirty for third, fifteen for fourth, eight for fifth, and five for sixth. Sounds good. Yep. So that's our prize pool for this week. One hundred seventy-three dollars is what we're giving away. Thanks to again Richard Brody's Comover, Limp Donk Bingo, Pooh, Sea Money, and Lawn Cigar, who've just donated so much here this week. Okay, so here is going to be the agenda. Thirteen topics, would you believe? Thirteen topics. Of course, if you want to interact with me before I give this agenda, uh, you can do so in a few ways. You can go into the chat room, which is on the top of the screen. Uh, You have to have an account on the forum to chat with me. I will not be reading every little thing in the chat room, because I'm trying to do a show here. But I'll try to catch as much as I can, especially since since I have... uh, a co-host tonight, and I'm sorry for the distraction here. I'll uh, I'll assist you, Druff, by reading the chat. They say the uh, the prize pool is wrong, so maybe we can figure it out before it's <laughs> when it's over. I mean, we're going to end up doing this whole show just updating the prize pool. It's going to kill the people in the archives. <laughs> they're they're just going to be going. When's this going to finish? Come on, just get on with the topics. Okay, so uh, apparently Eric Ryland has added twenty dollars more. <laughs> he said he's about to beat Vegas Jim for the Poker Fraud Alert Heads Up Championship. And uh, he's adding 20, thanks to that, to the prize pools. And now we're up to 193. And to make it simpler, I'll just add uh, 10 more to first and second. So it'll be 85 for first now and 50 for second. So there you go. Thank you, Ryland. 193 is our prize pool. Unbelievable. We had 23 starting the day. <laughs> and it just kept just kept growing. Okay, so I'm, I'm closing it now. Even if someone shows up to donate $1,000, I'm not taking it. So... Uh, if you want to contact me either the chat room or call one of our two phone numbers. Main phone number is 775-FRAUD55, 775-372-8355. Make sure to show your caller ID by dialing star 82 beforehand. Otherwise, you will not get through. Or you can call our Mount Charleston line. We do have a second phone line that is forwarding to wherever I am, whatever secret location I choose to be. And that is an old rotary telephone that sits on top of Mount Charleston, which is a, a mountain that hangs over Las Vegas. You can drive there in about 45 minutes. I, I recommend going there at least once if you visit Vegas. It's very interesting and very different from Vegas. We have our phone sitting on top of Mount Charleston, our old rotary phone, 702-430-1808. That is a real number. 702-430-1808 is our Mount Charleston line. You can call that as well if you don't want to call our main number. But both need a caller ID to come through, or your call will not get through. 
That's how our system works. Here's the 13 topics tonight. Chris Moneymaker and fellow pro Jason Young, of course Chris Moneymaker being the main event champion of 2003, the guy who is most responsible for the poker boom that we had experienced in the 2000s. You know all the poker players you know everywhere? It's probably because of Chris Moneymaker that most are playing. The fact that most of you are listening to this show, the fact that I even have an interest in doing this show because there's enough people to listen, is thanks to Chris Moneymaker winning the World Series in 2003. But he and fellow... (coughs) Sorry about that. (coughs) He and fellow pro Jason Young are sparring over a $20,000 sports betting debt. So we will talk about that, and I will give you my take as to which of the two is right. I think one is definitely much more right than the other in this little uh, issue the two of them have, which has been resolved, but I don't even like the resolution. I'll tell you all about that. Uh, Lock Poker. Big story about Lock Poker. I didn't even know which of these two to do first, because these are both big stories. Lock Poker is leaving the Revolution Network. They are starting their own network with new software. Can you believe this? Lock poker after they decimated the merge network. They laid waste at the merge network, and they're like, "Okay, thank you very much. We've screwed you guys up big time. Now we're moving on to Revolution. In fact, we're going to buy the Cake Network and rename it Revolution." Then it came out they didn't really completely buy Cake. They they just kind of bought them, and then they it turned out they didn't buy them. That was never totally made clear. But now they're leaving, and not only are they leaving to start their own network. But now there's a very bitter fight between Locke and Revolution. Very bitter and very public. This all happened today. A lot has happened over the last two days, which made me happy that this show is going today rather than Sunday or Monday, because we would have missed these things. This stuff all broke today. Very interesting stuff, and I'm going to talk about that and break down what's going on. The Merge Network, you know, Lock Poker's former network. I, I've been pretty much uh, positive on the Merge Network. I've definitely criticized them at times for mistakes they've made. But overall, I wasn't anti-Merge. I played there a lot myself. Uh, I don't play there anymore, but I used to. Um, I didn't really have anything against the Merge Network. But Merge has just done something very bad. Merge has stolen money. And when I say stolen, they really have outright stolen money from regular grinders on the site via an abrupt retroactive change to their VIP program. So I will tell you what happened there, and I will give you my take as to why I believe that is equivalent to outright stealing. And, uh, you know, of course, when I say I, Lon Cigar, he's, uh I'd like to hear his opinion on these topics, too, when we get to each of them. So uh, um, yeah, it'll, sure. it'll be our opinion, not just me. Uh, poker host. Also on the Merge Network. Another depressing topic. Another scary topic for Halloween. Poker Host is banning people. Not for cheating. Not for multi-accounting. Not for underage gambling. But for the terrible crime of... Winning! Yep! The day has finally come where you're not allowed to win in online poker. 
You may think this is a joke. You may think I'm exaggerating, or or that I'm I'm teasing some topic that's going to be different than it really you know appears at the beginning of the show. No, they are really banning people for winning on their site. Exactly as it sounds. No catch. No joke. That is what is happening. I'll talk about that. Jennifer Harmon and Marco Traniello, I think that's how you pronounce his last name, they have been married for some years now, and they're both pretty well known. Jennifer much more than Marco. She's more, he's more known as being Jennifer's husband. But uh, they were featured on the, that uh, short-lived show that Jennifer did called Sin City Rules, that fail show that was on uh, TLC. They were featured. They got You got to see them at home with their family, and they looked so happy. Well, it turned out that wasn't true. They've divorced. Or if they haven't officially divorced, they're separated and about to get divorced. But they're, they're no longer together. But it goes even further. Marco has already rebounded and is taking pictures with his new girlfriend. And we'll talk about that. WSOP.com, as you guys know, has been up for a little while now for a real money play in the state of Nevada. They are Ultimate Poker's only competition. If you go to the state of Nevada or if you live there, you can play on either of those two sites if you want to play legal online poker. You have to be physically in Nevada. But if you are, you can play legal online poker on one of those two sites, WSOP.com, which is the World Series of Poker's official site owned by Caesars Entertainment, or Ultimate Poker, which was the first one to market back in uh, April. Well, when WSOP.com came out, or when they made their real money available, I figured that Ultimate Poker was going to get crushed, because Ultimate Poker did not have the best reputation. People hated the software, people were unhappy about a lot of other things there. It just hadn't been a smooth six months for Ultimate Poker. But apparently, WSOP.com has not been able to overtake them yet. From what I hear, Ultimate Poker is still a little bit more active than WSOP.com, which is not only a bad sign for WSOP.com itself, but also a bad sign for the future of online poker in Nevada. So I'll talk about that and give you my opinion on what this means. iOvation, you know that company that is owned by uh, Greg Pearson the company that was likely initially funded by UB cheating money, probably money stolen from you and I, was used to build iOvation. Well, iOvation apparently has awarded itself something. Apparently, uh, iOvation has given themselves the award for the Retail Fraud Prevention Award. They've won that award, and I think the ones awarding that were them. It's kind of like giving yourself a gold star. So I'll tell you a little bit about that. Matt Savage, tournament director extraordinaire, and Daniel Negranu had a fight on Twitter. They had one last month. They had one again just recently. We'll talk about that for a bit. Victor Blom, Isildur 1. Remember him? Remember how he uh, ran up all that money against Tom Dwan and others? Nobody knew who he was, and then he lost it all back. Remember the crazy swings Isildur had? Well, it's happening again. We'll talk about that a bit. I watched the Ultimate Bet documentary called Ultimate Beat, which was produced by Scott Bell, also known as Eleven Grover. 
I am in that documentary, and I got my complimentary copy. I watched it right after radio last week, and I enjoyed it. But I'll give you guys my honest review of Ultimate Beat, and you can decide after listening to my review if it's worth buying Ultimate Beat. And I'll give you one other little tidbit of information that if you've seen it already, there might be more to see in the future. NetTeller's parent company will be processing online gambling payments in New Jersey. You thought NetTeller was out of the U.S. market, didn't you? Well, they still are, technically, but their parent company won't be. Coming very soon, when New Jersey opens their doors to online gambling in just a few weeks. This story, the next one, was brought to my attention by our co-host tonight, Lon Cigar. Can't... Oh, he's getting a call telling him, do not talk about this. (laughs) They're they're, they're telling him, no, shut, shut your mouth, say nothing or you're in trouble. But Cantor Gaming, which uh, Lon Cigar worked for at one point, they are being eyed in a federal money laundering probe. So nothing's been proven against them yet, but they are part of a probe for money laundering. And usually when there's a money laundering probe, there's a reason for it. The government just doesn't just pick that out of the blue to, to suspect money laundering when it's not really happening. Usually it is happening, it's just a matter of proving it. Finally, topic number 13. This is really weird. There is a report that the state of Kansas, not a person in the state of Kansas, but the state of Kansas itself, received a $6 million payment for the building of a $6 million... No, 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 no. For the building... No, the building of nothing. They received a $6 million payment related to AP and UB and the domain that they had a legal claim against... They received that payment from the U.S. government, and they received it from the Full Tilt Remissions Fund? What? That's the report. Not verified yet, but uh, I think there's a good likelihood it's true. And I'll tell you how that might open the door to possibly getting refunds if you had money stuck on AP or UB. Though honestly, if you're one of those people who kept playing there after the scandals... I kind of hope you don't ever get your money. But I'll tell you how it might help you anyway. So those are our 13 topics tonight. We will not quit this show, or at least I won't, until all 13 topics have been covered. Now, if you want to call tonight, please keep in mind that we probably won't have that much time to spend on phone calls, given that there are this many topics. And so some people ask, hey, why don't you just do a six-hour show or a five-hour show, whatever? Like, why, why are you trying to cut the show short? And I'm not trying to cut it short. I'm just afraid it's going to be very long. And what happens is when the show gets too long, I start losing focus. I start My voice starts to hurt. It starts to be difficult physically for me to do the show after a certain amount of time. So I, I don't want to let it go too long and then find out I've only been through, like, half the topics. So that's... That's why I don't want to spend too long on phone calls tonight, but we will take one from TMML Gay if he wants to call in. Uh, I think Seriously Serious uh, may be calling, or someone he knows might be calling. And uh, if anybody else wants to call, you can. Just keep in mind, uh, I'm going to try to keep it fairly short. Phone number is again, 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355, or 702-430-1808, or you can talk to me in the chat room. I will try to read that. Lon Cigar, he may try to read the chat room too, and you know, you're welcome to 
tell me what the chat room says at any time if I miss something and you see something uh, of interest there. Always nice to have a second set of eyes on the chat room. And, you know, I, I try to make this an interactive show. But if you do call and I don't answer, just try back in 15 minutes or so. It might just mean that I can't take the call at the moment because we're in the middle of something. So, let's get going. Free roll starting in six minutes, so get over there if you want to play it. $193 prize pool. So let's get started with Chris Moneymaker. Chris Moneymaker, as most of you know, probably all of you know, is an icon in modern poker. Not because he's the greatest player in the world, because he's not. Not because he's won a whole lot of major tournaments, because he hasn't. But because he won the World Series of Poker main event in 2003 as a result of being a $40 online qualifier, meaning he put $40 into the effort to make the World Series, made it, and then turned that into a $2.5 million win in the World Series of Poker main event. This was huge, because Chris Moneymaker was not a professional poker player. He was a regular guy, just a regular guy from Tennessee. You meet him, you see him, you watch interviews of him, he could not be more of a regular guy. And when people saw, when people around the country saw that this regular guy put $40 online and won the World Series of Poker main event, they wanted to be Chris Moneymaker. And this, along with the fact that poker was being televised with whole cards being shown, where you could see the cards everyone had, making it a lot more interesting to watch, those two things together created a massive poker boom that lasted, I'd say, from... 2003 to uh, around 2008. Then poker started to slow down a little bit, and uh, then it really took a hit in 2011 after the Black Friday bus. But still, most of the modern poker players you see in the game today are here because of Chris Moneymaker. Now, I am not. I was in the game before Chris Moneymaker. But most weren't. And I, th- I think I started out right... Uh... I think probably the year he was playing, I was playing fifty cent dollar limit hold'em at, at the bike, huh. or I mean at, at Commerce. I, I still can't fathom why I even did that. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know how much I basically gave away, but that was just didn't know how to play. Started out playing that with my wife and her, my sister in law, and it, it was they had like ten games of it. Well, it was, you couldn't have lost that much because it was only fifty cent a dollar. Right, right. But I'm just saying, the rate alone, I mean, it was, you know, I think you maybe got a dollar on every pot. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're not going to beat that game for sure, so, yeah. uh, after the rake. So, uh, anyway, Chris Moneymaker, people kind of wondered after he won, what what was his life like? What happened to him? I mean, on the good side, he had that lucrative sponsorship with PokerStars for many years. But on the bad side, he didn't seem to be winning much in poker anymore. You saw him entering a lot of tournaments and not cashing very much at all. Um, of course, he has expenses. Of course, he uh, he upgraded his lifestyle. He ended up getting a divorce, which I'm sure was costly too. I don't know the details on that, but he did get one. So people wondered, you know, how much money does Chris Moneymaker really have? Because 2.5 million sounds like a whole lot, but first he lose a lot of it to taxes. 
And then as years pass by, that can disappear very quickly if you're not careful with it. In fact, uh, I've known poker players who's lo- who've lost $2.5 million in a matter of weeks, literally. So, I never knew what the story was with Chris Moneymaker's finances in the years that followed. I didn't think he was rich, but I, I knew he got a lot for representing poker stars. In fact, I heard at one point he was getting a million dollars a year. I don't know if that's true. But uh, I always wondered, how much money does Chris Moneymaker really have? Well, something I didn't know was that Chris Moneymaker apparently had a sports betting problem, like many people who are involved in poker. Many poker yeah, players... Uh, you all in the uh, poker movie. I never knew it either. That's how I found out about it. I wa- watched that horrible movie. I, I didn't I watch that movie. On, like uh, Netflix or something or something like that. And that's the first thing he starts out was talking about how much of a degen he was at uh, sports betting. So, so they they I didn't know that. I never watched that movie. So that movie actually covered this before about him how he lost a lot of money betting sports. Oh yeah, he was in there, and you know he he talks about how you know prior to to playing the uh, the event that actually got him in, he was just a complete. Degenerate sports bar. He, he took money out at dollar loan centers and shit like that. And uh, wow. you know, he, yeah, but he it seemed he was a degenerate sports better before he even was playing poker. Yeah, I believe that. So let me. Uh, so so going on here. Apparently, he was a big time sports degenerate. Which, when you get infused with a lot of money like that, becomes even worse. And, uh, you know, fast forward now to 2012, and he's still betting on sports, but as you might imagine, given everything I just told you, uh, he didn't have very much money anymore. And there were other people betting sports on 2 plus 2 that were betting with each other, which is always risky when you make sports bets with fellow poker players, because you never know how much money they really have. You can, you can see them in big tournaments, you can see them with a lot of cash in front of them in cash games, and it means nothing. Like, a long time ago, I was naive. I'd see people with, like, 400000 in front of them in a, in a big game, and i go, wow, this person must be loaded. They've got four hundred k on the table. But no, that, that may not even be their money. That may be, like, money they were backed, and uh, when they walk away from the table, they have to hand every dollar they have in front of them back to the backer. So, just because they're in a big tournament or playing a big cash game means nothing. So, they bet with each other in sports, and then, as you might imagine, there's a lot of free-rolling that ends up going on. Free-rolling basically being that uh, people without money make large bets with other people, hoping they win. If they win, then nobody knows the difference, and they win. If they lose, then they can't pay, and say, oh, sorry, I can't pay, or make excuses, or stall the person. And uh, So, I would recommend against ever betting any kind of real money against anyone in the poker world, unless you know them really, really well and are 100% sure they're financially solid. So, let's get to this story here. Because uh, this this really uh, unfolded into a big mess on the 2 Plus 2 forums this week. And is, he, I, uh, is he still sponsored by Stars? I don't think so. I think he's... Uh, I think they dropped that a while ago, but... Uh, he might be. I'm not sure. Maybe the chat room could tell me. I know Raymer's not anymore. I wouldn't blame Poker Stars. Uh, I guess he is. I guess he is yeah, still he sponsored was, by them. Uh, I copied and pasted the uh, the thing where he's talking about 
play. He wrote a he wrote an article called "Avoiding Pit Stops: Plugging the Sports Betting Leaks on the Poker Stars Blog" on March twentieth. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so, so he's 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 giving people advice on plugging the sports betting leak while he's betting. <laughs> Money he doesn't have apparently, but uh, so I guess he he probably is still with with Team Poker Stars. So I guess he still get, he doesn't get anywhere near a million dollars a year. But uh, uh, I guess I got confused that he had been dropped from them. But that has nothing to do with this story. So he and a fellow poker pro named Jason Young got involved in a sports betting situation. And rather than summarize it myself, I'm going to read you Chris's own words about the situation posted on the 2 plus 2 forums just five days ago. I got messages from Jason that he was going to post our issue on 2 plus 2 last night, and he tweeted about it last night as well. He has threatened to post it on here for over a year, and I told him that he should feel free to do so. After seeing his tweet, I have a feeling he will not list out all the facts correctly, so I'm here to do so. So so basically, they this is over a more than a year old debt, and Jason kept threatening him, according to Chris, that he's going to come out and tell the story to everyone and expose stuff about Chris. And Chris is like, okay, if you're going to expose me, I'm going to expose myself first. I'm going to tell the story first and tell the truth rather than let you present it first with a bunch of half-truths. So that's what Chris is claiming he's doing here in this in this post. He started this thread on 2 Plus 2 called Moneymaker versus J- Jason Young. So he goes on to say, it all started here on the forums as a group of guys were betting on sports with each other, vig-free, meaning they're just betting without uh, anyone taking any kind of commission, like uh, casinos do. We bet every week for almost a year, and would always settle on Monday. You can ask anyone in the group, I always paid on time, I was a trusted member of the group. About two years ago, a, a guy by the name of LCCF, uh, which is Limp Call Call Fold, by the way, and that's uh, Peter Falcone, a lot of you people are familiar with him, a scammer who unfortunately was even part of our community on a different site. And uh, someone I met personally. Someone who used my good name to claim he was friends with me. <laughs> so, uh, Anyway, that's who Limp Call Call Fold is, but he doesn't have much to do with this. Uh, joined somehow and ended up scamming everyone out of a ton of money, myself included. I didn't know he scammed Moneymaker, but not surprising. At the end of it, I had to pay an additional 9k to the people on the forum from this guy as I got trapped, but that's another story. During the scandal, Jason sent me a PM saying he worked for a guy that ran a book and offered to set me up. I agreed that since the thread was dead and began betting with him. So so he's saying here that Jason contacted him saying he knew a bookie, that he worked for this bookie, and that, hey, I can set you up with this bookie since this whole little group we had on 2 Plus 2 betting with each other folded because of uh, this this uh, Peter Falcone guy. So Chris said, sure, let's let's do it. The first week I made about 5k. The next week and a half went south for me, and I lost back my 5k plus my credit limit of 15k. He stated in his tweet that I owed 25, which is inaccurate. I told him I was on the road and would take care of it when I got home. No problem, he said. As I'm sitting in the airport headed home, I get a Skype message from another guy that used to bet in the, in the forum. He asked if Jason owed me money, and I responded that I owed him. He told me Jason has owed him 18k for a few weeks and hasn't paid. I asked, and asked I pay him instead of Jason. I told him at the time I would not pay Jason and pay him. When I got home, I stalled paying Jason to see how the situation would, stay, would shake out. Over the next two months, two other people I know messaged me asking if Jason owed me money. I gave them the same answer that I owed him. The total that he owed the three guys was over 40 k So basically, uh, 
Chris is saying he did owe Jason money from losing these bets. Now, Jason was supposedly working as an agent for this bookie who was not named, just a, just some bookie that Jason says, I work for him, I'll be the agent to you know, place the bets back and forth. But you're not booking with me, you're booking it with a bookie. Um, but that uh, after he got in the hole to Jason, he found out that Jason owes a ton of money to at least three different people, 40K at least. By the time Jason was telling his boss was giving... By, by this time, Jason was telling me his boss was giving him tons of heat and I needed to pay him immediately or he, he would post on 2 plus 2. Initially, I didn't mention I knew he owed the other guys. I kept in conversation with the other guys and Jason was telling them that his boss skipped town and he couldn't pay them. At the same time, his, quote, boss is busting his chops to get my money. So Chris is claiming that he's already seeing a contradiction here where, where he's pressuring Chris to pay up because his boss really wants the money, the bookie, but then the other guys owed the money are being told the bookie already ran off and skipped town and can't pay them. The whole situation was shady, and I talked about paying the other guys what I owed equally. After much thought and talking about it with many friends, I determined that I was being free-rolled and decided I'm not paying off this debt. I have been stiffed by books in the past, and customers that owed the book never took care of me. However, since I am known, the other guys kept asking me to pay them what they want from Jason. Ultimately, I decided I was getting free-rolled and scammed again, and would not pay this debt. Jason can post whatever he wants, but the fact of the matter is he was lying to me and others, and therefore, therefore will not receive anything from me. Chris Moneymaker. So, he came out striking first. He wanted you to know his side before Jason could tell his side of it. So, of course, Jason responded in that same thread. Jason starts off, same day, saying, Your 2003 WSOP main event champion Chris Moneymaker does not pay his debts. I had something I was going to post over the summer that I held on to because I still had hopes Chris would do the right thing. I tried to avoid this for a long time. Way too much time has gone by, and it's just not right. I haven't even logged on to 2 Plus 2 since the outage whenever that was, and I've had quite a hectic last year having nothing to do with poker at all. I'm going to make a real long story very short. Bottom line, I was a high-stakes regular for five-plus years on the live circuit. I was also a high-stakes regular in the high-stakes no-limit forum and high-stakes sports discussion thread, etc. Over the course of, I guess, 18 months, I was scammed at over 50k by the likes of CL House 8, What Up, Easy Donk, and a slew of others I don't really remember, and the icing of the cake was Limp Call Call Fold. I was scammed out of roughly 20k by by him, but was free-rolled for far worse, somewhere in the hundreds of thousands on the NCAA tournament last year alone. I've paid out hundreds of thousands, if not more, in pieces, bought and sold pools, swaps, online dollars, and sports wins and losses. I have an immaculate record, and I'm sure I could have an endless line of people come here and vouch, confirm, whatever. So so basically, so far, what he's saying is, here's all my credentials. I've, I, I, First of all, I've been a victim of so many scammers. I don't see how that applies here. I mean, victims of scammers can be scammers themselves, too. Uh, but uh, and then he goes on to say what's a little bit more important that he has paid out hundreds of thousands of dollars in money he's owed over the last year and a half and uh, that there's a lot of people who could vouch for him that he's always been uh, paying his debts and straightforward then he goes on to say after the sports thread went down a bunch of high stakes guys kept swapping action online on Skype through text on different sites etc uh, Moneymaker lost over 20000 not directly to me, and bought online money from me, equaling a total of just under twenty five k owed to me. 
This was pre-World Series of Poker 2012. I covered his losses for him at the time and didn't need the money right away. I also assumed he was good for it. A couple months went by and he had paid nothing, stating whatever excuses that he couldn't pay, and said that we most likely should square up at the end of the World Series. This is in 2012. I opened a business last year that I basically put all my liquidity into. I only went to Vegas for the main event. I spoke to Chris and he still put it off. Fast forward to a situation where a few people that I dealt with in the past won money not from me, but somehow I vouched for. I got screwed once again and I'm, com- I'm pretty much completely over dealing with all this bullshit. I'm done with that whole world. I'm focused on my business and my family. So he's saying he just got scammed again, too. And, and he's pretty much out of all this stuff, but uh, you know he still needs the money from from Chris that he fronted for Chris that Chris owed twenty five k and he fronted it to the person Chris owed it to, and now he needs the money back. I told Chris I needed the money. This was in the ballpark of one full year after he owed me this money. Told him it wasn't even for me; it was for all the other people that were owed this money. He confirmed to people that to these people that he owed me this money, yet to this day has refused to pay it. All in all, I've been scammed for close to six figures. I've always gone into my pocket to make things right, always. Quite quite frankly, I'm tired of it, and I'm tired of people getting away with this. Like previously, I stated all my liquidity is in my business at this point in time. Even if I wanted to just pay out of my pocket like I always have in the past, I can't. I've made arrangements with the people that are owed, been in constant contact with them the entire time, inviting them to come speak to me personally in New York. I value my name in this world, and have always done the right thing. Some people have been paid off in full, some have arranged payment plans, etc., which none of it would be necessary if Chris had paid his debt. Then all this would be behind us. I don't rat people out. I don't throw people under the bus. If I vouch for something and it doesn't work out, I will do everything in my power to make it right. So he's trying to say this bookie of his ran off and um, you know, the one he was working for and that's why he owes these people money but he's doing all he can to make it right and that he could have made it right with him already if Chris hadn't stiffed him, is what he's trying to say. Mm-hmm. After rereading some of my own posts, I can pretty much guarantee over seven figures in the past five years of transfers, pieces, bought and sold, pools online, etc. He lost this money at least six months prior to these guys winning, so his story is full of holes and more lies. I told him many times I was more than willing to work out a payment plan with him. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Sorry. Call's <laughs> coming in. My bad. Go ahead, bro. Lastly, anyone that was in contact with him can confirm they never once believed they were getting scammed and all had been paid in the past. He was never for one second being free-rolled. I can march hundreds of people in here to attest for that. Your move, Chris, just do the right thing and put all this in the past. So, I'm not going to read any more from the thread right now. The thread ended up going, it's right now 38 pages, I think. It would take me hours to read that on this show. I'm not going to do that, but... I read these things, and I noticed something was notably missing from Jason's response and his subsequent responses when people asked him questions. And that was about this bookie. Basically, Jason was saying that Chris was not betting with him, but that he covered Chris's losses to the bookie. Chris lost money to this bookie, the bookie was on his ass. Jason paid it to the bookie, saying, okay, I'll get it back from Chris later. Here's your money, bookie. And then Chris never paid him. That's basically what he's saying here. But the thing that Chris did not address in this post, or not Chris, the, the thing that Jason did not address in this post, or any of the posts that came up afterwards in this 38-page thread, is, who is the bookie? All right. Who is it? How can you provide proof that he existed? 
How can you even provide proof that you paid him? Even if he existed, if he ran off and disappeared, how do we know you even paid him? If the guy's gone, he, he can't say, oh yeah, Jason paid me for Chris. Maybe maybe Jason didn't pay him. Maybe even if he's a real guy, Jason didn't pay him. But it became clear from reading this 38-page thread that the bookie didn't exist. Simply because Jason would not answer any questions about him. And when I say any questions, he wouldn't answer anything. I'm not saying he has to name the bookie publicly. He would not cooperate with anyone who offered, myself included, to be given the bookie's name and confidence. You know, find a trusted third party who can check on this bookie being real, but will not reveal it to the public. Therefore, not putting the bookie himself at risk. People also asked, why are you protecting this bookie's name if he scammed all of your customers? Right. Why, why not name the guy if he ran off and scammed everyone? But even if you want to say, well, maybe Jason was scared of him. Why not at least prove to someone, someone trustworthy, that he's real? Now, Jason never said, I'm not going to tell you who the bookie is. He never explained why he won't tell you who the bookie is. He just won't answer questions about the bookie. He pretends the questions about the bookie do not exist. So, obviously, what everyone who was watching this said, or at least everyone with a brain, was that, okay, it's pretty clear there was no bookie. It's pretty clear the bookie was Jason himself. Right. But then that's where some people are split as to who is responsible to pay here. Who is responsible for the bet? Should the bet still exist? Because a lot of people are saying, look, it doesn't matter if you bet with Jason or if you bet with Jason's bookie. If Jason's the agent for the whole thing, you lost to him in some way. You either lost to him or someone he represents. You still owe him the money. And others are saying myself included, no. If Chris was betting with a fictitious third party, you can't owe a fictitious third party money, and you especially can't owe a fictitious third party money if the person who introduced you to this fake person and took your bet with this fake person was broke at the time they took your bet, meaning you weren't going to get paid if you won. And that's why I was saying it's ludicrous for anyone to say that Chris should pay Jason, when not only did Jason lie to him and trick him into betting with a phony person, because the problem with betting with a phony person is if the voting person stiffs you, Jason can say, hey, I'm not responsible. Sorry about that. The bookie ran off. I, I'm just as pissed as you are. I was just the agent. Sorry, I, I thought my boss was cool. Turned out he was a scammer. Sorry about that. So when you make up a fictitious third party to bet with people, then that fictitious third party can vanish whenever whenever you lose, and you don't have to pay anyone. You can absolve yourself of any guilt or blame. So, if it's discovered that this person you're betting with doesn't exist, then you owe a fake person money, and since you cannot pay a fake person money, you don't owe any money. And, and especially if it turns out that the person who was actually placing the bets, actually taking the bets, had no money at the time, so it wasn't even a matter of hiding who was booking the bets for legal reasons. It's just a matter of free-rolling. And that's what I'm pretty sure was happening here. Now, how do you feel about this Lawn Cigar? Uh, I mean, this sports betting thing, because I know it, because I see people all the time and know a ton of people that have their own sites or that they're maybe in a site with like 10, 12 other guys, and you know, you don't know whose money is in there. But 
here's the thing. Did Chris admit to making the bets? Chris admitted to making the bets. Yes, there's no question that uh, Chris. And I, I think I think you know that that Jason is probably just hiding it because he doesn't want either something to come down on him because they could just say. I mean, if he's if he's honestly making all this money that he says and he's paid out hundreds of thousands of dollars, he probably is the guy and just doesn't want to say it. He's probably either got some offshore account with, you know, I, I know a ton of guys that have offshore accounts and they only handle like three, four, five accounts. And, you know, if you win it big, they just cut you off. And, yeah. and you're right. I mean, maybe this guy didn't even have any money to pay – you know, winners off, and he was just like, "Oh, I need more losers today than winners," and that happens all the time. Yeah, it does. And and uh, and when all the evidence points to you being free rolled, not only are you directed to a phony person that you're supposedly betting with, but that the agent of this phony person is known to be broke and own a lot of people money. Uh, that points to the fact that you're being free roll. That points to the fact that you had no way to win. Even if you won the bet right. itself, you'd never get paid. And at that point, you say, okay, this bet is null and void. I was betting with a fake person, and I was betting with someone with no money to pay me. And there's some people who are saying in that thread, look, if you make a bet with someone and you lose, you pay them. You don't worry about their personal finances. You don't worry about their problems with other people. Of course you do. Because if you have determined that you are being scammed, if you were, if you've determined that if you were to win that bet, that there's just about zero chance you'd be paid then why would you ever pay that person would you, there was no upside right. for you to make that bet in that case the bet was made under false pretenses in that case you were being scammed a free roll is a scam in this case and well the other problem the other problem lies in that you know how, maybe this jason guy if he comes out and says hey look you know I see all these bets that chris was paid on and he can somehow prove he's going to probably have to come out and say it was him that's the only way he's going to get paid. Because you're right. If if I was betting with somebody and some guy came up to me and said, "Hey, you know, I'm collecting for so and so," I wouldn't give him the money because you never know if he's going to give it to him. Yeah, and you're, you know, to- you're and, totally right. Right. And so what happened was at the time, um, Jason and Chris agreed that Jason would cover the debt to the bookie. Well, then he owes the money. I have to say, if 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 but if the bookie he doesn't exist. But then the bookie doesn't exist, so he didn't cover anything. He didn't. He paid nothing out if the guy doesn't exist. Yeah, that's the I, problem. I mean, it's it's such a gray area, and, and sports betting is the worst. I mean, I, I know guys that are, you know, really stand up guys, and they get screwed all the time, and they just figure, all right, I'm going to eventually cut this guy off. But but I mean, the I thing see. is, you can't. Uh, yeah, you're right, but. You can't ever – if someone says, hey, I'm going to pay this third party for you that you owe money to, so now you owe me. If that third party is fake, then no money ever exchanged hands. Then no one ever paid yeah. anything for you. Then nothing was done. So then yeah, what it, they claim they're doing hasn't happened, and then you don't owe them any money. Like, you know. right. In this thread, um, did Chris ever say that he bet with this bookie before, or was it just like a one-time thing? It was just, the, it was just starting when this happened. So, uh, so yeah, so, I, I agree with you. I mean, if it's his first bet and he's never met the guy or the guy's never personally talked to him, I, I probably wouldn't pay either. Yeah, it, well, it looks very clear, not 100%, but very, very, very high chance, very close to 100%, that this bookie doesn't exist. Because if the bookie did exist and Jason either named him or proved it to some trusted third party that the guy existed, that would really change yeah. a lot here, and it would change a lot of public perception here. And uh, Jason would have done that because it would have worked the whole thing in his favor. He never did it, and the reason people don't do something, whenever there's a dispute between two people, and one person could show something, 
that would really boost the public perception as to whether they're right or wrong, and they choose not to, that means lying, yeah. that means they can't do it. It's it's kind of right. like um, totally different subject, but very similar concept. Um, when I'd be in chat rooms online in the past, and I'd see some really hot chick come in, which is an impossibly hot picture to be in a chat room, <laughs> and I'd say, this is a fake picture. And they say, no, it's not. It's real. I say, no, it's totally fake. No, 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 look, here, I'll post five others. I go, that doesn't matter. You can post a hundred <laughs> others. It doesn't mean it's you. And she'd say, well, I have nothing to prove to you. And then like a, like a half an hour fight would break out between me and her and, and the supporters of her and the supporters of me back and forth as to whether she's real or fake. And then I'd say, wait a minute. You've wasted half an hour arguing with me about this. Why can't you get out your phone, take a picture of yourself right now, post it in 30 seconds, and you'll prove me wrong, and you'll make me look like an idiot? Why right. won't you do that? Well, I have nothing to prove. Well, if you have nothing to prove, why do you argue with me for 30 minutes? So, same thing here. Right. Jason sat here in this 38-page thread, mostly taking a beating for people who were on Chris's side. Most of the people were saying the bookie's fake, and that's the reason they were on Chris's side. And yet, he never answered any of the questions about the bookie, or even why he can't name the bookie or prove the bookie's real. He just avoided it completely. So that means the bookie's fake. I mean, common sense dictates the bookie is fake. So after this whole thing, here are my conclusions, which I posted both on 2 Plus 2 and on Poker Fraud Alert, about this whole situation. And I I think it pretty much sums it up. And in fact, I I won't say who, but uh, someone who is uh, an insider in this situation sent me a private message and said, your summary here is very close to the truth. That it's the closest to the truth that anyone has posted in any of these threads. So I am I was proud of that because I just deduced all this. I don't have any inside information. I just deduced all this from everything I read. See, here are my conclusions. Number one, there was no bookie. Jason was booking the bets himself. Uh, Jason dodged all the questions about the bookie in 38 pages on 2 Plus 2 including requests to privately name him to a trusted third party. It's reasonably certain by Jason's lack of response, along with the general suspicious nature of the entire situation, where the bookie vanishes at a very convenient time, that there was no bookie. Number two, Jason did not have the money to cover the bet when Chris placed it. It's unclear of the reason for this. It had to be one of three things. Either A, this was an outright scam and free roll, and it it was... something that came out of Jason's desperation to get out of a big financial mess. Or B, this was a middling or make-guaranteed juice situation. What I I mean by that is, um, let's say Chris had a a 10K bet on on, on the Lakers, on the Lakers minus 5, playing against uh, the Utah Jazz, say. And then Jason was able to find someone else to take the Utah Jazz at uh, plus three and a half, also for 10K. And neither of them yeah. knew that uh, that they were both betting with him. Mm-hmm. So what Jason is hoping for there is the Lakers win by four uh, to where they they, uh, they both lose. Right, he scoops the middle. He scoops the middle. He Then he wins both bets, and neither of them realize it. Or right. maybe there wasn't a middling. Maybe it was just uh, the same minus five, plus five on each side, but, but he was taking juice because it's a bookie. So he has a guaranteed win and can't lose, no matter yeah. who wins the game, which is yeah. great for bookies when there's no risk to them and they have guaranteed money. Uh, right. Of course, the problem can be if one of the two does not pay. So maybe Chris didn't pay when he lost, and the whole thing collapsed. Or C, right. Jason didn't set out to scam Chris, but was simply booking too much action that he couldn't cover, 
and unrealistically told himself that somehow he'd find a way to pay everyone if, if somehow he got into trouble here. Where just Jason kept saying, oh yeah, I'll book this bet, oh yeah, I'll book that bet, and just, just hoped everything would come out fine. And uh, this is what I call the Eric Lindgren excuse. Because this is what Eric Lindgren did. This is exactly what he did, where he would make all kinds of bets, sports bets and other kinds, with people for large sums of money that he couldn't cover, and, and just figured, uh, I'll find a way to do it. I'll find a way to pay it off. It'll somehow end up okay, because I've been getting 250000 a month from Full Tilt, and I'll keep getting that, and there's no way that'll ever stop. And, uh, and uh, you know, even after it stops, I'll, I'll still find a way to make money somehow. So I'm not really a scammer, because if I do get the money to pay everyone, I'll pay them. But um, I can't tell you exactly how I'm going to get it, but I'll get it somehow. And that's better than outright scamming. I'll say that, but it's it's only one step better than outright scamming, because you're still booking bets under very false pretenses and still free-rolling people. And even if your intentions are to pay them, if everything lands perfectly for you, that's still not uh, that, that's still very scummy and still a version of a scam. Yeah, and it's really hard to middle too. I mean, I, I can tell you that. Like, there's guys that you know they're they always sweat when you know they got everyone else on the other side and they got to put it up. To you know, sometimes they know more than the the average Joe that's betting. I mean, most of the time, if they're booking more than likely, they're smarter than the people they're taking bets from. But Here's my question: Has Jason ever scammed anyone else with sports betting? Well, yes, yes, and we'll get to that in a well, second. Yeah. Uh, actually, I should okay. do that before the uh, I get to the rest of my conclusions. I did skip something. You you bring up a good point. So I I have to guess that C is what really happened. By the way, I don't know, but I, I'm guessing that Jason he's not a traditional scammer like Peter Falcone. Uh, <laughs> I I don't and he could have been middling, but it's kind of hard to do because you have to get someone to make the exact bets Chris is making on the other side and then get to make it a worse at a worse line and it's like it's hard to do like how how do you get someone to make exactly what Chris wants to make but opposite it's just tough yeah. so i have now to think they go if they go the other way they might win more than Chris would yeah so there's there's i had to think it was probably where J- Jason was just crazily taking action hoping it ends up okay and then mm. when it didn't he's like oh crap and now what do i do uh shit <laughs> i got to get money somehow I'm not defending him here. I think it's terrible, but I think that's what happened. Anyway, um, he owed a lot of other people. One of them has been on this show before. Sheets. Eric Sheets Mm. uh, Haber. Uh, He was owed money by Jason. Other people have come out of the woodwork that were owed money by Jason from various things. He, He owes a lot of people money. And, in fact, Jason admitted in that thread that he owed money but claimed it was because of the bookie stiffing him. He was trying to make it right for what happened with that bookie. So again, he's blaming his imaginary friend. Oh, it's it's kind of like in those family circus cartoons when uh, the house would be all messed up and then uh, the, the mom would ask the kids, you know, right. who, who broke this vase? Who, who tracked mud all over the house? And the kids would go, not me, not me, not me. And then they'd show a ghost saying, not me. And the, the the joke was that it was the not me ghost who did all this stuff, not the kids. And and you know they had a whole lot of these not me comics from uh, Family Circus. That, that's pretty much what Jason's doing. So um, Jason, why do you owe all this all these people money from sports bets? You know why do you stiff all these people? Not me. It was that bookie. I'm just doing the right thing to cover for my bookie that I worked mm. for. I I'm such a great guy that when my bookie stiffs people, I cover for him. That's what a great guy I am. So sorry if it's taking a year and a half to pay you guys, but I'm trying to make up for someone else's mistakes. What a mm. wonderful guy. So 
I, I think that uh, that's what's been happening. And um, so let me tell you what the resolution was before I go further. The resolution, and I won't read all their posts about the resolution. I'll give you a quick summary. Basically, um, the resolution is that Chris is going to pay, but he's not going to pay Jason. He's going to pay the people that Jason has been owing all this time, like Sheets. <laughs> yeah. So he's going to pay off his bad debt to other people. Right, right. So, wow. yeah, so that was a resolution, which I think is terrible, and I'll explain why in a second. And I can see Lawn Cigar is already kind of surprised to hear that. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, good. I mean, I guess Chris is, you know, going to be in a better light just for doing that. Well, yeah, sort of, but I, I, I think he really took a bath in this whole situation, which I'll get to in a second. Absolutely. So, sure. so uh, conclusion number three. Chris also did not have the money at the time the bet was made. Now, I won't read this message from the thread, but it came out later in the thread from Jason that Chris was broke, you know, after making this bet, was was claiming, look, I don't have the money, please give me a little more time, I have a staking deal coming up, it'll it'll all be okay after that. So I, I actually believe that part. I believe after Chris lost, at first he was trying to stall him, and then realize, hey, maybe I'm getting free-rolled here. Screw it, I don't have to pay at all. So this is what I think happened. Chris did not have the money at the time the bet was made. Chris was also free-rolling. I believe that Chris believed a staking deal was coming in the near future and that he'd be able to use anything he'd make from the staking deal to somehow cover it if he lost. So he wasn't trying to scam Jason, but he felt like, hey, I have some money coming to me probably if I get staked and win some money, so uh, I, I can still bet kind of right. on credit. Uh, when the staking deal fell through, which it did, Chris was probably unable to pay the 20000 And rather than just snap pay Jason as he would have if he was flush with money, he probably decided to research the situation a bit more. So think of Chris Moneymaker with $2 million to his name. Does he do all this research about Jason and who he owes and whether the bookie's real? No. He's a degenerate. He made a bet. He lost twenty k. He pays it. Not the smart thing to do, but that's what he would do because he has so much money and he's irresponsible with it. When it's your last 20k, or you don't even have that 20k, at that point you have to be really careful that you're not giving away your last funds over a scam. So there, he started saying, hmm. First he had to stall him to get the money, and then while he's stalling, he starts getting information that maybe Jason was free-rolling him. And he's like, oh crap, well, alright, then maybe I don't have to pay at all. So once he found out that Jason also didn't have the money to back the bet, and in fact appeared to have lied even more because he was lying about the bookie, Chris felt justified not to pay him at all. So obviously, this means Chris was not totally innocent in this situation, if this were the case, which I believe it was. Uh, The difference, however, is that Chris bet the money as himself. With Jason's full knowledge, he was betting with Chris Moneymaker, and if Jason wanted to, he could have had Chris Moneymaker show him that he was good for the money. uh, Jason even said, I just assumed he was good for it. So Jason did have to research this more and if he didn't I'm not saying Chris can just get away without paying him, but Jason was basically giving him credit to bet as the agent of this bookie without properly researching it Uh, You might want to play the ESPN thing Oh, we have an update? Rylan has been defeated (laughs) Now now I can't play the update anymore Now you already gave it, well, I'll play it anyway (laughs) You're saying Ryland lost the heads-up match? 
Apparently so. That's what the chat says. Wow. He was he was saying, I'm donating $20 because I'm about to beat Vegas Jim. Wow. Well, he still finishes second. He gets second place money. But we're talking about the Poker Frawler Heads Up Tournament, which uh, was a success yes. and yes. people enjoyed. They're saying Rylan stormed off. Wow. Um, I, I hope he coughs up the 20 that he promised. Could be a moneymaker rolling. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I'll be making a, a thread called uh, uh, Dandruff versus Eric Ryland. $20. So, anyway, uh, Jason, uh, so what I was saying here is the difference is that at least Jason knew who he was betting with. And Jason's the one who gave him the credit to bet. And he could have researched more about Chris if he needed to. Chris thought he was betting with a bookie that did not exist. So, this makes it worse. But hey, the main point is here Chris owed the money. It isn't right. he's Chris. Buying, he's buying. He's buying a lot of time too with this thirty-eight page thread. Yeah. So, so Chris, Chris is the one expected to pay. Now, if it were reversed, and uh, Jason had, uh, or so Chris had won the bet, but it came out that Chris was free rolling, then it'd be a little bit tougher, because if they were both free rolling each other, then it yep. gets a little tougher. Like, do do they actually owe the money because they were probably like on the same ground here, but they weren't on the same ground. Because Chris was betting with a fictitious person. So that, that just ends it right there. When you're betting with a person who does not exist, then you owe a fake person money, and since you can't pay a fake person money, it's done. Especially if the person you were betting with didn't have it either. And especially, you know, so at that point, it doesn't matter if you were free-rolling too. It just, uh, the whole thing should be just canceled. Now, who are the biggest winners in this whole thing? I think it's pretty clear. It's uh, Sheets and the rest of them, Jason's creditors. Can you imagine if Jason has owed you money for over a year. You haven't gotten a dime. You haven't seen dime one from him. You're pretty much yeah. writing this off at that point. You're thinking, okay, Jason's never paying me. It's just more bad debt from poker players. Oh well, I'm stupid. Can you imagine Sheets suddenly getting the the message, hey, you're about to get paid? <laughs> Even if not completely, like you're getting some money from something you wrote off as uncollectible a long time ago. Unbelievable. And it's not even like Jason came into money himself. He's getting money from an unrelated third party. so It's kind of like getting an email from Ultimate Bet saying you're going to get your money back. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, uh, this is what you call pennies from heaven. It's just uh, <laughs> totally unexpected money for these third parties. Right. And, and Chris shouldn't owe them. I mean, he has nothing to do with them. Uh, the second biggest winner here is Jason himself. I mean, look at this. He created a fake reputable bookie to take large sports bets, booked the action himself with money he didn't have, somehow is able to get one of his winning bets paid in full after all that, even if, after it's discovered what he was doing. Yeah. He doesn't make out quite as well as his creditors like Sheets. And I'm not blaming Sheets, by the way. Even If he's owed money, he doesn't care who pays him. You know, it's uh, He's happy to take it, and I, I would be too. Uh, but he doesn't make out quite as well as the creditors since he's not actually receiving money at this point. He's just getting debt erased. What Jason was really looking for is a cash infusion since he even admits he's broke and has no cash. But uh, but still, it's a great result for him, given that he was free rolling and lying the whole way and got caught, and still gets twenty k knocked off his debts. That's uh, that's pretty impressive. So of course, when you have a big winner, or big winners, shall I say, and a second biggest winner, someone has to lose. This is a zero sum game. The loser, of course, is Chris Moneymaker. He pretty much lost in every way here. Now a large group of two plus two readers know that he is a broke sports betting degenerate. Though I guess. Whoever watched that All In uh, movie knows that too. 
But some now also believe him to be a shady character who tries to weasel out of his bets. And there are a lot of people in that thread who think that. And worst yet, despite all of that, despite the hit this obviously made to his reputation, he's still out 20k. <laughs> he didn't even get a discount here. So this could not have ended worse for him. Mm. I still believe Chris was in the right. He bet with a fictitious third party. You can't owe a, you can't owe a fictitious entity money. Once that was discovered, the bet should have immediately been considered null and void. And uh, Jason himself clearly did not have the money to cover it at the time, uh, since and he was being you know he lied and free rolled Chris. And uh, even if Chris was somewhat free rolling himself, which he probably was, that's not material here because he lost the bet. Had it fallen the other way, it would be a much tougher call. Because as I said, at least Jason's bet would have been with a real person, which Chris's bet wasn't. Uh, for those of you that may disagree with me, I know some of you do disagree with me on this. Let me make the uh, the following offer to you. And then uh, maybe you'll reconsider. I will offer anyone who's listening to this show to bet with my bookie, who I work for. I work for a bookie. Some of you didn't know this, but I work for a bookie. His name is I am a faker. I am are his initials, first and middle initials. A faker is his last name. I know it's kind of an unfortunate name, but that's his name. I am a faker is my bookie. I actually work for him. I'm an agent for him. He will take bets for the sum of one million dollars. That's right. He'll take bets up to a million dollars on the World Series, the Baseball World Series, which uh, currently Boston leads 3-2. to two. And whatever the current odds are, whatever the current Vegas odds are, he will give you double of those odds. I mean, it's an amazing opportunity. The only caveat is that I cannot guarantee that I am a faker is going to pay you. So if you lose the bet which you're getting at double odds, by the way. What you'll do is you'll pay me, and I'll forward it on to I am a faker. If you lose, or sorry, if you lose, that's what you'll do. If I win, or if you win, then I can't guarantee I am is going to pay you, because that's between you and him. So if he runs <laughs> off, sorry, nothing I can do about it. But it's not my fault, because uh, I'm just the agent. So do you want to take that bet, Anybody? Does anybody want to place a bet through me with I am a faker? Who I don't guarantee. I'm telling you he's a great guy. I'm telling you you can trust him, but I don't guarantee it. So if he doesn't pay you, if he doesn't pay you your million bucks or two million bucks, oh well. Uh, I think he will, but if he doesn't, not my problem. But if you lose, then you pay me and I'll forward it to him. Sound like a good deal? If it doesn't, that's exactly what happened here. That's exactly what Jason Young did to Chris Moneymaker. Chris bet with a fake bookie through Jason. When he lost, Jason supposedly paid the bookie and says to Chris, you owe me the money now. But had Chris won, do you think this fake bookie would have paid him? Especially when Jason himself did not have the money? So you can't pay off a bet that you made if it's clear that that bet was some form of a scam. Anyway. Um, 
now that we're through that topic, and now we only have 12 more, boy, that seems, <laughs> over, boy, that seems overwhelming. It's all right. I'm here to help you, buddy. Yeah, we, we've, been, we've been on the air for over an hour, like an hour 20. We've done one out of the 13 topics. So it's a, at this pace, the show will be over at uh, about 2 p.m. tomorrow, <laughs> Pacific time. But uh, to slow matters down even more, somebody wants to call in here. Oh, shit. So, no, it's not Team ML Gay. Uh, caller, you're on the air. Hi, this is Sarah Albright. So we have Sarah Albright on the phone. Yes. Sarah. Yes, from, uh, I auditioned for a poker news audition at pokernews.com. Yes. And, yeah. and so I, you, uh, I'm sorry, let, let me, let me uh, lead here. I, I, I will, uh, I'm the host of this show, but you're welcome to uh, say your piece. Don't worry, I'll give you ample time here. So, uh, so Sarah, uh, just to let everybody know, she is the girl who did that uh, that video for Poker News to become a Poker News presenter. And I, I enjoyed that video. I thought, I thought it was very funny. And, uh, oh, thank you. I, I thought it was the best one there. And you can actually vote for Sarah on the Poker News site. And Now, the voting, that's going to be closing pretty soon, right? Right. It's got, like, 20 hours left. 20 hours going left. Going on for it? Now, yeah. now how are you doing yeah, so, so far? But, how are you doing so far? Do you know... No, but do you know where you are in the voting? Are you leading, or do they not tell you, or do you have any idea where you currently stand? I have no idea as of yet. So you could be, like, kicking they, ass. You, you could be just destroying everyone, and you have no clue, or you could be in last place, as far as you know. I have a feeling I'm in last place. I don't think so. I don't Come know. on. No, I think, I think you're being Maybe. a pessimist, which, you know, it's not bad to be a pessimist, because when you have low expectations, then uh, mm-hmm. you can never be disappointed. So right. I um. Well, I saw some videos better than mine, so I didn't see any videos. No, no, no. I, yours was the best video by far. There's no question. Uh, now, what what is the poker news presenter's job? What will you be doing? Are you going to be the uh, like? Are you going to be the interviewer? Like, if you let's say I run really deep in the main event next year, and and don't bust out uh-huh. like like a few people before the money, like I seem to do every year, uh, will you be interviewing me? Yes, I would. I would love to. I would be a great interviewer. Um, I'd probably be a little awkward, to be honest. Uh, well, that's I've not good. I've never done any interviewing before. So. Uh, you shouldn't admit that here. I mean, you have to you have to come out with confidence and say, I'm going to do better than all these other girls. I uh, They have no chance, yeah. and uh, I, I have far more qualifications than any of them. Right. Well, I wouldn't go that far. But, yeah, I can see what you're saying with that. Okay, so uh, so now you would like the fine audience here of, of Poker Fraud Alert, and this is the final 20 hours uh, that people can vote for you. Is this correct? Right. Yeah, you would like the yep. fine audience we have of this show of uh, of four figures. We really do have a four figure audience. I'm not kidding. I don't. I'm not exaggerating here. We don't. We don't have a four figure live oh, wow. audience, but we have a four figure overall audience between live listeners and uh, podcast listeners. You're, you're suggesting. That these people, most of whom listen on uh, Wednesday morning at work, mm-hmm. that they go over to Poker News and vote for you, and uh, uh, I am suggesting this too. I, I'm throwing my hat in the ring in support of Sarah Albright here to be the Poker News presenter. And uh, okay. now, now you uh, do, do you know uh, seriously serious? Are you uh, friendly with him? Yes, I know him. Okay, you know him. So, <laughs> I know him very well. You know him pretty well. So, so you guys, look, if, if you like Seriously Serious, even if you don't know this girl, I suggest you go watch her video. Um, 
Okay. Let me let me see if I can go find her video right now. Uh, I I should have had this prepared because I knew you were going to call in. I I was warned beforehand. I was warned beforehand. It's okay if you don't. (laughs) But I'll get it up. You know, I'd like to produce this show during the uh, during the show. That's how we do it here at Poker Fraud Alert Radio. Here is her video. I'm going to play and uh, again encourage everybody to vote for Sarah Albright and uh, and I'll try to give some kind of uh, basic instructions on how people can get over there because. I'll be honest, our audience is pretty lazy. And if we hold their hand and teach them <laughs> how to get over to the place to vote for you, they probably will. But if it's any kind of work, they're not going to do it. So uh, uh, yeah, here, yeah. here's her video. I'm Sarah Albright, and I really love poker. My favorite poker player is Jason Mercier. I'll fetch his coffee any day. I think the best entertainer in poker is seriously serious. One poker player I really admire is Annette Overston. She inspired me to get into shape. How much weight did she lose? A hundred pounds? Wow. I can speak Australian if you need me to. Leanne Overton, how do you need Don't I really love to get this position. But if not, it's okay. I can join Team now here's your actual song. Right. Jennifer Newell said that I should try out for this job. She said no brain cells required, just be like super hot. We make it better, but then she ate the entire pot. That's uh, Sarah Albright here, and uh, obviously she's uh, laying out all her qualifications in that video, such as the fact that uh, she's a an expert martial artist after learning from Terrence Chan. Yeah, I, I saw them in the video. She was showing moves here. So uh, she also has uh, some very cute sunglasses on in the video. I'll say that. And uh, you know, the, the best way I can describe Sarah, if you haven't seen the video, is she looks like. Uh, the stereotypical girl next door. Like, you think of, like, the uh, like the cute girl next door type, and that's exactly what she looks like, in case you, you're voting for her because uh, because of her looks. And you know, one thing I don't believe from that video is that Jennifer Newell told you that you just have to be super hot. Is that J- Jennifer <laughs> Newell, like, I could never see her making that statement. I'm sure that was a joke. But uh, I love Jennifer Newell. I'm just going to say that right now. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, uh, I'm sure she loves you as she eats her cake batter. So, uh, anyway, definitely go vote for... Uh, Sarah Albright, let's, let's just figure out how to do this here. I'm going to just enter it into Google here and try to figure this out. Because I'll tell you, I'm not going to spend like 10 minutes on the show trying to figure out how to vote either. But let's see. 
vote uh, Sarah okay. Albright. Let's see. I'm, I'm going to direct people exactly how to get there, so you can do this as you listen right now. Okay. So okay. this is what I would suggest to do. All right. Go, go to Google and type in Poker News space vote space Sarah. That's S A R A H. Sarah with an H. Albright, A-L-B-R-I-G-H-T, exactly as it sounds with one L. Sarah Albright. And the first thing to come up will be Sarah Albright dash Poker News. You click on that, this Google result, and you'll see her video up there that I just played if you want to watch it. And then there's a big blue button that says Vote. You click on Vote, which I'm doing right now, and it says Thank You for Voting. You don't need an account. You don't need anything. So um, what you can also do is... uh, if somehow you have access to about uh, 5,000 different unique IPs, you could vote for her 5,000 times. <laughs> of course, uh, this show doesn't... Uh, we, we don't uh, condone doing that. But, uh, but you don't need any kind of account, which is good news for our lazy audience, because they, uh, they just have to go to that URL by typing uh, Poker News uh, Vote Sarah Albright and click on the first result from Google and then just click that blue vote, vote thing and get it done. And, you know, if... If you like this girl's video and you like Seriously Serious and the work he's done on this show, because he used to be a frequent co-host here before he took that bluff job and they wouldn't let him be on the show anymore. Uh, well, they didn't tell him not to, but I think he doesn't feel comfortable doing it, which I don't blame him. So if you like Seriously Serious or like this girl or like both, then vote for her. And uh, if you dislike her, then uh, I suggest you vote for the competition. So uh, is there anything you'd like to add here, Sarah? Honestly, I'm shocked at how many people love that video. Well, you, you shouldn't be. I mean, it was, it was a good video, and I think you're going to win. And I'm going to tell you now something that nobody, I don't think anybody listening to this show knows. Okay. I'm, I'm going to shock the world here, okay? All right, shock me. Okay, I know you're rather young, and you're not going to remember the year I'm about to reference. But in the year 1982, I won an election thanks to a creative song. That's right. In fifth grade, in fifth grade, in 1982, I ran for student body president, and I actually wrote a song to the tune of the then popular commercial "Coke Is It" called "Todd Is It." Now, I have no recollection on how to sing that song, other than the actual uh, chorus that went "Todd Is It." Maybe I can find the Coke Is It commercial okay. here. But uh, I sang that, actually, during my election speech. And despite not being anywhere near as popular in school as the guy running against me, who was very popular, I thought I was going to get creamed by him, um, I barely oh. beat him because I won the third and fourth graders' vote. And all, you know, all the fifth graders loved him and didn't like me, so they voted for him. <laughs> you can laugh, but it's true. But but in third, the third and fourth graders who didn't know either of us, they go like, "I'm going to vote for the guy with the song." So they voted for me, and, and awesome. I and I beat him. Awesome. And I think the same factor is going to win here for you. So uh, even though the fifth graders here may like the other presenters, the, the third and fourth graders are going to go for you on this one because you have the song. Okay. So I th- I think you're going to win. I'm not even kidding here, and I'm not kidding about the uh, the the Todd is it uh, election song that I had. And uh, yeah. n- next next week on this show, we're going to announce the result the results, and hopefully I will not be announcing last place results for you. And uh, yeah. and uh, either way, next week's election results for the Poker News presenter will be brought to us 
by Coca-Cola. Oh, really? Okay. Coke is it the most refreshing way to make the most of every day? That's right. So, uh, Sarah Albright for Poker News Presenter, and uh, thank you very much for calling in, and uh, good luck to you. I just voted for you during the show. I think that if you win by oh, one thank vote, you very much. if you win by one vote, you can thank me later. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Sarah. I will definitely do that. All right. Have a good night. All right. You All too. Right. Good night. So, Sarah, Sarah Albright for Poker News Presenter, and uh, if she does win, I hope she gives me a positive interview next year when I. Uh, you know, make it down to the final table of the main event. Hmm. So, all right. Someone saying in chat, uh, Albright has never heard of the Coke commercial before. I I have to say that's probably likely, since she probably wasn't born for like another 10 years. But, uh, um, yeah, um, I did sell out here, and uh, I, I, I backed a, a candidate. I just, I, I have to admit that I just, uh, I, I was talked into supporting a candidate in a, a race I otherwise didn't care about. But uh, but I'm serious, though. I Vote for Sarah here. I mean, you know, that's, uh, I, I think you can figure out why. But vote for you Sarah here. Hey, hey, Druff, I wanted to tell you, so I don't want to create another topic, but uh, Frank Casella is running for U.S. Senate. Yeah, yeah. I, I heard that he's going to be making a, uh, a campaign song as well based on Coke Is It. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's that's kind of funny. I, I I don't see him uh, winning that, but I, I'm going to support the guy. I've, I've met him a couple times, and he's a really nice guy. So yeah, I, I don't know. Him. Is he was a hardcore Republican, and after I guess the GOP fiasco that happened, now he's a Democrat. Weird. Yeah. You know, I, I can understand um, moving to like a Libertarian party or something if you're not happy with the current Republican party, but I, I can't see like moving completely to the other side just because you don't like the actions of of, of the party itself. Because uh, you move to the other side and and you're, you're against things that you were for just a few years before. So unless you had like a a change in political views, uh, which yeah, I, I can think, understand, I think he does. I think he does. Um, I, I, like I said, I just I signed up to for his like campaign newsletter and stuff. And I mean, he's he seems he's got some pretty good. He's got a pretty good shot, I guess. Well, what, what definitely. What definitely does not sound pretty good right now, though, is uh, for some reason our connection is not very good. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to call you back on uh, on Skype, and we'll try again. Right. You're, you're cutting out pretty badly, so uh, okay. hopefully it'll get better. It was it was kind of marginal earlier, and I just said, ah, we'll tolerate it. But now it's getting hard to hear you, so I'll, I'll try to put you right back on. All right, Okay. So uh, Lon Cigar, we're going to try to get him back here. I think it's Skype's fault that it wasn't working, but uh, we will see. Maybe we'll get a better shot this time. That better? So far. All right. Yeah. All right. So um, moving on to topic number two. Jeez. <laughs> I mean, it's it's just. You know what's funny is. Uh, so, I'll tell another personal story just to delay it even more. Um, Benjamin's mom has to watch Benjamin all on her own on the nights I do this show, obviously. Mm-hmm. And uh, she works a regular job and has to get up very early. 
So Benjamin does not go to bed early. He stays up sometimes till 10.30 or later. So she really hates when this show goes very late these days because then she's forced to stay up as late as Benjamin does. And can try to get him to go to sleep, but if he won't, he won't. And, and then she gets, she gets irritated with me when uh, the show goes really late and, and he hasn't gone to sleep yet. And uh, uh, For example, on Friday night, which, which fortunately didn't matter because she didn't have work the next day, he stayed up to midnight. Oh my god. So so yeah, I, like I hope that doesn't happen tonight because I know we're not going to finish with this show anytime soon and I, I could just see I'm going to like come in the room at 12:30 and he's going to be awake and she's going to be so mad at me. But if, if she knew I was on topic 2 out of 13 right now, she'd just like barge in and and, and pull the plug on the whole thing. But uh, <laughs> I have a two I have a 2-year-old too. I have a 2-year-old son as well. Well, he's going to turn 2 in December. But uh he gets up at 6 o'clock every morning. Every morning. Yeah, so I have the opposite. I, I've got the... And he definitely takes after me with this. He just stays up and stays up and stays up and just does not want to go to sleep. Even if he wakes up early, he tries to stay up as much as he can. And that was exactly me when I was a wow. kid. And and I'm like, ah, oh, crap. Like, this is this is getting back at me for what I put my parents through with it. So this this yeah, really is. Life. I'm like... I, I was actually hoping he would not inherit this from me, but it looks like he did. And... Uh, um, he will sleep later in the morning, but he doesn't get up really late. He gets up like eight thirty or nine or something like that. But even if I forced him to get up at six, he'd still stay up late. So yeah. anyway, well, let's move on so we can uh, maybe yeah. get out of here at a little, I don't know midnight. Yeah. So moving on, uh, Lock Poker is leaving the Revolution Network, and uh, this is really a huge story. I. I kind of wanted to do this first before the Chris Moneymaker thing, but I, I don't know. I, I got so involved in the Chris Moneymaker thing on 2 Plus 2 that I, I kind of wanted to talk about it first, but this lock poker thing is huge, and it just started happening today. Uh, giving a quick background, though we've talked about lock on this show like every week, so if you've been a regular on the show, then you're very familiar with everything going on there. But uh, to, to very quickly summarize it, lock poker has been not paying anyone. They... They take deposits all the time, but very few people, even non-U.S. players, have been paid for the last year or so. And uh, they keep making false promises. Okay, we're going to get everything working by June 1st, and by this date, and by that date, and it never gets any better. It just gets worse. Uh, They've done a whole lot of other shady things that I won't bother to mention because we've talked about it on other shows. But they are part of the Revolution Network right now. Originally, it was reported when they left Merge last year that they were buying the Cake Network, which was in big trouble. They had very long cash-out times themselves, like five-month cash-out times. They were supposedly buying the Cake Network, rebranding it as Revolution. Cake was going to stay on the network, and they did. But Locke was going to be the new owner. And um, it was going to go from there. But things did not get better. Things got worse. And the Revolution Network has been a complete failure and... Only really one skin on Revolution has been paying people quickly, and that's Intertops. And that's because they've been paying out of their own pockets, and they're owed money back by Lock and every every other skin on there, especially Lock. And, um, you know, Intertops was just paying out of their own pockets to keep their good name. Now, when I say paying out of their own pockets, I should explain this. When you have a bunch of poker sites together on a network, you have it where they're all playing against each other. So, for example, a lock player and an intertops player could be seated at the same table. And so what happens if the lock player loses all his money to the intertops player? Well, lock poker owes intertops that money, so intertops can pay him. 
And if Lock Poker does not make that payment over to Intertops, it's got a process called reconciliation. Then Intertops has two choices. They could say, well, Lock didn't pay us, so you're not getting your money, or Intertops confront the money and hope Lock pays them later. That's what Intertops had been doing, but finally stopped and finally segregated themselves from the rest of the network so this can't happen to them anymore. So Lock, for months and months now, has been screwing the other skins on the Revolution Network. When I say other skins, I mean the other uh, sites on the network. Where the Lock players have been losing money, because Lock has been advertising very aggressively wherever they can. And uh, they have a lot of casual players on the network, whereas sites like Intertops and others have a lot more pros. So the Lock players overall are losing a lot of money to the players on the other skins, and Lock should be paying them for it, but they're not. So Lock, in addition to not being able to play to pay their own players, also has not been paying the skins on the Revolution Network. So obviously the network is not very happy about this, especially since it came out that Lock did not actually own Revolution. Lock, it turned out, didn't completely buy Revolution. Uh, the story's kind of murky, but from what I can tell, Lock bought a part of the network and then surrendered it when they couldn't make their payments. Kind of like, okay, we bought a part of the network, we're going to give it back to you guys in lieu of our payments. I think that's what happened. It was never totally made clear. But right now, Locke does not own Revolution. Locke's just a member of Revolution, and the Revolution Network is very angry at Locke for what they've done to them. Because now it's no longer really a network anymore. Uh, A lot of the major skins on the network, like Intertops, have segregated their games, as I said, where they're not, uh, they're no longer a network where you're playing against all the other skins together. And what happens when it's like this is that the player pool is much smaller. So rather than having a player pool of several sites all together, now it's a bunch of skins that are technically connected, but you can't really play against the other players on the other skins. It's almost like separate, uh, a bunch of little separate sites running. And this is all Locke's fault. It's mainly Locke's fault. Now, Revolution itself, uh, which we believe is still currently owned by uh, Cake, that they got it back, essentially, uh, they had plenty of problems before Locke stepped in. So they're not exactly angels themselves. But they've never been as bad as Locke. They've never been quite as shady as Locke. Um, Well, Locke Poker announced that they are leaving their Revolution Network. They just abruptly said, we're gone. We're leaving. Goodbye. We're starting our own network. And uh, you guys are on your own. And they claimed that Revolution breached terms of their contract, and that's why they were doing it. That was their justification. Let me read to you an email I received from Lock Poker. So I open it up. It says, A new beginning is the subject. And there's a picture of a fighter jet on the front. I have no idea why. No idea why a fighter jet is there. Maybe, uh... uh I, I can't even begin to imagine what a fighter jet represents for Locke. I mean, maybe, uh... Uh, maybe they're saying you're going to need a fighter jet to bomb their headquarters if you ever want to get your money from them. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's just uh, that, that's that's their new symbol is a fighter jet. A new beginning. We are excited to announce our next big step. Locke is introducing a brand new client with both native Mac and Windows versions. Not only is the new software much better than anything we've had previously, with your help and feedback, we will make this your favorite poker experience. I don't know how if you're not going to get paid if you win, but all right. Good luck at the tables, and we look forward to hearing from you. Lock Poker, and then there's a link, Download Now. So you 
you get this email if you have a registered account on Lock. You click on it, and you download their new software, and then um, they have your balance right there, and you've, you've pretty much been transferred over to the new network. But wait! There's more. It doesn't end there. You might have some questions. Like, is this going to improve cash-outs? Will Lock finally be able to pay people? And why did they do this? Well, for answers, we need to look to the internet, of course. And there's a lot more to the story than it appears, as is always the case with Locke. So, Locke supposedly dropped off the network because of breaches of contract, but uh, that's not really what occurred. Uh, Lock Poker has uh, essentially um, been kicked off the network, from what I hear. Because they just haven't been paying anyone. And, and uh, so Locke made up their own excuse that uh, they left the network because the network was having outages. So a new poker site has sprung up called Pure Poker. Lon Cigar, have you ever heard of Pure Poker before today? No. No, neither did I. Neither had anyone. Pure Poker has sprung up. Pure Poker somehow has access to all of Locke's database of players. Pure Poker has your balance. Pure Poker has all your info. And Pure Poker is ready to sign you up. And in fact, if you do not download the new lock software through that link and you try to run the old software, a screen pops up. And what used to be Lock Poker, so usually when a site switches networks, something will pop up saying, you need to download new software, you hit OK, it downloads the new software, and you're automatically on the new network. Not here. Instead, instead of popping you up a, a way to download the new lock software, now it comes up with pure poker. Lock poker has turned into pure poker, but not quite. It says, welcome lock players to pure poker. Due to lock's ongoing financial issues, the poker service to lock was terminated. We apologize <laughs> for the inconvenience. So Pure Poker has hijacked Lock Poker. Pure Poker is offering you a chance to redeem your Lock player balance immediately. So that sounds good. All this time you've been waiting to get paid by Lock, and now they've been hijacked by another company saying, hey, we're going to pay you. Then there's a link, sign up here. Go here to learn how to redeem your balance and create a ticket and mention your account balance. Pure Poker has been operating with integrity for 14 years, catering to niche players globally. In addition to playing with, with the same proven software, we offer faster payouts and immediate access to a sports book. So, what is Pure Poker? Is it Lock Poker? No, it's quite the opposite. Pure Poker has indeed hijacked Lock Poker's player base. They are definitely affiliated in some way with Revolution. This is Revolution's way of giving a big, a big middle finger to Lock Poker, who is said to owe the various skins on the network... One million dollars. No, 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 no. Revolution wishes. Not a million dollars. Not even ten million dollars. Over ten million dollars. I don't know how much over ten, but I've been told over ten million dollars is owed by Locke to these skins. Can you believe it? So, that's a lot of money for a small room. And uh, so, Revolution is furious at what Locke had been doing to them. And they've, they've pretty much laid waste to the network. So... 
Pure Poker is their answer to this. So Revolution has started this Pure Poker. Now, I think they're lying about we've been serving... Uh, um, We've been operating with integrity for 14 years they, they might mean I don't even know what they mean Cake hasn't been around that long either But I, I think they're just making this up in some way Or finding some flimsy way to claim it Maybe uh, some people involved with it Were involved with other sites 14 years ago I mean, You go back 14 years There were very few sites There was like Paradise Poker and Planet Poker And that's pretty much it I, I, don't, I don't know what they claim they once were Maybe they're claiming they were once Paradise But that's a big stretch Huge stretch so it's pretty much a lie about the 14 years Which is a little bit Something to be concerned about That they're already lying right off the bat But if you go And look at the details Basically what the offer is Is that you can Redeem your lock funds You can cash them out If you rake that amount On pure poker So let's say you have a balance of 10,000 on lock and you open the lock software and you get this pure poker thing. So what you have to do at that point is you have to sign up for an account on pure poker, open a ticket and say, hey, my balance is 10000 I want to get it back. I want to be able to cash it out. They won't just say, okay, go ahead and cash it out. They will say, okay, you have to rake $10,000 because you have $10,000. Once you have raked $10,000, you will be eligible... To cash out that 10000 And I presume whatever else you have on the site at that point So basically What they're trying to do here At Pure Poker Which again I think is the Revolution Network I think probably is Cake Poker Whoever owns Revolution What they're trying to do here Is get new customers on their site And do it at what they see as zero cost Where they figure If you rake 10000 Then they're going to give you like 100% rake back Pretty much and pay you what Locke owed you now, That sounds like a great deal It's not a great deal if it's being offered by the site who cheated you Because you shouldn't have to rake anything to get your money But if Pure Poker, an unaffiliated third party Is taking over now saying Hey, we're giving you one way to liberate your lock money Through us That's not a bad deal given that they shouldn't have to do anything But I'm a little bit leery as to whether or not they will actually pay why? Well, first of all, Cake was having all kinds of payout problems before Locke even came on board. And they're in much worse shape now than they were when Locke joined them last year. But it goes further than that. Let's go back to that $10,000 example. If you had $10,000 on Locke, and you raked 10000 on pure poker, and now you can claim your $10,000, and let's say you broke even while you played. Um, well, broke even after the rake. On one hand, you can say, well, I've paid them 10000 so if they let me have that 10000 then it's broken even for everybody. But no, it hasn't, because you haven't actually given them any money. What they're really doing here is they're just taking a number on the screen and offering to give you 100% rake back up to that number once you clear it. Because they're not getting anything from Locke. They haven't bought Locke's money at a discount. They're actually just taking over the player base from Locke Without Locke's permission And making this offer of 100% rake back Up to this amount And only when you reach this amount But that doesn't mean they'll have the cash to cover it when it happens They have to get the cash from somewhere And I think this network is already very cash poor So where they're going to get this I don't know I think what they're hoping Is that all these people playing in an attempt to get this done Is going to create action 
and then you'll have a lot of people depositing, and then at that point they will have enough money to pay. But I think, again, we're looking at a situation where they're trying to get people to deposit to pay off other players. I think the whole thing is, again, a little bit shady-looking. I'm not saying not to do it. Definitely, if you want to continue playing on one of these two, do it on pure poker, not lock. Now, someone's brought up that maybe you can do both, because they're not cooperating. And there's no way if you redeem this pure poker offer that, one, lock would refuse your business, too, and two, that lock would even know about it, because they don't have access anymore to this stuff. They have access to the same database pure poker does, but now they're completely separated. They've been kicked off the network. So they won't even know if you've taken advantage of it. So I guess you could do both. But if you're going to play one of those two sites, you might as well do it on pure poker. At least on pure poker, you have a chance of getting it. Lock, you have just about no chance at this point of getting paid. So that's what's going on with pure poker. But it, Lock is not taking this lying down. Lock is furious that pure poker has popped up this message on their old client. This is the first time this has ever happened. I've never seen in what has been about 15 years of online poker. I've never seen it where one site hijacks another. This is crazy. This is a, this is a first. We've had a lot of crazy things happening in online poker. We've never seen it where one site hijacks another and says, "Hey, this site didn't pay anyone. We're taking over now. We'll pay you with this with this offer. We've taken over their software." Ha ha. But uh, Locke has fired back. So this is what Lock Poker said to PokerFuse, which is a very good uh, poker news site, by the way. I recommend them. This is what Lock Poker said to PokerFuse. They claim they have sent uh, legal terms of terminating their contract with Revolution to its regulatory body in Curacao. And they claim that they have put the network operating company, Revolution, and their principals on notice that they will be held liable for any damages for what it calls false and misleading information. <laughs> they claim, and this is a a, a, a statement from, uh, from Locke. Um, Locke sent an email to PokerFuse claiming that its players have been sent a page that contains false and misleading information, subjecting players to, quote, an automatic download of competing poker software. They said, this is clearly an attempt by the network to take lock players and damage Locke's business via a deceptive and misleading practice. The network operator has been given an opportunity to correct this and have refused to do so. In an excerpt of the termination agreement that Locke claims was sent to the licensing authority in Curacao, it details 51 instances of unscheduled downtime and an additional 81 service failures as to the reason Locke allegedly is terminating their agreement with the network. So this is what it looks like to me. Uh, first of all, the thing put up by uh, Pure Poker is not false or misleading. Let's read it again. Due to Locke's ongoing financial issues, the poker service due to the, the poker service to Locke was terminated. We apologize for the inconvenience. Now, while I don't know the full details on why Locke left Revolution and who left first, I have to imagine Locke was probably kicked off. Maybe they weren't, maybe they left first, but it doesn't really matter. They do have ongoing financial issues. I mean, there's no question. So, it would be one thing if Locke was operating properly if they were paying people and then Pure Poker hijacked them over some kind of business dispute and badmouthed Locke with uh, statements about them that weren't true. That would be terrible. But that's not what happened. Locke was cheating people, Locke was cheating the network, 
And Pure Poker seized that opportunity and took over and said, all right, we're taking over. We're going to give you Lock customers a way to get your money back because Lock has not been paying any of you. Fine. Great. I will never, ever feel bad for a scammer getting re-scammed. So I don't care if, if Pure Poker had the legal authority to do this. I mean, the whole thing's a very murky situation legally anyway because it's online poker. But I don't care. I, I think Locke deserved this. And if the players really do have an opportunity to get their money back this way, great. Locke totally deserves it. Now, what about the reason they left? They're claiming about uh, 51 instances of unscheduled downtimes and 81 service interruptions. Look, even poker stars, even the mighty poker stars has downtime and service interruptions. That's a reality of online poker. So, I think they're just trying to find excuses as to why they terminated, and I think it's also possible that Locke quit after they were fired. I think it's possible that they were told they're going to be terminated, and they quickly made a filing saying, oh yeah, well we're quitting first. So maybe uh, Revolution sent a message saying, at the end of this week, we're terminating our agreement with you, because you haven't been paying anyone. And Locke said, oh yeah, well, tomorrow we're terminating with you, so therefore we left first. But you're giving us a few days, and we're leaving tomorrow. I mean, I'm just making this up, but it could have been something like that, where Locke knew they were being kicked out and left even before that. So... There's only one way Locke would have left on their own, and that is if, you know, obviously they didn't have the software developed in one day. They obviously were working on it, so it's very possible that they were working on ditching the network at some point. And maybe they rolled this out because they were fired from the network, maybe because they were kicked off the network, or maybe because they just decided they're done with Revolution. They've already pretty much ruined Revolution. They're they're, uh, ready for something new. Revolution (laughs) has no more to offer them because they've screwed Revolution to the point where the whole thing's a disaster. It's kind of like going to a hotel room that starts out pretty nice, or fairly nice, trashing it completely, making it unlivable, and saying, I can't sleep here anymore. I'm going to the next hotel. You know what? I'm going to start my own hotel. I I think that's what Locke did. They they trashed the whole thing. I mean, Revolution was in bad shape to begin with, so it's not a perfect analogy, but much worse now. Intertops took a bath on this whole thing. Poor Intertops, who has been paying out all its customers because they've had a very, very long-standing good reputation dating back to the mid-90s. In the mid-90s, nobody offered online poker, but they were a sports book then. They still are. So they have this long-standing, really good reputation, which is so important online, and then they can't just say, hey, we're not paying you because Locke screwed us. They had to pay out of their own pockets, and they were furious at Intertops. I know that for sure. So uh, whatever this is, this is a major feud now between Locke and Revolution, who operates pure poker. And this is not going to go away. And I'm very interested to see what happens from this point. Uh, Lon Cigar, how do you feel about this? I, I just I think that they're going to ruin. They're going to jump network ne- network to network and just ruin everyone and not stop. It seems like it. Yeah, they pretty much do that. At least this time, uh, they're on their own network. So uh, the only ones uh, that they can... nobody's 
is going to get paid. Nobody's still going to get paid. No, of course not. Of course not. But right. uh, at least they're on their own <laughs> network, and uh, you know, at least they'll probably just ruin themselves. Right. Right. But but still, I mean, it's it's pretty bad. Yeah, you just got to feel bad for a lot of people that have been trying to get their money out, and they're just—it's one more thing for them to just shake their head at. Yeah, yeah, and it—it uh, it really is terrible. And you know, I, I have been screaming loud against lock poker since Poker Fraud Alert first went up, and that—that that was something that I've been emphatically telling people even before they switched to Revolution, just just from all the shady things they were doing before that. Right. Which aren't even nearly as bad as the stuff they've been doing since then. So, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm just happy I didn't I didn't lose. I mean, I lost some money on Full Tilt, but I'm, I'm just happy I didn't sign up on all these other sites where I would have lost so much more money. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a lot of uh, a lot of opportunities to lose a lot more money for sure, especially these days when uh, the sites that are operating post Black Friday are by definition kind of shady because they're really giving the finger to the U.S. government. And you know anyone who's still willing to operate in the U.S. market at this point, uh, they can't be very reputable. Yeah, you just can't be because if you're that reputable, then you don't want to take this chance to get busted with, with the government right. so gung ho to bust poker sites at this point. So yes, you're you're risking on any site at this point, big time. But uh, Lock has been terrible for such a long time. And for a long time, nobody listened. Now everybody knows they're a joke. But the problem is they still have a lot of casual players signing up because unscrupulous media outlets like Card Player are still advertising them. And a lot of people who don't know better are signing up. And a lot of fish are losing money. They don't, don't even realize that if they ever luck box and win one day, they won't get their money. <laughs> so, I mean, it's really bad. So that's what's going on. I'm going to be watching this one very closely. And I hope that this is the end of lock poker. What I'm hoping here is that everyone hears about pure poker and says, you know what? I'm just going to play on pure poker. And even though they may never pay me either, at least I've got a shot here. <laughs> and I'm just going to say, screw lock poker. They're never going to pay. Pure poker might pay. So I'm just going to play there. I know I could play both, but I'm just going to play on pure poker. And I recommend, if you're one of the people with money on lock, either sell it for the... 11 cents in the dollar, whatever is paying right now on uh, 2 plus 2. Or just play on pure poker. Don't play on lock anymore. Don't don't give them any action. And I'll tell you something. By not playing on lock, you actually hurt them a lot more than you think you do. Because poker is not solitaire. You can't play it by yourself. You need opponents. You need opponents there who want to play the same games as you do. And when a poker site does not have people where they're ready to play then it dies because with no games running everyone just closes it few people want to open a table and wait around forever most people want the instant gratification of playing now that's why I criticize all the people who stayed on UB after the scandal even after knowing it was the same cheaters still running the whole thing they stayed on saying well I get so much rake back and so many perks they actually don't really make money from me and in fact I bust all their donks so I'm hurting them no you weren't you were you were acting as like an unpaid prop there, always providing a game for whoever wanted it, and uh, that's that's helping them. Even if you're a big time net winner and hardly pay any rake, you're still helping them keep games going, and that's very important for poker sites. So, I hope that Lock becomes a complete ghost town with their new software. I hope that most people go over to Pure Poker and say, "Screw this Lock 2.0 crap," 
And I hope this is finally the death of them. I hope finally they just die. Finally they go down. Finally that's the end of them. Because uh, they are just... There's such a cancer on the poker industry. And they deserve to be gone. And I'm so glad that someone is finally standing up to them. You know, Revolution has pretty much been taking it up, up the ass from them for over a year now. And I, I never understood why Revolution let this happen. First I thought they didn't have a choice because Locke owned them, but when I heard they didn't, I'm like, what are they doing? Why don't they kick Locke off the network? I couldn't understand it. But great, not only did they kick them off, or even if they didn't kick them off, even if Locke left themselves, to hijack their site is freaking genius. I love it. I love that they hijack their site. It's great. I love when bad things happen to either bad people or bad companies. I love it. Like I, I hate this. Like I hate when people say, "Oh, an eye for an eye isn't good." Uh, you know, you shouldn't stoop to their level. Of course, you should. Right. If someone screws you, or if a company is screwing everyone, and you find a way to give it back to the company, great. I, I love that. I laugh when I see things like that because it's a. Uh, um, it's like seeing the bad guy in a movie finally get shot himself or finally suffer the same fate that he's been inflicting upon others right um, I remember this one episode of The Outer Limits where uh, it was an episode about uh, this guy who was a, a former Nazi who was uh, who killed a whole lot of Jews in concentration camps back in the 40s and um, at the end of the episode as an old man he was forced to go back in time to his own concentration camp, and the young him shot the old him, thinking he was a Jew. <laughs> and I, I thought that was great. I was like, "This is, this is like such a taste uh, of your own medicine." It and, sounds like that uh, Twilight Zone with Burgess Meredith. He curses everyone because he can't read his books, and in the end, when the atomic bomb falls, he walks outside and his glasses fall off and they break. Yeah, yeah that, that's right. That's a very famous episode. He's left with all of his books, but he can't read them because he can't see. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, uh, this is great, and I hope it works. And the only thing I hope doesn't happen is that pure poker ends up being just as shady as Locke. Because the players deserve better here. And and unlike the people who played on UB and continued supporting it after they were so shady, a lot of the people on Locke really had no idea what was going on there, or at least didn't know the severity of it until it was too late. And I, I don't blame those people. I'm not wishing that these people don't get their money. I'm not rooting against them like I was with the people owed on the UB who continued playing knowing what they were. And uh, now I hope that the people on lock see they have a second choice with the same money, the same accounts, and uh, maybe they can finally get it back if Pure Poker uh, really keeps their word. But my fear is that no one's going to deposit new onto Pure Poker and it's just going to be all the people with lock money playing against each other and then Pure Poker will not be able to afford to play them, or to pay them, no matter what people rake. Because if you think about it, um, let's say, you know, let, let's say people rake uh, a ton of money on there. Way more than the requirements, but nobody deposits. Well, then Pure Poker has no money. The only right. way poker sites get money is when people, de- when people deposit. So, but I hope it works out. And I hope when I say works out, I hope what I really mean is that lock goes down and that the players get paid. So, good luck to yeah. them. Yeah, who's going to really pay him though? That's the bad part. Yeah, well, I'll hope for the best. And you know, if the, if the <laughs> players don't get paid and lock still goes down because of this, then I still think it's a net win. Right. 
All right, so uh, moving on to topic three. Let's talk about more uh, stealing of money by poker sites, since uh, that seems to be the theme tonight. The Merge Network. Locke's former network. The Merge Network that I really didn't have much of a problem with up until now. The Merge Network that I actually played on actively in uh, 2011 and, and parts of 2012. I, I left Merge because I just didn't like the game selection anymore and it was getting tougher to get paid there and I, I just didn't want to bother with it anymore. But I didn't leave because of any kind of scandal or anything terrible about them and I, I've never criticized anyone for playing on Merge but uh, this is a very disturbing story. Um, Merge had a VIP program And when I say Merge, uh, by the way I- I'm referring, I'll refer to them interchangeably With a skin on Merge The main skin, the flagship skin Called Carbon, Carbon Poker Which I'm sure most of you have heard of uh, But Carbon Poker They do rake back Through a VIP program Kind of similar to Poker Stars And I'm going to read you The details of their current VIP program And when I say current, I mean very current, not what was in existence uh, a month ago. But this is their current VIP program. They have three levels. Carbon, Carbon Plus, and Carbon Elite. Now, unlike Poker Stars, where you start off at bronze, even if you've never played a hand, on Carbon, you have no VIP level until you've earned a certain number of points. So when you've earned 500 VIP points, then you become just Carbon. And uh, once you're carbon, what you can do is you can exchange 10% of your points for cash. Or, sorry, your points you can exchange for 10% cash. So basically, um, this is 10% rake back. Uh, for 1,000 VIP points, you would get $10 cash. <laughs> so uh, I guess you get, uh, what, like... Uh, for every dollar you rake, you probably get um, uh, like ten VIP points. It looks like, yeah, yeah, ten VIP points for every dollar. I'm, I'm just working out the math here. So ten VIP points for every dollar you rake, and when you have a thousand, then you could exchange it for ten bucks, which is equivalent to ten percent back of the of the rake you've been paying. And that's if you're the carbon VIP level. Now, if you're the carbon plus level which is actually the highest one you can get on your own, you can exchange your points for a little bit of a higher rate. You have to wait till you accumulate 10,000, but you can accumulate 10,000 VIP points and then exchange them for $150. So you're getting basically 15% of your rake back in cash. But you have to be a Carbon Plus member to do that. And uh, the way you become a Carbon Plus member is by earning 5,000 VIP points in a month. Then there's the Carbon Elite tier, which is only available through invite. Those people get 35% rake back, where 1,425 VIP points gets them $50 cash. So they get 35% of their rake back through this, every 1,425 VIP points earned. But you can't reach this Carbon Elite level on your own. They have to invite you. And from what I'm hearing... The way you become Carbon Elite is you're a fish. I'm not kidding. That uh, If you're a big depositor on the site who keeps depositing again and again and again, they make you Carbon Elite because uh, they want to kiss your ass and get you to keep depositing. But if you're a grinder who wins on there, 
or even breaks even, then you're not going to be carbon elite because uh, you're not as valuable to them. So they're not going to invite you in that case from what I'm hearing. Now, this is the current VIP structure for carbon poker. It goes from nothing to carbon to carbon plus, then carbon elite, which is invitation only. Now, all of this sounds fairly standard. Nothing scandalous about that by itself. But prior to October 1st, Carbon Plus members were eligible to exchange 20,000 VIP points for $700 cash, which is 35%. Of course, that's very different than what I just read today on October 29th, which actually has been the same since October 1st, of 15%, or 10,000 for 150. So even if you want to convert both to 20,000, 20,000 VIP points today will get you $300 in cash, and uh, before October 1st, it would get you 700 in cash. Now, you could say, hey, nobody should force Carbon to always have the same VIP benefits. They can change it if they want. It's their own program, and I absolutely agree. Just because they're giving away 35% rake back today does not mean they have to do it tomorrow. Nobody's requiring them to give that much rake back. When they lower their rake back, then you as the consumer, has the, you have the ability to say, I don't want to play anymore on carbon because they've lowered my, uh, my rake back. But at least you can make an informed decision that they've lowered the rake back, now you have to decide whether it's still worth playing there. So what's the problem? What, I say that they stole from people. This so far sounds okay. Except there's one problem. They retroactively applied the new rules to existing points. So let me give you an example. Let's say on September 30th, you had 19,000 VIP points, and you were a Carbon Plus member. And you're saying, oh good, just one more thousand VIP points, and I will be able to exchange these 20,000 for 700 real dollars. So, so far, and you break out your calculator, 35% of um of of 190 or for, sorry of 19,000 points of uh, 35% is uh $665. So so far I've earned $665 even if I can't redeem it yet I have to wait till I earned 1000 more VIP points but so far I've effectively earned 665 and and you can consider that earned because you know up until this point you know on September 30th that that's what you've earned because you know they're giving you 35% rake back. And they've been promoting that. And they've been saying, hey, play on Carbon Poker, play on Merge, because this is what we're giving you as a Carbon Plus member, 35% rake back. And you've paid that rake, and you know every dollar of rake you pay that you're going to get 35% back later. Not right away, but later. Well, then October 1st hits. And without any warning, they say, oh, guess what? You know that 19000 you already earned that you thought was worth $665? Uh, it's not. We've decided to revalue it to three-sevenths of what it once was. So now, that 19000 which before was worth $665, will effectively be worth $285. Just gone. That, that the money you thought you already earned is gone. <laughs> and uh, let's say you had a lot more than 19000 Let's say you had 180000 You just didn't bother to cash them in. You were just lazy. You just know at any time you could have, you know, you can redeem 20,000 points nine times and get uh, $6,300. Well, 
well, if you were too lazy to redeem them, or just holding on to your points for whatever reason, now those as well have been devalued by more than half. And now that $6,300 would be worth $2,700. Big difference. Unbelievable. And I, and I just gave you a real-life example with someone that uh, was mentioned on my forum. So what's the problem with this? Some people on 2 Plus 2 are defending this, saying, hey, look, these are VIP points. These are these are promotional. They don't have to give you anything. They can change the program whenever they want. Look what airlines do. Airlines change all the time how many miles it costs to fly somewhere. You have no right to say, hey, you have to give me what you would offer you had yesterday. That's true. And that's why if Carbon wants to change it going forward, fine. Then everybody knows what they're getting. If they say today going forward, it's 15% for Carbon Plus members, fine. Then you have the option, continue playing for 15%, or quit playing. It's your decision as the player. You know what you're getting. But they cannot devalue points you've already earned. And just because you haven't hit 20,000 yet to redeem it, if you were playing before with the belief that you were earning 35% rake back but just can't actually get the cash until you hit 20,000, that should not mean that they can retroactively take away that value, and especially if you had more than 20,000 retroactively take away that value. When they retroactively take away that value, they are stealing. Period. Let me put it to you another way. If any online poker site makes you believe that you are earning a certain percentage of rake back, like 35%, if you believe you're earning 35% of rake back when you're playing, and if something happens later to where you're not earning 35% rake back, and it turned out you weren't the whole time and thought you were, you have been misled. You have been scammed. There should be no excuses. If you feel that you've been misled, if you feel that you've been gypped out of some money, you probably have. Don't make excuses for them. Don't say they can do it because they're promotional points. Don't say, well, I don't like it, but I understand it. No! They don't have the right to do this. This is a bait and switch. Let me give another example in case you still think I'm wrong. Let's say I decided to open a bar down the street. And I open my bar, and nobody comes in. Because everybody likes the bar that is a block away, that's been there for longer, and they they don't want to come into my bar and try it. And I'm like, damn it, it's a ghost town in here. What do I do? I go, oh, I have an idea. And I post a big banner outside my bar saying... Come into this bar and you'll get 90% cash back on all drinks you order after you've ordered 200 drinks. And people come in and say, how does this work? I can't drink 200 drinks in one night. And I say, no, you don't have to. I'm going to give you this card. Every time you buy a drink, I'm going to electronically put on this card the value of the drink you ordered. When you reach 200 drinks, I will run your card and I will hand you in cash 90% of the money that you spent here for these 200 drinks combined. So essentially you're getting a 90% discount, you just have to wait until you've ordered 200 drinks to get it. Well, you'd probably say, wow, what a deal. You'd probably start drinking in my bar, as would most people in the neighborhood, with such a huge discount. Even if they don't get the discount right away, they are drinking at my bar knowing that after they've drank 200 drinks, they get 90% of their money back. Well, what if after you've ordered 195 drinks, I announce, guess what? I decided I can't afford to do this promotion, so I'm changing it to where you only get 
10% cash back. So yes, you can have your five more drinks and reach 200, but I'm only going to give you 10% cash back on those 200, not 90. Do you think I could legally get away with that? Could I just say this is a promotion and I'm changing the terms? No. Could I say you haven't reached 200 yet, so therefore you're not entitled to the 90% back, and if I change it before you reach 200, tough luck? No. Can I compare this to airlines changing the amount of miles it takes to take a trip across the U.S. from day to day? No. Why? Because I am offering you a cash discount. I'm offering you cash back on services or goods you're purchasing. And you are purchasing these goods or services based upon the belief you're getting this discount. And if I change it after the fact, I have to give you the discount I promised up to the point when I made the change. I have to by law. Otherwise, it's a bait and switch. And those laws are in place to prevent situations like what I just described with the bar. Otherwise, all these businesses would do it and get away with it. They'd get all kinds of give all kinds of crazy discounts once you've reached a certain milestone and then cancel the whole thing before anyone reaches the milestone and keep all their money and get away with it. So in order to prevent that, that's why there are laws against that. Now, the law doesn't matter much for Merge, who's already breaking the law by offering real money poker to the U.S. I understand that. You can't sue them. But I'm using that as an example to show you that they are cheating you, that they are violating laws that are in place to the U- in the U.S., to prevent such bait-and-switch scam-type tactics. They have scammed you. If you believe you are earning 35% rake back, and if you made no mistake in believing that, and then you don't get 35% rake back, that means you were cheated. No excuses. That is what happened. So what do you do at this point? Well, you should raise hell about this. Raise hell on 2 plus 2, which, by the way... uh, Carbon has removed their form from 2 plus 2 just about two weeks before this happened, which I'm sure is no coincidence. But uh, raise hell on 2 plus 2's merge thread. Raise hell by email to uh, Carbon and wh- whatever other skin you play on. And uh, boycott the site. Tell them you're not going to play anymore until they give you back the money they stole from you. I don't care if this only ended up costing you $80 or something. They should give you every penny they stole from you in this fashion. And just to be clear, I'm saying that they should give you they should prorate whatever points you have prior to the change on October 1st and give you the old rate on those points. So if you've earned 6000 points and you were a carbon plus that you haven't redeemed, they should give you the 35% on those 6000 and then anything after that then they should give you the 15 as it currently is. So they shouldn't lock you in for 35 for life, but they should lock you in at 35 on anything you earned prior to October 1st. Anything short of that is stealing. It's not just something scummy or shady, it's actually stealing real cash out of your pocket. And for that reason, I would avoid merge, I would cash out, and I would stop playing there until things change, because if they're willing to cheat you this way, they're willing to cheat you in other ways. And by the way, the reason they're doing this, I've heard, is not because merge is broke, not because they can't afford to pay people like Locke. Merge is doing this because they are declaring war on grinders on their site. They decided they don't like grinders. They don't like people who cash out frequently. 
They don't like people who win. They don't like people who take money out of their economy. Because what happens if you are a winning player, you cash out, and the money you cash out never gets raked again. And they don't like that. So they're trying to scare off the winning players, and that's the way they're doing it. So they don't really care if you leave, but if enough people get up and leave, their site's going to become a ghost town too. So how do you feel about this? Uh, Yeah, I mean, you just got to... Like I said, I wouldn't go on anywhere. Even uh, I mean, that whole breakback program, just learning from the full build thing, you, you can never expect what they're going to give you. They can promise you everything. The same thing with, uh, you know, these... The, I think we'll have to ask Ryan about it, but WSOP, I don't know what kind of program they have, but you have to maintain a ton of rake to just get some stuff back from them. It's just getting harder and harder, and they, you're right, they can change it whenever they want. And unless you raise hell, you're not going to get anything. And even then, you know, it's a crapshoot, but you got to try something. Because all those people that have contributed all that money, all that rake, all that time, you know, what, they all of a sudden lose everything? That's not right. Yeah. And that's, I mean, uh, what, yeah, what do you think is going to happen? It's going to be like the full tilt thing. They're going to say, well, too bad. You lost your points. Big deal. Yeah. You yeah, know, they, and then you're going to cash out, and then they'll make you wait. They, they probably have a flag system to flag you, like, oh, make this guy wait a little longer for his cash out, or you know what I mean? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they stall the people who now instantly cash out after this has happened. I, I felt at times, like when, uh, I mean, back in, like, I don't know if you ever played on, what was that site, Hollywood Poker? Didn't they have a site? It was called Hollywood Poker way back when. But anyway, I raised hell on that site, and it, took me forever to get my cash out. And I'm pretty sure it's because I was being a dick to support. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, some of those people are very uh, punitive and and uh, try to screw with people who give them a hard time, right. even if they're right about giving them a hard time. So Yeah, I mean, even Ultimate Poker, you know, I mean, the, the, knock on wood, I haven't had any problems after the first couple of times. I heard people get just having massive complaints you know, and it's just if you get someone on a bad day, who knows what they're going to do, you know? Yeah. Uh, now, keeping along with this theme on Merge of hating regulars, hating grinders, hating winning players, Poker Host, another skin on Merge, is taking it one step further. Now, they're not directly cheating anyone, as far as I know, but they're doing something... I don't know if it's more offensive, but it's it's uh, pretty damn offensive. This is, this is really bad. I, I couldn't is this, believe. Uh, not, is this if you win, you lose? <laughs> yeah, th- this is this is crazy. I, I never heard anything like this before, but uh, apparently this is really happening. Poker host is banning players for the horrible crime of. Winning. That's right. If you're a winning player, a regular winning player on poker host which is a merge skin you get kicked off and uh, this is starting to happen very recently so it's just starting to be reported and in fact it's, there's not even a, a thread about this on 2 plus 2 there's some discussion on 2 plus 2 but no thread I I created the first uh, thread about this anywhere as far as I know poker host has now one-upped bodog and uh, and carbon poker in their never-ending war against online poker sharks. They're now banning winning players for no other reason than their success on the site. They're not even putting up false pretenses like saying, oh, we're suspecting you of cheating or anything like that. They're just 
say, hey, you're winning, we don't want you here, you can cash out, but your account's closed. So here's some reports from 2 Plus 2 in the uh, poker host thread. It's not getting much attention, though. Uh, These are from reputable posters. One guy named uh, Weang Barboza says, Poker host closed my account today, classified me as a shark. That's a terrible thing to be a poker shark, right? Nobody wants that. Saying they're going more recreational and I won too much, and I didn't deposit or rake enough uh, profit of $2,400 in a few months of tournaments. He made a whopping $2,400, and they think uh, that's just too much for them. He's too much of a shark. (laughs) So uh, that's... uh, And then the story goes on. I tried to log in today... Or sorry, they're cashing me out and said I can go elsewhere on the network. I tried to log in today, got a pop-up saying my account was suspended. I emailed the address that was listed on the pop-up, then received a phone call from an unknown number. I knew it was them since I had just sent an email. A guy with poker hosts said he had a list of players that were classified as sharks and weren't depositing or raking enough, but winning and cashing out. That's horrible. So I guess my low buy-in, but winning had something to do with it, and they were trying to take the more recreational route. So the guy's saying, we have a list of people like you. We are here to exterminate the winning players. <laughs> you are one of them, and we are exterminating you. We're taking you to the poker gas chamber. And you will never play poker again on our site. Can you believe this? A list of players who are classified as sharks? As if It's not like we have a list of cheaters or colluders or multi-accounters. We have a list of winners. We have a list of good players. Uh, you're one of them. You're not welcome here. And he said that he wasn't depositing and raking enough and winning too much. So the, the complaint is, you're winning too much money too quickly. We think you're honest. We think you're winning it legitimately. But uh, we don't like it anyway. We're trying to take a more recreational route, meaning we don't want anyone who's ever going to take money off our site. So then Weang went on to write, I also have friends that have made more than me, but they've not been contacted yet. Also, I've made more on other skins of Merge with no problem before this. Just thought it was the least I could do and try to help the community by posting this. Wish I had the proof to show, but it was just a phone call. But just in case you think Weang Barbosa here is making this up, then some other people chimed in. Reasons14 wrote, I have a horse, referring to someone that uh, he's staking, who shipped a Maximus, that's uh, one of the tournaments there, during the last series for about 16k. He's played less than 200 games, and his account got suspended today. The guy I talked to in regards to affiliate stuff confirmed that it's because he's won too much and raked too little. Sounds familiar. Another guy, BamaTide88. I have to guess this guy is uh, a fan of... The Roll Tide? The Alabama Tide and his... 25 years old. They just have a feeling that that Bamatide 88 might have those stats. Got banned for being a shark as well. Sick, the site called me a shark. And then a guy named Raisin Prey said, confirmed from my affiliate, poker host is banning winning regulars. And this, uh, this is him asking his affiliate, banning all regulars now? And then the affiliate said, some few big winners, yes. I don't understand this business model one iota scratching my head. So, this is actually worse than it looks. 
it's bad enough that they're trying to kick off winning players just because uh, they don't like them taking money out of the poker economy and they want to try to rake the mediocre and losing players more. Uh, now, now, Poker Host is making it very clear that they hate players who take and don't give. That is, they hate the ones that show up, deposit very little, run it up huge, and then take money off the site. They, they don't like when you show up and deposit like 50 bucks and you know, turn it into thousands and say, okay, thank you, I- I'm cashing it out, or I'm cashing it out all but a tiny bit and I'm going to run it up again. They, they hate that. Uh, now, a- admittedly, this is terrible for a poker room from a business standpoint, as that money actually leaves the site and never gets raked again. Uh, in a perfect world for a poker site, if you're running one, nobody would ever win enough to cash out, but instead would consistently trade money back and forth through normal variants, and all that money would eventually vanish due to rake, and then uh, new money would routinely be deposited to replace it. So that would be the perfect world for a poker site, but that's an unrealistic world. Of course people are going to win. Of course people are going to cash out. Of course there's going to be players who are more skillful than others. <laughs> that will win their money and cash it out. You can't avoid that if you run a poker site, but it looks like poker host is trying. Uh, so they are actually trying to get the winners off and trying to keep as much money as possible in their poker economy. Now, here's the bigger problem, is that they may be trying to bring the number of large cash-outs down to zero, allowing themselves to operate with almost zero cash on hand regarding player deposits. Because if you think about it, if they can get if they can get it to the point where the players in there are hardly cashing out, then they don't need to cover cash outs. Right. And and then they don't they can take the money deposited and spend it right away instead of having to hold it just in case one of these guys wants a big cash out. So uh I, I think that might be what they're doing. And um it doesn't make all that much sense because they are a, they are a skin on merge, they're not their own site. So I'm thinking, why do they care so much if their sharks are, are beating up on fish on other skins? Uh, because it doesn't affect them. Uh, now, these grinders actually make them a lot of money due to the high rake, and if the money's coming from players on other skins, then uh, it doesn't matter so much to them if the if the network suffers a little bit, as long as they as their own fish are not getting beat. But if it's mostly other skins' fish, which it probably is, poker host is not a huge site, why do they care so much, especially if they're making a lot of rake on it? I have to think that Poker Host uh, is probably, I, I don't know for sure, but I think they're probably running their own cashier. Ugh. And uh, I, I think this is probably a way to, for them to keep less cash on hand. This is probably a way for them to never have to worry about covering any kind of large cash out. Yeah, I gotta ask you, do you think anyone has segregated funds? No. I don't think That's... any of them. I, I, I think none of them do. I think Merge has been generally responsible enough with the money to where you know the network itself is not suffering what lock is. I think they they basically have enough. And I think this is what poker host is trying to avoid. I think poker host is in order to not become a lock is uh, is trying to just already remove the players who are going to be right. cashing out a lot in the future and this way they don't have to really process many cash outs. This this you know they'll pay them now. They're not going to steal they're not stealing these players money. Don't get me wrong. They're they're telling these people they can cash out and as far as I know they'll probably get their money, but uh, and yes, they have a right to refuse to serve these players. That's, that part is not a scam. That part is fine. I th- I, it's not totally fine. I think it's awful as far as a uh, precedent for poker sites to be setting that you can't win. I think that's ridiculous. But but it's not shady. It's not uh, scandalous. It's not stealing. But if this is being done for purposes for them to just not have to keep anyone's money on hand 
because they know they won't have to make any big cash outs for anyone after they get all these winners off, then that is stealing, just stealing in the future. And uh, I, I mean, it I, just seems like it wouldn't be that hard. You know what I mean? I mean, I don't know. I, I think I think what they're doing. I th- this is the problem. This is the problem. Let's say you have a bunch of friends that keep bringing over large stacks of cash to you and say, hey, hold this for me. Don't spend it, just hold it for me. And you say, oh, okay. And then you, you hold the cash, and eventually you have just millions and millions of dollars in cash you're holding for other people, but in reality, you have very little money yourself. You're holding right. millions of dollars, but, but you're living from hand to mouth, and you're working some kind of crappy job. And If you're a very honest person, you don't ever touch that money. And you say, hey, I'm, right. I'm holding it for these guys, they're my friends, I'm not going to touch their money. But, but how tempting would it be to, to want to dip into that, especially knowing that they're not all going to come and ask for the money at the same time. Uh, you know, it, it'd be very tempting to spend that money. And that's basically what these poker sites are doing. They have a hard time just sitting on all this cash and not spending it, even if they know this is player money. They rationalize, well, as long as we can cover cash outs, it's fine. You know, we, we're making money, we can replace it. Uh, you know, they, they make excuses to themselves, and... I'm afraid maybe even poker hosts have spent a lot of people's money already, and they they think it's gotten to the point that they they don't want it to become unmanageable, and this is the only way they can do it. I I'm just making up theories at this point, but there's something really strange about this, especially because they're not the only skin on the network. So why do they care so much if their grinders are beating other people? Right. Uh, in fact, I'll tell you, a merge skin that doesn't exist anymore. At one point, actually offered to stake me when I started to lose my enthusiasm to play on Merge, and I was like, you know, I think I'm quitting here. I just don't like the game selection that much anymore. And I don't like the cash out problem. Like, one of the Merge skin operators called me and said, "How would you like us to stake you?" And uh, I, I forgot the percentage they offered that I would be able to keep, but they would take all the risk. They would stake me, and I said, "All right, but why are you doing this?" And they said, "Well, we're trying to get your rake, to be honest." We're happy getting your rake, and uh, you know we think you're going to win too, which will be a bonus. But uh, we're not even that concerned with uh, with that. We think you'll at least break even, and uh, we think you'll win. But even if you just break even, we'll be happy to get your rake. We just need a lot more rake, and you're a high-ranking player. We just want to get the rake. And so this person was very happy to have me beat up on fish. They in fact wanted to give me their money to do it. <laughs> I ended up not doing it because I, I just. Uh, the games weren't high enough, and if they were, I was only getting a percentage of what I was winning. Then it was really low for me. Ugh. But uh, but so I didn't bother with it. But uh, that's why I don't quite understand about this, unless this is really poker hosts' attempt to just not have to ever worry about paying large cash outs once they get all these winners off. So this just by itself is really just violating the whole uh, concept of poker that it's okay to win, it's okay to be better than other people at the table. It's okay to be successful. So, uh, JSTAT in the chat wrote, and this is a, JSTAT is a longtime blackjack card counter. He has made videos on YouTube where you can learn how to card count, and uh, he's followed the blackjack world a lot. Mm. So, he, he knows a lot about the positive expectation gaming world. So, he wrote, a positive EV player must deal with bannings. If a good blackjack player is never barred, he, she is a loser in the long run. Look, that's true. But this is different, because this is actually why I was attracted to poker. I was, I was playing blackjack 
before I was playing poker. Not all that long before, but I was playing before, and something I found frustrating with blackjack was that I, I could only win a certain amount before they kick me out, or before I have to run before they kick me out. Because, they, you know, I could only be a winning player by being a card counter, which is against the rules, which means uh, I have to quickly run if I win money there. And if I lose money, I can't even stay and, and chase my losses. I have to just get up and leave the loser. Like, it was so frustrating. And once I started playing poker, I'm like, wow, I, I can kind of be the house. I, I can kind of, you know, I can have the edge over the other people playing against me, and yet I don't have to look over my shoulder as to who's watching me or, or, or worry about being kicked out of the casino. I, I, I can do, I can play completely within the rules and stay as long as I want and win as much as I, I can. And yeah. and this is totally within the rules of the game. Great. I, this is wonderful. The only thing that kind of sucks is having to pay rake, which makes <laughs> it harder to beat the game. But But still... Uh, th- this is much better than blackjack, especially these days. So right. I-, I think it's understandable that a positive expectation player can expect bannings from casinos, but you shouldn't be banned for being a winning player in poker where th- where the whole point of poker is where some people are going to win and some people are going to lose, and it's not entirely dictated by luck. Otherwise, you just flip coins with each other. Uh, right. Poker is a skill game that has luck as an element of it as well. So... Uh, I think that's awful what they're doing at Poker Host, and I hope this is not going to become a pattern in online poker, and especially with Poker Host being a merge skin and with merge declaring war in a different way by uh, stealing VIP points from people or VIP value, and then after that lowering what the players can earn in rake back. I, I think this is all a very bad direction and becoming just downright hostile to regular players. And look, I've got to defend regular players. Regular players keep the games going. Right. And I used to joke on Absolute Poker, back before I knew about the scandal, of course, but uh, when I played a lot there in 2007, I started so many games. I sat there all the time by myself, got so many six-max games started. I wasn't one of these heads-up guys. I was sitting in six-max tables by myself, got games going, and in fact, I would get the fish, entertain, I would entertain the fish. I, I would find, I'd kind of like figure out what the fish want, like if, if they want me to talk trash to them, or what, like, I would make the whole environment fun there, and of course. everyone would get playing there, and the games would go for hours and hours, all thanks to me starting them, and, and, and you know, acting a certain way in the chat and everything, and I said, wow, AP should pay me to do this, because they've made so much rake because I've been here. And at the same time, I won a lot of money that year on that site. But uh, I was still getting games going. If I was not sitting in these games by myself, a lot of them would have never gone, and AP would have made a lot less. And mm. the point is, regular grinders there, even if they win a lot of money, are still very valuable for the site. Because what's even worse than a fish's money getting won by someone else is the fish not playing at all because he can't find a game he he likes there. So uh, they're not considering that. And I think this war against the uh, grinder is misplaced. But uh, I especially don't like just banning winning players. That's really bad. Right. So uh, getting away from the topics of online poker network stealing and players free-rolling one another. All this all this stealing we're talking about, and all this banning and stealing. And Let's talk about something of a more personal nature, and that <laughs> is divorce. I've never been a fan of poker relationships. I'll tell you, I've never been in a poker relationship. 
I did date a girl briefly about five years ago who was kind of a peripheral member of the poker community. When I say peripheral, I mean she knew a lot of poker players but didn't really play much herself. And I did date a poker dealer very briefly about 12 years ago, but that was it. Uh, neither of these were ever any kind of real relationship. I never wanted to date any female poker players because I, I just thought that there were just too many potential problems with it. Um, problems where the girl may want me to stake her or loan her money if she's not running well. Um, problems with jealousy or resentment about uh, you know one person doing better than the other. Um, and frankly, problems where since males outnumber females so much in the poker community, problems where if the girl is appealing at all, that I'm going to have so many dudes constantly competing with me for her, even when I'm already with her, that'll you know constantly probably badmouth me to try to get her to leave me. I mean, who needs that? So, like, mm-hmm. you know, hope they're next in line. And believe me, this has happened all the time in poker. I, I've, I've heard of this so many times. That's why you see girls in the poker community jumping from one guy to another. Because, like, you know, a, a girl in poker is dating a guy in poker, and she becomes unhappy with him for whatever reason. She knows that if she's even average looking, she probably has like a, a line of a hundred dudes wanting to date her after him. So she's like, "Hey, I don't yeah. want to put up with you. Yeah. Goodbye." So, so uh, I, I've never liked poker relationships, but Jennifer Harmon entered a kind of a strange relationship a while back with a guy named uh, Marco Traniello, who I believe was a hairdresser at the time. I don't know if he was yeah, her hairdresser. Yeah, I think he was a hair s- stylist in Italy or something. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I, I don't even know how she met him. But um, it, this is what it says on Wikipedia, on uh, Marco Traniello's Wikipedia. And by the way, he's younger than she is. He's younger than I am. He's born in April of 73, so he's 40. She, I think, is like 47 or something. But uh, putting that aside, uh, in 1999, while on vacation in America, you know, he's Italian... Traniello met his future wife, professional poker player Jennifer Harmon, in the parking garage of the Bellagio, where their cars were parked next to each other. So that was like a chance meeting. I don't know if this is true, but it probably is. Not, not exactly the most romantic story, but a parking lot. But uh, <laughs> uh, they met each other with uh, their cars parked next to one another. Uh, you know, I, I can just picture it. You know, Marco was this like good-looking Italian playboy type, and. You know, I'm surprised he was even straight, being that uh, he's a professional hairdresser. So I've I've actually heard uh, rumors contradicting that as well, but uh, I, I won't even get into that. But Marco, I can imagine you know, he's talking to her and and you know kind of flirting with her, and then she you know she likes him because she thinks he's good looking and and uh, you know Styler. It's probably Styler Harry probably told her you know how she can improve her hair color. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's probably saying... Uh, beauty, beauty tips, Ruff. Yeah, he's, he's probably like, Oh, mamma mia, you got to do something without the hair. You know, so, so, <laughs> so, and she's like, Oh, I love you. So, um, <laughs> uh, he was probably fascinated with her being a poker player, and she was probably fascinated with his, his accent and the <laughs> fact that he was good looking, and, and who knows what it was. But uh, they, they hit it off, and they ended up getting married. And... He became a professional poker player after that. I'm always skeptical of people who become professional poker players through their spouse or significant other. Because becoming a 
a, a decent poker player, a winning poker player, is tough, and it actually requires some natural skill for the game. And it's even hard to describe what kind of skill that is. It's not just intelligence, because I know some very smart people who suck at poker. Just suck big time at poker, and no matter how much they would try to get better, would still suck. I also know some people who were not very smart at all who were great players. <laughs> so, it's not really about smarts, though I will say a smarter person has a better chance to be a good poker player than a dumb person. It's not just about that. There's a certain natural ability you have to have. I think if you're a smart person, you can somewhat teach yourself to somewhat have that ability, and uh, I, I'd like to think that I've done that, that, uh, that I, I was able to kind of reason out uh, what what needs to be done at the poker table, and that it's uh, probably more of that than natural skill. But uh, but, but I, I also probably have some natural skill at the game that uh, you know someone with equivalent intelligence to me may not have, and may be a worse player than I am. And and a person with equal intelligence to me that has more natural skill for poker would be better than me. So it's whenever someone becomes a professional poker player through someone that they are dating or married to, I'm very skeptical that they really are professional or that I I really think it's more likely that they're leeching off of whoever they're with. That they're getting bought in by the successful player of the couple. That they're riding their coattails. And unlike a situation like a father and son, like Todd and Doyle Brunson, well, okay, you can say Doyle's a great player, Todd Brunson is half of Doyle Brunson, so it stands to reason that it's uh, not hard to believe that a guy who has half of Doyle's genes would also be a good player. He wouldn't have to be, but it's not hard to believe. But someone who does not have the same genes... What was that? I said he probably saw him growing up, too, half his life his dad was playing cards, probably... Right, right. Yeah, that's that's very true as well. You you just learn from watching as well. You you gain a lot of experience. So, but but when Marco the hairdresser <laughs> is is going out with with well-respected professional poker player Jennifer Harmon and suddenly becomes a professional poker player himself, you have to wonder, you know, how successful is this guy? And right. I don't really see him play cash very much or at all. And yet, his total live tournament winnings exceed 600,000, according to his World Series of Poker, or no, his his, uh, his Wikipedia page. That sounds pretty good, 600,000. But think about the fact that he has played a lot of tournaments, a whole lot of tournaments, a whole lot of big buy-in tournaments over time. As you guys know, I am not a regular tournament player. I pretty much play the World Series, and that's about it. I, play, I played a few others over the years, but mainly the World Series, since 05. And I have 800,000 in tournament caches, and you wouldn't think of me, if you, if you followed my poker career at all, you wouldn't think of, you know, Todd Wittellis, the great tournament player, Todd Wittellis, the super successful tournament player. You know, you think of Todd Wittellis, who had a very good year in 05, and has had a few hits since then, like, you know, this year's fifth place in the World Series uh, 5K limit event, but, yeah, I'm not, I'm not someone you would think of killing the tournament scene. I'm just not there in the tournament scene. I'm not losing in it. I'm just not playing it. Except for once a year at the, at the World Series. So, with all the caches, or with all the events he's entered, caching 600k total is not very good. I'm sure he's down. Not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure. Uh, 
So now, yeah, Jennifer, I'm sure he played in Europe too, right? Oh yeah, sure. I mean, I, I think he's played all over. I, I, I mean, I've heard about him playing so many different events. Yeah. So, uh, so, and also the big buy-ins really add up quickly, really, really add right. up quickly. So, that the 600k can get eaten up super quickly if you enter a number of 10k events, 25k events. I mean, you you enter 60 10k events, the 600,000 is gone. Yeah, who knows? You might be giving her some money too. <laughs> so now Jennifer Harmon, I've heard different stories as to how successful she is. Now I'm not saying she's a bad player. Um, she had a very good reputation. She was uh, doing well in the limit hold'em. She used to just be a limit hold'em player a long time ago, and. Um, all of a sudden, she moved up to the nosebleed game, just out of nowhere. People thought she got some kind of infusion of cash. Nobody knows. Uh, Haley Hintz, the very good investigative reporter for poker, reported that she once owned part of UB, but backed oh, out oh. really, really quickly, way, way, way before any of the cheating stuff broke. Uh, I think she even backed out before the cheating even started. And... and uh, Instead, used that money that you know she sold UB and then bought into Full Tilt very early on. She was one of the original owners of Full Tilt, and she made a lot of money from that. Can't tell you how much, but she made a lot of money because she's one of the original owners. She wasn't just one of those red pros who got 100% rake back. I mean, she she got a lot of money in payments every month. Never heard how much, but a lot. So, even if she was breaking even in poker, she made a lot of money. And as far as I know. She didn't have a lot of leaks in her life. I don't think she was into sports betting. I, I don't think she was into negative EV gambling. I, I know she played the, the very big games that went in Bobby's room and other places in Vegas, and it's possible she ran bad at some points and lost a lot of money there, but I heard at least she holds her own in the games. I, I haven't heard she's a fish in the games. I, I've heard different reports as to whether or not she's a big winner or just kind of surviving. Or maybe even losing, but I haven't heard that she's gotten killed in the games there. So, she made a lot of money from Full Tilt, which I believe is the vast majority of the money she made in her lifetime. And, take a look at the situation now. Now, since the UIGEA has passed, there is no more Full Tilt for her. There is Full Tilt, but it's now owned from PokerStars. Whereas she used to probably get a six-figure return on Full Tilt per month, is my guess. I, I don't know for sure, but I think that's the case. Now, what she gets from Full Tilt every month is the large sum of... Zero point zero. That's right. That's what she gets from her Full Tilt ownership now, because she doesn't own any of it anymore. In addition, she just doesn't play that much poker anymore, and if she does, uh, I, I don't think she is winning that much. Maybe she wins a little bit, but I, she's not winning big money anymore. But it's very possible she has a lot of money. Uh, her Wikipedia says she, her net worth is $15 million. I don't think I believe that, but uh, it's very possible she has a nice net worth if she held on to most of the money she made from Full Tilt. But think about Marco. Now, Marco has been married to her since... Um, let's see. I'm trying to see the year she married him. I, I don't know what year she married him, but she's been married a while to him. They have uh, twin boys. But think if you're Marco. 
And by the way, it says she's born November 29th, 64, making her almost 49, which I believe. So she's a lot older than him, too, almost uh, yeah, about nine years older than him, eight and a half. So Marco, who I'm sure has been with uh, many women who are more attractive than Jennifer Harmon. Not, not that she's bad looking. I mean, she looks pretty good for, 49, for 48, 49. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying Jennifer Harmon's ugly. She's not. But uh, Jennifer, you know, I'm sure he's been with a lot more, uh, with a lot younger, more attractive women. And uh, she's also had a lot of health problems, which might uh, might affect what it's like living with her. And I have a feeling he was with her for the money. I have a feeling that was the main motivator. I have a feeling when the uh, big paychecks started coming in from Full Tilt, I don't know if he was married to her before that or after that, but I know they've been married a while. I know that uh, unless they had a prenup, which I bet they didn't, I bet he reaped a lot of that benefit. And at this point in 2013, she's just not making much money. She made a lot of money. She might still have a lot of money, but I don't think she is making a lot of money currently. So, if if Marco just if he, money's not coming in anymore, and he wasn't ever all that happy with her, and he was mainly with her for money, he probably wanted to move on. I'm not defending that. I don't think that's the right thing to do. I don't think you should ever marry anyone for money. But. I have to guess that this was a money relationship. A lot of people saw them together and said, Marco looks like the type who wants to have a really hot young woman on his arm. And Jennifer, while she's decent looking for her age, is not a hot young woman. She's almost 50. Now, if there's huge money coming in constantly, great. But... If the money isn't coming in anymore, Marco already has half that money, or close to half that money. By Marco divorcing her, he doesn't walk away with nothing. He walks away with half of whatever was made while they were together. So he doesn't need her anymore at that point. And that's my—that's what I'm trying to say. Someone said in the chat, you don't need to make a lot of money if you're sitting on $10 million. Totally true. But, but if you can get half of that money by walking away, why stay if you don't care too much about the person you're with? Now, I think she cared about Marco. But I don't know how much he cared about her, and um, you know. So, so in that way, I kind of feel bad for her. But uh, I heard some other rumors about that relationship from a lot of different people. Even some guy on the site posted about what he had heard, which is similar to what I had heard. Rumors about an open relationship. Rumors about other weird stuff like, like you know, it, it didn't sound like a traditional marriage to me. From the rumors I was hearing Maybe these were just dumb poker rumors And maybe maybe none of these are true I'm not going to come out on this show And say these things are true about them But I, but I heard these things From more than one person From people who aren't typically lying about this stuff And I have to say that If that's true Then it's not surprising at all this happened You You, you can't have weird stuff going on like that in a marriage and expect it to last. You you can think, oh, you know, in a perfect world, this sounds great. You know, I, I'm not stuck with one woman my whole life. You know, I can have sex with other women. Uh, you know, I won't get bored. We'll still stay together. Everything will be great. But it doesn't work like that. Human beings aren't like that. They can't turn off their emotions like that. In a very few cases, this can work, but in most cases, it can't. And people who think it can are kidding themselves in most cases. And um, 
I don't know if that had to do with the divorce, or I, I, I don't. I'll never know what the real reason was for the divorce unless it comes out in some way. But maybe uh, the uh, maybe her hit reality show was just too much for him to take. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe he was jealous of her fame from her television fame. <laughs> Yeah, that that was a. It was funny that reality show. They they showed them as such a happy couple, and I remember the the women that came over there to her house were talking about how wonderful Marco is and how jealous they are. And you know, I I have to wonder. You know, I live. I live. Uh, I mean, I live by Red Rock Casino. I've seen him there a ton of times together, and it was always just them, and they were always you know arm in arm. So uh, I don't know, but I take that back because about. Two weeks ago, I saw him in the elevator with another girl and a guy, and he wasn't anywhere in sight. Yeah, well, okay, so that brings me to my next point about this, is that Marco couldn't have cared about her too much, because with the divorce so recent, he's already taking pictures with some young girl as his new girlfriend. He's he's already he's not just dating someone else, but but flaunting it. So uh, this was uh, an article uh, in Italian, but uh, translated. Exclusive: The new life of Marco Traniello announcing previewed at Asso Poker, which is kind of a funny name, Asso Poker, for a guy that's been suspected of not being totally heterosexual. That's not the best uh, poker site to be uh, associated <laughs> with, Asso Poker. It's exactly as it sounds, too. A-S-S-O poker. His divorce from ex-wife Jennifer Harmon and the new career as a music producer. This concludes the long journey of one of the most close-knit pairs of the last ten years, but the player, uh, Gaeta, still has many projects in the works. I don't know what Gaeta is. Uh, music and, of course, poker, his great passion. Behind only Max Pescatori is the second Italian to be, to have, to be gone several times at the World Series of Poker, as many as 37. I think it's trying to say he cashed, but he, I think he only cashed 27 times. I think that's wrong. In the, in the history of the World Series of Poker, is, is the 46th player in the world on the special list. It's talking about caches. I mean, you can make a ton of min caches that doesn't get you much. Uh, Mark is a full-time um, news of your private and professional life. You want to talk? Uh, and then he says, This is my first time I talk about this new chapter in my life, and I'm happy to do it with friends at Asso Poker. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, 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 I can't believe Asso Poker uh, Quest uh, 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 This summer After a couple of years in t- of tension and reflection Jennifer and I got divorced After 13 years of marriage That's interesting A couple of years of tension and reflection It's been a difficult process And hard for both of us But we've dealt with it in a mature and friendly way She remains a great friend of mine Especially as the mother of my children in addition to poker, you have also embarked in a new career in, in, in music. Can you explain what that is, new projects in your life? And he wrote back, or said back, For many dreams remain desires, but I always try to turn them into reality, so I started to produce songs. I cultivate a passion since I was little, thanks to my best childhood friend, Francis Lucretius, a songwriter uh, who, uh, an exceptional songwriter who pr- prematurely left us. So, you know, obviously this sounded kind of broken. That's why I was kind of struggling with it. This is a translation, but I copied it in the chat rough on his uh, official website. He's got some of his songs that I think he did, or maybe he produced for that girl he might be dating or whatever. No, he made these for her. <laughs> and the first, the first iTunes review is from him. <laughs> 
<laughs> I see. I think my my song is 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 very beautiful. Oh, here I'll, 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 I'll put it on Skype. You should take a listen to it. Well, I, I'm I'm trying. Let's see. Can I play this? I mean, I, it says view in iTunes. I, it says ninety nine cents. But look at the uh, look at the first comment in iTunes. Oh, double decker by Marco Poker. Brilliant first EP. I love the whispery part. Congrats. <laughs> it's from Marco Poker. That's, that's hilarious. That's a great find. Wow. He doesn't even pick a name different than Marco Poker. It couldn't be like John Poker. Or, uh, it couldn't know. be like producer Marco? Yeah, or Guillermo Poker. It has to be Marco Poker. <laughs> I mean, come on. Oh. oh boy! So so uh, I want to listen. Jennifer, maybe Jennifer's getting the last laugh here. Yeah, yeah so that's right. So th- so I clicked on this link that uh, Lon Cigar here posted in the chat, and there's a picture on the front of the album of the girl he's dating. Which I I, I think I heard something about how that they were producing music involving her, like uh, that uh, Jennifer knew her too. And that you know, Marco fell in love with her, so I don't know if he wrote it for her so much, but obviously, uh, yeah, somehow he got involved with her here. Let's see if we can listen to this at all, even though it's ninety. Oof. I'm not going to pay the ninety nine cents. I'll tell you that right now. I'm too Jewish for that. But uh, let's, see, <laughs> let's see if we can play the song here. I'm trying to play it. Oh God, I bet it's bad. It's going to open up iTunes probably. It'll give you like thirty seconds of it. I'm trying to play. It's not doing anything. Come on, man. Let's try viewing iTunes. Yeah, I, you're able to listen to it. Ah, boy. Oh, boy. Is that it? Yeah, you want to hear it? Yeah, I, I think I need your assistance on this one because I, it's just All not right. working take, for me. Take a, take a listen. Tell me when you've had enough. Okay. You got me up on the top, wow. Okay, I think I've heard enough. Jeez. <laughs> you got me up on the top? I think that's uh, describing your sex with Marco behind Jennifer's back. <laughs> so, I mean, these are, uh, I guess these are her songs. I guess this is him producing the songs for her. Her name's Christina Amato. You can Google her. Christina, as exactly as it sounds, Amato, A-M-A-T-O. So I guess they produced these songs for her, and uh, somehow they ended up in a relationship. I, I heard something like Jennifer was involved in this too, and it was some of her money, but um, kind of uh, kind of unfortunate there. But uh, he he took pictures with her, and he's flaunting her as as his new girlfriend. So I, I think that's pretty disrespectful to do. It's it's one thing to you know you're in a relationship that's dead. And even on the outside, you you display to the public that you're in a happy relationship. When the reality is that you two aren't happy, it's very easy to fall in love with someone else that you're feeling connection with now. So I don't even blame him so much for moving on. I don't think there should be a mandatory waiting period for moving on. You know, once you're once you're finished, you're finished. I I don't support cheating on your spouse or your girlfriend, but or your boyfriend or whatever. But uh, I think that. Once it's over and you want to move on immediately, fine. But I think to flaunt it in their face in uh, press releases and articles, especially if you're a high-profile couple, is pretty uh, disrespectful. And it makes me think they're not as good of friends as he's claiming. And I have to think that Jennifer's not going to want to make him 
an enemy or publicly trash him because they have a kid together. They have two kids together. So, like, you don't want to do that. You don't want to create a terrible relationship with the other parent of your child because all that does is hurt the children. You you don't want the children to see their divorced parents at each other's throats. It, it's very unhealthy for the children and uh, it, it really is best to put the re- resentment behind or at least not display it when uh, there's kids involved. And uh, that that's the smartest and most healthy thing to do for the children. And I know that, um, you know, I have a child now and if... Uh, me and his mother ever split up that that's what I would do no matter what the circumstances were with the breakup I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't bring Benjamin into it or let him really know what was happening other than that we're not together anymore so and that's, yeah, it, 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 you know I've I've read a lot about her too with her you know these rumors about her but I heard she's a real bitch to dealers is that you heard that same thing yes I've heard this too I've heard that uh she is one of the really nasty people to dealers at the poker table. And you guys know what I'm talking about, where the dealer makes an honest mistake and then they you know, get their heads bit off by certain players I heard at the table. she's, like, thrown cards at them, thrown stuff at them. And yeah, I've heard that, I, too. I don't know if that was back in the day. I mean, I've I've seen her play in a couple of games before, and she seemed... Uh, she didn't seem... I mean, she didn't seem out of line at all, but I just, I've heard that. And she looks like the kind that... If you crossed her, she'd she'd make you regret it. You I know? agree. I agree. She has that look, and I, and I've heard the same stories, and and I've been with these people at the table, not her. I've never played with her before, but I've been with people, especially at Commerce, but other places too, that just are really really nasty to the dealers for no good reason. And I I think if a dealer is rude to you, or if a dealer is completely out to lunch and just not paying attention to their job and making. I don't mean innocent human mistakes, but just totally not paying attention and screwing up time after time. I think then they deserve for you know uh, some critical words to be said to them. But sure. I have never once gone off on a dealer for bad luck or bad beats. I mean, that's ridiculous. That's just the cards. And, and when a right. dealer has been rude to me, I, I've I've made comments. I've uh, you know I've been rude back to them, but I, I've never totally gone overboard. I've never had a huge confrontation with any dealers. And if a dealer just isn't paying attention or isn't uh, doing their job, I'll, I'll sometimes make a brief statement about it. Like, we're playing for a right. lot of money here. you got to watch what you're doing. I'll say something like that, but then I'll end it. I'm not going to berate them forever. I, I've never thrown anything at a dealer. And, uh, yes, I've, right. I've heard I, these same I, I, stories. And I, I know firsthand that, I mean, I've been at work. I've worked at a couple places where there's a, if a big game is run and there's a dealer that constantly makes mistakes, they... they it won't play that game if that dealer is in that rotation for that game. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, there's a lot of superstitious people, and you know maybe she's improved, maybe she's grown up. And of course, when I say grown up, it's a she's almost 49 years old. So I mean, right. how young could right. she have been? Like if it was 10 years ago, she's still 39. But um, right. here, and I'm, I'm sure in that Andy Deal game, she was probably under a lot of stress too. Yeah. So who yeah. knows? I'm going to play another. Uh, I was actually linked to a SoundCloud by oh, Marco boy. here that uh, I'm going to play the song. Which one do you want to hear? Red light, green light. Which I think I think I think Benjamin would like that song. Uh, love at first sight. Butterflies. I think we already played double decker. So let's let's play. Uh, I don't know. I, I think I want love at first sight. Do you want that one? Sure. Why not? Ah, beautiful. It's kind of sounds like a Michelle Branch song. At 
least a little bit for uh, I think she's talking about Marco here. He's looking fine. Stop to stare. Hmm. Yep. You saw his eyes when they caught mine. What am I to do? What am I to do? Maybe stealing from his wife. She's got. She's got a YouTube rough. What was that? I said, "There's a you. If you see on there, there's a YouTube icon. If you click on it, it brings it to the YouTube page with her videos on there." Oh, really? But the uh, the weird thing is, uh, let's see. You know, on the page right underneath, it says, I am managing Christina Amato. Yeah. Well, that's well, it's because it's his page. Like, he's managing her, and this is her singing. I think that's what's going on here. She's making a move. I mean, this really sounds like the progression of the relationship here. Uh, <laughs> this sounds like the story that we've been looking for. They got to listen to the rest of this. Yeah, maybe this is the story of uh, Jennifer Harmon and uh, her parking lot encounter. <laughs> okay, let's, let's hear the rest of this. So yeah, this 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 is really sounding like the story here. Are you feeling it too? At the, what are you gonna do? Like, a, okay, I, yeah, I'm gonna leave my wife. Jay is the Stat- response. <laughs> Jay Stat in the chat said, "Time for a leaf during this gold digger song." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, love it, love at first sight for a half of Jennifer Harmon's full tilt money. Oh, unbelievable. What's keeping you from leaving your wife? And he says, "Ah, oh, I, I got to make it. I'm sure she's not making no more money." Setting you free from all that's holding you down. I mean, this. I mean, this is really just uh, the story uh, here. This is. You, you know what's funny? I, I'm going to go on a limb here. Uh, where I live and where they lived and where they filmed that reality show. There's like this Italian coffee shop in this strip mall, and I mean it's a pretty good coffee shop. But I think he's probably he either has a piece of it or he's involved in it because every time I've been in there, he's been there. Yeah, probably. And I'm pretty sure one night this girl was performing in that coffee shop. Ah, interesting. Um, because they have like you know live music acts. I'm pretty sure she was there. I'm gonna have to dig a little uh, deeper and find out, but yeah, that's probably where he discovered her, I would think. Maybe. What am I to do? What do you need to do? Just, just wait patiently and he'll leave. making a move. It's going to happen. The divorce is impending. To you, to you, to 
All right, I've heard enough. But uh, you know, I think this yeah. is kind of like uh, Alanis Morissette's early music, where she was telling all these different stories from her past in her songs. I, right, I think this right. is uh, this is her telling the story of how she stole Marco from uh, Jennifer. <laughs> I, I have a feeling this is not going to be uh, uh, on Jennifer's uh, iPod here. Can- cancel show. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be on her iPod. She listens to when she plays at the the Aria. Oh. So, all right. Uh, that's uh, that, that's what's going on here. So, Marco, uh, moving on here with with the singer, and uh, that's the end of that relationship. Well, back to a poker a poker topic here. When uh, Ultimate Poker launched before WSOP.com and had all kinds of failures, which I've talked about before on this show. All I could think of was, wait till WSOP.com launches, they're going to get crushed. They're going to get absolutely destroyed. In fact, I posted that on 2 Plus 2 and ended up in a conversation with some Ultimate Poker employees and uh, there was some talk there about hiring me as a consultant to Ultimate Poker. Never uh, fully panned out. It's still not totally dead, but uh, I think think it's more likely than not I'm not going to work there, but you know, but no big deal. Just something I offered to do, and if they didn't want it, no problem. But uh, maybe they don't need me, because uh, WSOP.com has not crushed them like I thought. Now, it's hard to monitor traffic on these sites. There are sites that do it, but they're not perfect. But so far, from what I've seen, the traffic on WSOP.com is a little bit less at this point than Ultimate Poker. They've been up a lot shorter of a time, but they're a much bigger brand, and you do think they would have had enough time since their launch, about like a, what, like a month ago, to have yeah. uh, caught up, given their name recognition and given the general dissatisfaction that was out there with Ultimate Poker. But yet WSOP.com just can't quite overtake them, which means at the moment they're both kind of fail sites. Uh, what have you heard about this? Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll be... I mean, I've... Talk to a couple different people. I mean, Ryland could probably attest because he plays on both. But, I mean, I've looked at WSOP, and they don't even have, like, I've never seen, like, a stud game going. I've seen an Omaha 8 going, like, maybe three times, you know? There's maybe three games of Omaha, and I think the biggest is maybe a, I don't even want to say it's a 10-20 no-limit game. It's a 5-10 game. And you look on Ultimate Poker. Now, I think their tournaments, they've probably got a lot more people. Um, but in terms of, you're right. I mean, there's just nobody, I would say there's nobody on there. Yeah, so. And, and it's not like it's hard to deposit. I mean, I I deposited right online, like, you know, pretty useful. But, you know, I think Jay Stat just brought it up. A lot of people that I talk to, they get pissed when they want to use their, they want to use their smartphone data. People feel like they're, you know, they're tracking them and they have all these, you know, conspiracy theories, especially older people. You know what I mean? They, they don't understand the concept of I mean, you're just not going to get the people as long as it's just in Nevada. I just don't see it happening. Yeah, and um, I am Greek I, in our chat room. WSOP, is... I'll say the WSOP interface is a lot better. They have it for Mac. Ultimate Poker still doesn't have it for Mac. I mean, you know, I guess... Every certain thing has their own things. I mean, the update for Ultimate Poker was better. It solved some of the problems, I guess. But Yeah, and I'm seeing a chat. I am Greek saying WSOP.com has bad customer service. People are getting booted off the site saying they're not 
in Nevada when they actually are. And I know Ultimate Poker had some of that problem, but uh, you know he's saying that it's worse on WSOP.com. And yeah. and uh, that, that's all related to the cell phone thing. If they, if people, you know, I mean, you and me, and probably a, a lot of people that listen to the show are a little more technically proficient. If you have the LTE enabled on your phone, WSOP thinks you're in Nevada, but once you start playing, it kicks you off. Yeah, they they have a splash screen now that says, you know, please enable the LTE on your phone, but. You know what I mean? They're going to run into that problem. Yeah, they, they can't require too many uh, uh, too many hurdles. things you have to do on on a, from a technical standpoint. They lose a lot of people who aren't that technical, exactly. And right. uh, yeah, they're definitely having an underwhelming launch so far. And I, this actually surprises me. I thought that uh, Ultimate Poker was going to become irrelevant once WSOP.com right. launched. And so far, uh, they're just both stagnating and and really not going anywhere. You know, Ultimate Poker launched, got a certain crowd there, and then kind of stagnated, didn't grow, didn't shrink, kind of stayed around the same. And now WSOP has launched to about that point, just a little bit smaller so far as far as the number of players. And they're not really growing either. They're both kind of stuck. And this is making me think that a Nevada-only poker system is just not going to work very well. That unless they can partner with other states, this is about the max. And if another site joins the fray, it's going to get even worse. And I think the market's already saturated with two sites. And right. So uh, this is a bad sign. And I was always skeptical of this because most tourists don't want to play online poker on their Vegas vacation. Nobody says, hey, I'm going to travel to Las Vegas so I can sit in my room and play online poker on my laptop. No one's going to do that except for a grinder who used to play online poker and, and isn't that excited by Vegas itself. But you're, So yeah, you're going to have people who live in Vegas or other parts of Nevada who are poker grinders and, and spend all day on there, people like Ryland. But you're not going to have that right. many casual players there. Right. I just don't think you have the player pool for that, from that population. And I think New Jersey's going to have the same problem. They may do a little bit better because they're attached to a real casino. You can play real casino games on these sites when they launch next month. And maybe that'll bring in some people who run it up at blackjack or slots or whatever and then come into the poker room. But uh, and New Jersey has a bigger population. But on the other hand, a lot of New Jersey's population isn't as into gambling per capita as Nevada's population is. So... I think that's going to hurt them too. I think you really need either state partnerships or very large states. Like California, I think, could have successful rooms because they have such a large population. But Nevada definitely doesn't. New Jersey, bigger population, but I don't think enough bigger. And uh, I I think the fact that a huge brand like WSOP.com has failed to get going. And we're going to see after the main event is televised and we get all the publicity over the main event. And by the way, good luck to Mark Newhouse. I hope he wins. But with all the publicity that will come with the main event, if after that WSOP.com remains a fail site, then that's going to be a bad sign for online poker in Nevada until they partner with other states. And maybe WSOP.com will get a temporary boost when the World Series comes around next year, but I don't think the games are going to be very good if it's all people coming into town to play the World Series, who are probably mostly good players. so Right. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, when, I think when, I was reading in the news, I can't, it might have been Wall Street Journal, I can't remember, 
But Wynn was just saying they're waiting to see what happens with this online poker. Yeah, and I think they're going to be underwhelmed with what they see. And someone asking in chat, John Commode asked, "Will the DOJ keep their hands off of interstate compacts? That is, you know, is the, the Department of Justice going to interfere with states wanting to cooperate with each other and uh, cross state lines for the player pools to be shared?" If I had to guess, I would say yes, but I'm not 100 percent sure of that nobody is. And uh, in fact, that was said at that gaming conference recently that they don't know. They don't know if the government, if the federal government will keep their hands out of this. They're hoping they will. But maybe the federal government will say, hey, we don't like this. You want to do it within your own state? Fine. But once you're crossing state lines, that becomes like a federal room to us, and we're not ready for that. So don't do it. And and once they say don't do it, then it's pretty much over for the rooms to cooperate. So that can easily happen, too. I think they'll probably stay out of it, but you never know. They They could easily interfere with it. So... Uh, the only thing that would say in favor that they won't interfere with it, especially if it's only poker and not uh, casino games, is uh, that they went after these illegal online poker sites like Poker Stars and Full Tilt because of money. They wanted to seize them and make a lot of money out of it. They didn't realize that Full Tilt was broke, but uh, they went after them believing they were going to get about uh, $1.5 billion out of the whole thing. They didn't quite get that, but they still made some good money by selling full tilt to poker stars for seven hundred fifty million. The government, right. so they they did this for money, and not so much to enforce the law. So they're obviously not going to interfere with these interstate compacts for money because it's not the same thing. The the most yeah, they can do says, is uh, say, I'm reading it right here on uh, this is on some website. Anyway, it says. Uh, Steve Wynn and Wynn CFO made it clear that online gaming remain, at least for now, a secondary concern. We got our toe in the water. We want our shareholders to benefit from digital gaming in one form or another. Uh, if it's to become a factor, that's powerful. But we have to take it a step at a time. And he said he echoed the statement stating online gaming is clearly not a big piece of the strategy. We're putting our toe in the water and see how we learn as it rolls out or if it does not roll out. Um, and it just basically talks about how... Uh, they're saying how it prevents a huge hurdle for the Win brand um, to be online. And Steve Wynn says, you got to make sure that we do it and protect our brand. You can't just limp in like another screen. we got to be special. And I think that that's a pretty good statement because it's, uh, you know, if they're all the same, you're going to have every casino in Vegas has its own online room. Yeah, I think Wynn is saying we don't want to be another fail site. Like, we want to make sure that uh, <laughs> this is going to be something that uh, – we're really proud of if we're going to do it. Otherwise, F it. I think that's what they're trying to say. Yeah, I know that Crazy Mike uh, plays a lot on, on Ultimate Poker, and he doesn't play on WSOP. And he's I think he's made like a bunch of statements about it on 2 plus 2. So. Yeah, well, Crazy Mike, he's yeah, he's an unusual guy, as everybody knows who's met him. And right. uh, he has some obsessions. And, yeah. Uh, so he's developed an obsession with ultimate poker and he also he not only does he have obsessions he also wants to be treated as someone important and special so he always <laughs> wants to feel that he has 
aligned to people who matter. That uh, that he gets to find out in- inside information. He gets to influence the process. He, he was so proud of himself. I remember he was bragging on their, you see that 2040 limit game going? Guess who got it created? Guess who did it? Like He, he wants everyone to say, okay, Mike, yeah, you created that 2040, which he probably did. I mean, he's not lying, but, uh, but he wants the credit. He doesn't want to just improve it. He's not even looking for them to pay him, but he wants to tell them what to do and have them do it and then take credit for it. This, but he also has obsessions like where he's very loyal to one brand if he likes the brand. Like, he used to play under the screen name I Love Pepsi on, on one site because he was obsessed with Pepsi. Uh, he would only drink Pepsi and not Coke. Uh, and, in fact, he was so obsessed with Pepsi that he actually talked one poker room into ordering Pepsi special for him when they only served Coke. <laughs> I, he, he really did things like this. So, Crazy Mike, I, I could totally I, see as the type I, of guy who would not... Uh, 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 I know at Red Rock, he, he gets that bottled water. I can't remember the name of it. And he gets like four or five at a time. Yeah, he's... It, it, yeah, it's just those, those uh, like you said, those obsessions. Yeah, he has a lot of obsessions, Crazy Mike. And uh, yeah. so so it wouldn't surprise me if, if Ultimate Poker is one of those obsessions. So I, I wouldn't say he's typical, but uh, but obviously something's going on here to where WSOP is not eclipsing Ultimate Poker, and if after a month they haven't yet, they may never do it, or if they do, it may be by very little, to where it's, uh, they both kind of just, as Wynn said, limping along, and not really, uh, making very much money at all, and, you know, these sites cost money, there's a lot to do, it's not just throwing up the site on some server somewhere and and running it cheaply, they they have a lot of regulations they have to comply with, it's a lot they have to do extra, that... There's a, I mean, I... Just because I know, because I work at a—I mean, I guess common knowledge—I work basically for people that work for them. There's just a ton of admin stuff on the back end of employees, and you know, uh, gaming and everything goes through there. You know, and when you get money on, get money off, someone's got to process that paperwork, and that's got to be processed through something else for every cash out. So yeah, you're right. It's not it's not like a self-running system by any means, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So like I know this is not an online poker site, but like a uh, poker fraud alert, I'll tell you is not it's not an expensive operation. And, and that's why um I, I don't mind running it when it loses money. I know we we do have a sponsor now, which is uh the same sponsor we've had for a little while, uh, uh Stat Clash, but um when we had no sponsor, I was okay with it because it's not that expensive to run because I, I don't have to pay any employees. I, uh, I I do all the work myself, all the technical work, all the admin work, everything. Uh, it's not a huge site, obviously, and it pretty much runs itself. So uh, this is a cheap operation to run. Uh, online poker, legalized online poker in Nevada is the opposite. It's not a cheap operation to run at all, and they have to really rake a lot. I don't know how much, but they have to rake a lot to break even. And if if Wynn and others look at this and say, wow, this is not only going to f- not make much money, it may lose money, they may say, F it, it's not worth doing. So uh, right. the, I'm not saying now, that... Yeah, not only that, you got the gaming involved, and if you mess up, you know, you could put your license in jeopardy yeah. of, the, of the room. Yes, that's very true, that uh, you're you're now introducing a new vulnerability to get in trouble with gaming. Where before, you know, running a casino, the procedures are pretty well known by this point of how to operate a casino and how to not screw up. 
right. it, running these online poker rooms, it's all new territory, and and you can screw up easily. So yes, they are taking a risk with their license, and uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of risk being risk being taken here, and if it's not translating into very much money, uh, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen, but I hope these state rooms succeed to some degree because. They have to if we're going to have legalized online poker. We can't wait for the federal government to make it legal. I think the federal government is going to wait to see what happens with these state rooms, and if they run successfully, then maybe federal laws can be passed, and the success of and the lack of scandals or problems with the state rooms can be used as a very strong argument to legalize it federally. But um, if these rooms just fail from a market standpoint, where they just they're not successful financially, uh, it'll become a non-issue. No one will even want to press for federal legalized online poker. It's just the, the more these succeed, the much greater chance is that we will be playing on a federal or pseudo-federal, and when I say that I mean where a number of states are cooperating together uh, sometime soon. Otherwise it could be a very long time, and as someone who doesn't have all that much time anymore to play live poker, that really disappoints me. So. Hmm. Uh, here's something that is, uh, I wouldn't say disappointing and, and definitely not surprising. Iovation, a company with CEO Greg Pearson, formerly of Ultimate Bet, uh, Ultimate Bet cheater, a guy who covered up what was going on at Ultimate Bet, the guy in charge of security on Ultimate Bet, who instead, uh, probably perpetrated some of the cheating and definitely covered it up. We have him on tape talking about that as I've played uh, previously on this show. But uh, Iovation won a Retail Fraud Prevention Award. And I was like, wow. That, that's kind of ironic that the guy who stole from UB and uh, covered it up is now winning an award for Retail Fraud Prevention. So I, I go to this site that was posted here by Matt the Rat, fiber2fashion.com, and, and on textiles technology news. And I'm thinking, what does this have to do with with textiles and and you know fiber to fashion sounds like you know taking fibers and turning them into some fashionable clothing. So what does that have to do with Iovation? I'm thinking maybe they're a client of uh, Iovation and that uh, they're happy with Iovation and they're announcing they won some kind of prestigious award. No. So I'm reading this article. Iovation stopping internet fraud and. Uh, uh, Identifying good online customers with the world's most comprehensive device reputation database announced that its flagship fraud-fighting service, Reputation Manager 360, has won the Retail Fraud Prevention Award. Reputation Manager 360, which probably Greg Pearson needs himself because his reputation isn't too good, uh, won the award in the Shrink Reduction category, which recognizes a solution that had the biggest impact on reducing losses. The Retail Fraud Awards is a competition run by Retail Fraud, the number one retail fraud and loss prevention resource in Europe. Uh, This recognition is a testament to the value Reputation Manager 360 and device intelligence brings to retailers, and we are honored to win this category, said Chris Thomas, Iovation's Director of Business Development in Northern and Eastern Europe. Iovation is committed to staying one step ahead of cyber criminals, and we are continually enhancing our services to give our customers the edge in their fight against online fraud. So... I'm not going to read the rest of it, but I'm thinking, hmm, that kind of sucks. They won an award here, you know, with such a shady company. Basically, what Iovation does is what I said at the beginning. Uh, what they do is they keep a database of 
identifying information of devices that pay for things online. So um, sometimes they're able to see a lot more of your device than you think they can see. They can sometimes sometimes grab your MAC address and, and other things that are unique identifiers to your computer when you pay for something online. So this information gets fed to iOvation, and if you rip this company off, if you end up charging back or scamming in some way, then iOvation keeps this in the database, and the next time you try to buy something with another company, if they're using iOvation software, this Reputation Manager 360, then uh, they can see that you scammed another company, and then they won't let you buy from them. So on right. the surface, this sounds like a good idea. I kind of wish I thought of it myself. It doesn't even sound like something that's hard to build. But uh, the question is about this award. And of course, iOvation, the whole company is fraudulent. The whole way it was built looks like it was with uh, UB cheating money. And Greg Pearson's a piece of crap. Uh, but uh, putting that aside, what is the Retail Fraud Prevention Award? So you go to Google and you enter Retail Fraud Prevention Award, and you would think that this is going to be something that would come up with a lot of uh, a lot of different returns here, to where you would see previous winners of this award, and you would see some kind of web page about this award. So, first result on Google: iOvation wins Retail Fraud Prevention Award from iOvation.com. Second, Fraud Prevention Awards iOvation from iOvation.com. Third, oh, finally on Yahoo. iOvation wins fra- Retail Fraud Prevention Award from Yahoo Finance. But again, it's about iOvation. Fourth, <laughs> Poker Fraud Alert. iOvation wins Retail Fraud Prevention Award. <laughs> Fifth, RetailFraud.com. It has nothing to do with this. I, 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 you know, I'll go to RetailFraud.com and uh, I, I see it doesn't say anything about, uh, about iOvation. Which is about, or actually, sorry, it does, but uh, it does say something about iOvation, but it's, uh, there's nothing that interesting, like, it's just retailfraud.com, it's not even clear what this is. Just the number one retail and fraud loss prevention resource in Europe. But whose resource? Who runs it? You know, what is this? Um, you scroll down, and it's just uh, a bunch of, links that um, are mainly about iOvation winning it. So, I think either iOvation owns this company, gave themselves their own reward, their own award, or, or they bought this award in some way, or they're related to the ones giving this award. This is not some kind of prestigious award given by a well-recognized consumer body. It's not like this uh, retailfraud.com is something that is uh, recognized as uh, a reputable site that uh, prevents retail fraud and that they're giving iOvation the award. It seems like some kind of unknown site that suddenly gave them an award. I still can't find who won previous years. And, and <laughs> as you see, if you, if, they probably made it up. Yeah, you see, if you enter retail fraud prevention award, if the first few links are iOvation. And then the fourth one is Poker Fraud Alert talking about it. Uh, where's 2012's winner? How come that's... Why is that not beating... That reminds me of uh, a pizza place back home I used to work at. The guy, like, made up his own award and he put it in the paper. It said winner of uh, Wisconsin's uh, 
prestigious pizza award. There wasn't even an award. He just made it up. Yeah. I mean, that's what I think. I think retailfraud.com might be owned by, either owned by or has some kind of connection to iOvation. And, uh, or if not, maybe they paid them for this or something. I mean, who knows? This is so strange. But you would think if this is a real award, you would see tons of stuff on the web about it in previous years. And I, I can't find really anything about it to understand what this is. Other than that, that it's something to do with retailfraud.com. <laughs> so, not surprising that uh, iOvation would pull something like this. And, and put press releases all over the place with some. Even if this is a legitimate award, if it's by some tiny website, who cares? It's like it, it rem- reminds me of some crappy movie that came out like back about twenty years ago or so. Forgot even what movie it was, but nobody gave it good reviews. So they actually quoted two really positive reviews that the movie got, and put in tiny print where these reviews were from. One was from a high school student newspaper. And one was, one was from a town that had like a hundred people. Their little local newspaper. And this was a major <laughs> release film. So they well, tried to not let like, you see. Like these were two very small thumbs up. <laughs> right. You know they they tried not to let you see who was giving it. So even if there was some tiny site called retailfraud.com that right. somehow got talked into giving this award for iOvation, iOvation is like trotting it out like they uh, they just won the Miss America pageant. Right. So. Uh, not not a surprise. Um, yeah, they, probably, they probably made it up. Someone in uh, in the chat, Flipper Fair, wants me to mention something not on our agenda, which is, of course, uh, something that I love doing when we have 13 topics to talk about, plus uh, promoting someone to win the Poker News uh, presenter's <laughs> job. But I, I have to mention this. Howard Lederer has turned 50. And had a birthday party. And of course, uh, we have to recognize that because Howard Letter is such a fine man who's done such good things for the poker community. And uh, he had a, a birthday cake that says 50 and had cards on top of it as a royal flush. And uh, even worse, there there was a cake. that you know, So he has several cakes here. One with his picture on it. And it shows him standing in front of it. Um... Like really tall cakes, like like wedding cakes. I mean, they spent a lot of money on these different cakes. Uh, one showing that uh, that pose of Howard from years ago that he likes, where he has kind of like his uh, his hand on his chin, and he's thinking. The, what they like to call the poker professor picture. So these are on all these different cakes he got, and this is uh, this is where your full tilt money went. Yeah, Howard. Still kept a lot of money he made from Full Tilt. Most of it. And he's now spending it on cakes. Several cakes. I mean, how, how many cakes can a guy need for his birthday? I, I doubt all these cakes were, were eaten. I don't think like a like a cake that's like seven layers high with a picture of Howard Letterer embossed on a heart. On a giant heart. There really is a picture of this. I, I don't think that that is necessary when you have like four other specialty cakes that are also huge. So, I mean, there's more cake here than is typically consumed at a large wedding. But, uh, you know, no- nothing is too big or extravagant for Howard Letterer. And and someone uh, also posted a another cake he had of his house. Someone actually made a cake of his house. 
and that was also at the party. So uh, good, to, good to see that our money is being well spent by Howard. There's a, a lot of the cake industry is doing very well thanks to our full tilt money. At least the cake industry in Las Vegas. Well, Matt Savage and Daniel Negrani were going at it again. They they had a little Twitter spat back in September, but they have another one here. Uh, this this one I have to decide with Negranu. But I'll tell you what this is about. Um, Negranu, as you know, has been doing very well recently and uh, won a million dollar tournament recently, and uh, it's looking like he's going to be a player of the year. But uh, he somehow pissed off Matt Savage by posting that 90% of tournament penalties should just be warnings as you know, they're a result of inadvertent actions by players. And that uh, they weren't intentional, therefore people should get warned when they do something accidentally that's against the rules rather than on purpose. You know what? I 100% agree with that statement. I was a victim of this in a very, very bad spot. On day six of the World Series of Poker main event in 2010, some of you might remember that uh, I made it to day six, the late day six in 2010 of the World Series main event, final 88 people. I went out 88th. Uh, I got a very costly penalty on day six for exposing my cards. Now, of course, I would never do that uh, intentionally. But what happened was someone raised an early position, then someone called... And I, I guess I didn't see their chips calling it. So I thought it went fold, 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 fold to me and my big blind. So just as kind of a joke, I turned over like 8-3 offsuit to show that I, you know, I wasn't run off a good hand for the big blind. Just kind of as a little joke. I do it once in a while. Like if it's folded to my big blind, I'll turn over my cards if there's some kind of trash. So that's what I did. Well, I, I didn't realize someone had called and I was exposing my cards to two players that are still in the hand which is technically against the rules. And a guy at the table named Tristan Wade, who wasn't even involved in the hand, said, hey, that should be a penalty, which pissed me off. Called the floor man, who said that he had to give me a penalty because the rule is if you expose your cards with players still in the hand, it's a it's a one-round penalty, and there's nothing he can do. He has to give me that penalty. I found out that Theo Tran, a guy I don't really like very much, but uh, me and him had something in common that day. He also got a penalty at almost the exact same time at a different table for doing the exact same thing. It was really weird. So, uh, two really dumb penalties. One for me, one for Theo that day. And you know, I lost a round at a very crucial spot late in the main event and blinded some of my chips off. I mean, it's really crappy. Who knows what would happen if that didn't occur. I'm not saying I would have won the main event, but uh, definitely not a time you want to get a penalty. Uh, nobody at the table thought I did it on purpose. Everybody agreed it was an accident. So, Daniel tweeted pretty much that. Not about me personally, but he said 90% plus of all penalties issued during poker tournaments should be a warning with no penalty, as the vast majority are honest errors by players. Exactly. So Matt Savage went off on him. Matt Savage, who's the uh, tournament director extraordinaire, tournament director of many different tournaments, responds, So, Real Kid Poker, which is his uh, Twitter handle, that, you know, Daniel's Twitter handle, handle. One out of every ten penalties are justified? Exactly how would you know the statistic? You do not play 1% of tournaments. So now now he's like quoting stupid semantics. You know, 
Negreanu says 90% or more of penalties shouldn't be penalties because they're accidents. And Matt Savage is questioning if how does he know it's really 90%. Who cares? So, then Matt Savage goes on a long rant without Daniel responding. Attacking Poker TDA, referring to the uh, Tournament Directors Association, is your new mission now, Daniel? The people that care about poker as much or more than you do are up to the task. And before you meet Hall of Fame criteria, Daniel, you better look in the mirror and head back to Doyle's room yourself and do work. I don't know what he means by that. If Choice Center teaches you to rant, criticize, and complain about everything you don't like, Daniel, I want no part of it. And he's referring to that cult-like thing that Daniel's involved with called Choice Center, which you're supposed to go to to learn how to better yourself. And I, I think the whole thing is very cultish and uh, takes advantage of people, but that, that's, I've talked about that before. I'm not going to go into that now. But Daniel's very sensitive about Choice Center. He thinks it's wonderful. Matt continues, My advice to you, Daniel, is to stick what you are good at. Playing poker tournaments. Good luck in the World Series Player of the Year run, bud. And by the way, Daniel, the Global Poker Index race you love and support so much, as I do, was created by the one and only Annie Duke. So he threw in that little jab, because Daniel hates Annie Duke so much. Daniel hates Annie Duke so much, by the way, that last year, Daniel saw Annie Duke and saw her talking like at a table, like two tables over, and was so disgusted by it, just so disgusted by just seeing her randomly talking, he just couldn't stand the sound of her voice, he had to tell someone. So this was before a tournament started. It was like five minutes before a tournament started. Actually, I think maybe it just started. Something like that. Very beginning of a tournament. So he comes up to me, of all people, and has to tell me how disgusted he is hearing her voice. And how terrible the sound is to him. He, he, we don't even know each other that well. He, he knows who I am. I know who he is. But he came up to me and, and tells me personally, like like across the room, he comes over to find me to tell me this because he has to find someone who can appreciate his hatred of Annie, and he knows I don't like Annie. So, so as he he disliked her so much he had to come up to me to tell me, even though he barely knows me, because he had to tell someone, and he had to find someone that would be an audience for this. So, anyway, Matt was trying to needle him a little bit, saying uh, that something he was uh, supporting, something Daniel was supporting, the Global Poker Index, was uh, created by Annie. So Daniel, at this point, I think because Choice Center was brought up, and he doesn't want to look bad in front of his Choice Center followers, because Choice Center teaches you to be to be mellow and not, not, you know, not stress and not, not uh, get into arguments with people, and to you know, just to kind of live your life in a laid-back and loving and uh, peace-be-with-you sort of lifestyle. Negreanu responds back, at Savage Poker, which is Matt's, uh, Matt Savage's Twitter, impressive rant, brother. Bravo, get it all out, you will feel so much better. Sending you and your family love, my friend. That's kind of a dumb response. It's, you know, it sounds like a hippie sort of... Uh, peace and love be with you sort of response to someone going off on you you know isn't sincere so then Matt says probably also not sincere thanks Daniel your words are powerful and hurtful to many people that care about poker you have so much influence use it positively well he was using it positively he does have a lot of influence Daniel Negreanu because he's a very well known player and he was trying to use it positively to spare people from getting penalties that shouldn't get them He's trying to 
change the way penalties are handed out by not penalizing people who make one-time, stupid, inadvertent mistakes. Only penalize the people who are purposely doing something wrong or being abusive in some way. But don't penalize the people making simple mistakes like exposing their cards when they think everyone else has folded. That's what he's trying to say. And even if you don't agree with it, Matt Savage, don't go off on him like this. I mean, that's a, this is just a crazy rant on his part, and I don't know why he's so pissed. So, an alternative viewpoint on this was from Crow Diddley, voted uh, Poker Fraud Alert's best poster last year, by the way. He says, it's not the one comment, it's the fact that Daniel bangs away at the TDA, the Tournament Directors Association, and the tournament rules all the time, and that Matt's always on the other end of it defending the rules or explaining why they should be what they are. Problem with Matt is that when Daniel says something, tons of fanboys treat the word... Yeah. Okay. Treat the word like God, and they pile on Matt like mobs do. So he's trying to say that Matt is frustrated because every time Daniel criticizes something about the TDA rules... Uh, everyone goes off on Matt and says, yeah, yeah, why is it like this? Yeah, this is so stupid. Come on, Matt, change it, change it, change it. And like, Matt just gets so frustrated that all Daniel's fanboys, of which there are many, just go off on the TDA every time Daniel suggests something and, and he feels like, like Daniel is empowering himself to use like a mob mentality to get things changed. But hey, look, Daniel has the right to express his opinion. And if a lot of people happen to like him and then get on the TDA to change these things, that's, that's tough luck. You know, that's just the way it is when you have a popular person expressing an opinion. And it's not like Daniel is doing this just to cause trouble. I've never seen any of Daniel's opinions be of the outrageous variety that he's just trying to say to, uh, to get under Matt's skin or get under the TDA skin. He, he's saying what he believes. Daniel knows he's in a position of influence. And he feels he can get things changed. And a lot of times, I wish that I was in Daniel's shoes, and that I was as influential as he is, and that a lot of the things I feel strongly about in poker, I could have either changed or have a lot of people pay attention to, but in, but I can't. My, my strongest vehicle to get this done is probably this radio show, believe it or not. Uh, but other than that, and other than maybe posting on 2 Plus 2 and on, on Poker Fraud Alert, I, I can't get my message out to the mass group of poker players because I'm just not an A-list poker player and never will be. And, and Daniel Negranu is. So I don't blame him for trying to state his opinion about these things. And I guess I can see why it annoys Matt, but he, he has to... Uh, uh, he has to understand what Daniel's doing and he's just trying to state his opinion and he wasn't trying to go off on Matt personally and he I think he deserved a more polite response. How, how do you feel about this? I mean... I've I've done some tournaments before, so I guess I'm kind of on both sides. But you know, you're never gonna. There's always something that's gonna come up with a tournament, and it's really really hard at times. And I'm sure that Matt probably just had enough and said, you know, I, I mean, they can't change everything all the time. You know, the rules are always being revised, and it's hard to keep up, and room-to-room, tournament-to-tournament, everything is different. So I'm sure that Matt probably just said, you know what, that's enough, and probably just lost it. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure Daniel felt the brunt of it, but, you know, you can't be outspoken. I mean, he's the one that complained about the, you know, if the first card off the deck, if you're not in your seat rule, and he made a mockery of it, right? 
Druff? I'm sorry, I had it on mute. Uh, yeah, 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 I do remember that, yes. You know, and he picked up the chair, and it's like, you don't have to do that, you know? Like, it's, I, I mean, I think Matt has to deal with a lot of people from, like, the Alan Kessler, too. Yeah, you know, those two getting beefs all the time. It's just like, you know what? If you don't want to play the tournament, don't play it. Yeah, no, I, I understand what you're saying here, and I know I, I know it gets on the nerves of... Too, though, but, you know, if Daniel has his opinion, he has a right to, to voice his opinion about, you know, maybe you can't penalize a guy a run-run penalty when he doesn't know. Maybe it's his first tournament. You know, you give him a warning and that's it. Um, But, you know, every circumstance is different. You never know. So, but yeah. I'm sure he, you know, he had enough, and who knows? Maybe there was something that happened prior to this Twitter thing, you know, personally that happened, and you know, Matt couldn't take it. I don't know. I, I think it was something like that. I think he's just like grown tired of this with Daniel going off about the different rules he doesn't like, and then all these people hassle Matt about uh, change this, change this, because Daniel said to change it. And but, you right. know, I have to say though, with Daniel's ideas that they all seem to be good and uh, in fact he made a change at the World Series Daniel did you know I just, he didn't make it but he suggested it and they, and they did it that I thought was a great change and in fact I owe this change to some success I had this year and that was for the 5k limit event that they okay. changed it to where the beginning of the event actually means something and the beginning you start the blinds higher and then move them up more slowly so the sure. first day, the blinds hardly go up at all, and this makes it so the beginning actually has meaningful play, and that right. it doesn't rise really quickly after that to where it goes from totally non-meaningful to too meaningful. So now eventually, yes, as it goes on, especially if people don't bust that fast, then yes, it becomes a card-catching fest, and that's pretty much what happened at the final table of that event. And uh, I kind of fell in the middle of the pack on that one, right? I didn't run terribly, but I, I didn't run well, and uh, others ran a lot better, and that's why I finished fifth. Right. Uh, but and that's why the, the guy yeah. who the guy who won definitely wasn't the best player at the table. But uh, you know, uh, something I really liked was that he made a very positive change to that limit event, and that really increased the skill factor for that event. To where you really do bust out a lot of donks early, sure. If uh, if you're one of the better players and and you get some decent cards, of course you, you know if you run terribly, you're not going to bust anyone. But but if you're getting some decent cards, like I was the the first two days, I, I had a lot more power to knock out the weak players than I did in previous times this event occurred, where uh, the blinds at the beginning didn't matter, and then they rose so quickly that it became whoever catches better cards wins, no matter how good you are. So, I thought that was a great change he made, and it was because his voice is influential they did it, and it seems like whatever changes I see coming from him, I, I tend to agree. And so, and I, like this one right here, I agree. I, I've, I've said it before myself, I've never made a big issue of it, but I've said it before myself, especially after I got that terrible penalty. And uh, so, so I, I think it's great that he's making these comments and has an impact, and uh, I, I can see from a tournament's director's standpoint that yeah, he feels like Daniel's almost like taking over his job and, and using the mob rule to change rules. Right. I can see how that bothers him. And, and, and you know, if I were mad, what I would do is I, I would contact Daniel privately and say this. Uh, please stop insulting the TDA and, and making us look like we're clowns that don't know what we're doing. 
Come right. to me privately, and I, I guarantee you I will take your opinion seriously. I won't implement them all, but I, will, I won't just dismiss them and say, we know better than you. I will take them seriously. I'll, I'll seriously think of each one, and, and you'll see we probably will change some things, and, and we'll even give you credit, but please don't just bring this stuff up and make us look like clowns. And I think that would be a perfect solution for the two of them to where Daniel can make an impact and have his voice matter and and the TDA people like Matt Savage won't feel like they're being clowned. So I, I think right. that's the only way to get this done. And I wonder if anyone has even suggested this. Probably someone has, I, but I'm sure it has because I, I I I mean I think Matt's a pretty respected guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, I don't know. I just I thought it was kind of weird that he snapped like that. And like you said, I'm sure there's. There had to be something pre this where he said that's it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. Yeah. So, uh, and uh, Jay Stat says, I'll have to watch this sometime. I've seen Matt Savage not giving Mike Mattisau a penalty for violating violating three TDA rules in one hand. Got it on video with seventy nine thousand views. I got to see that. But look, that's that's definitely happening. There's a lot of favoritism in live poker tournaments. I've always hated that. Uh, the World Series, it happens. It happens everywhere. I really hate the favoritism in live poker tournaments where some people get penalties over others and some people get away with things that others can't. And The World Series, like certain pros have the ability to use employee bathrooms and in other employee areas that uh, make it easier for them to rest you know, in between rounds. and It's just wrong. Yeah. But there's, there's too much favoritism. I wish it would go away. But the problem is a lot of these employees enable this because they are in awe of a lot of the poker pros, the, the big name poker pros, because they see them as like celebrities. And so they, they want to feel like they're friends with, with the big name players. They want to say, Phil Helmuth is my friend, Daniel Negreanu is my friend, uh, you know, Mike Mattisau is my friend. They want to be able to say that to, to their peers when they're off work. And they can't say that if they're enforcing the rules on them just like they do with uh, uh, Joe Smith from, from Iowa. So... Right, and I don't right, mean Joe right. Smith, the basketball player, by the way. So, uh, moving on to uh, another poker topic. Uh, I don't want to spend too long talking about this one, but Isildur is back and uh, running it up again. This this guy is unbelievable. <laughs> uh, just when you think he's dead, <laughs> he's uh, like Jason. He's like Jason on Halloween. He, he is like Jason on Halloween. <laughs> so uh, he, he's gone up uh, five million plus in four weeks. I don't know if he was staked to do this. I don't know if, what, how much money he had to go in. Uh, he won one point two million from Douglas Polk, also known as WCG Rider, alone. Uh, they were playing four hundred, eight hundred. No Limit Hold'em. And uh, he had just won, you know, WCG Rider just won uh, 800K off of uh, Sauce1234, Ben Solsky. But then he lost uh, the 1.2 back to uh, Isildur. And, uh, and, and anyway, 5 now, plus Jeff, million... Jeff, why don't you explain to me, since I've never really put a hefty figure online. How does he get all this money on there, like, overnight? I'm, I don't know. Uh, it could be... I mean, that's the one... I mean, that goes back to this whole 
Canner thing we'll talk about later. There's all this money coming across online, and I just I don't understand how these guys are getting this money across. Yeah, well, um, I think a lot of them are wiring it or maybe giving uh, giving cash to other players who transfer it to them. There's there's ways to do it. Uh, I, I've never yeah. had to put that type of money online, so I can't tell you for sure. But you don't think a bank would question, like, wait a minute, you know, this amount of money, you know, I, I don't know. Well, it, you it can. Just... I mean, you, you can wire huge amounts of money. They, they do question it a little bit, and it takes a little longer to do than a smaller wire, but they'll they'll do it. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, by the way, uh, it was also brought up that Gus Hansen is uh, is is hitting the skids again. <laughs> uh, so Gus Hansen, who, who's been a successful tournament player, but I, I don't know where he's getting all this money. It may have been also from his full tilt ownership, but uh, I see a graph. I don't know where it came from, but it was posted by a user on the site, uh, Fluffer, the guy who likes to giggle. He, uh, so this goes back to May 2007, <laughs> showing Gus Hansen kind of breaking even for a while. And then, starting in 2009, just went on a huge downswing and lost $10 million between the beginning of 2009 and, the, and like September 2010. So he was like minus $10 million at that point. Then he went on a winning streak between then and February 2011 and, and won about uh, $7 million of it back. Then he either quit or kind of stayed the same. He probably stayed the same because I see the graph just kind of sits there for a while. But he started playing again in uh, October 2012 online. And uh, has lost about, uh, looks like another 9 million since then, in the last year. And it's all been straight down on that graph from that point. Almost no wins. A few small wins, but that's about it. Small million compared to the uh, giant stakes he's playing. And this is over 1.344 million tracked hands, saying his total is minus 12 million since... Uh, May 2007. So, the question is, when is he going to quit? If, if these results are accurate, when is he going to quit and where's all this money coming from? And the question, I, I don't know. I, I've always wondered how Gus Hansen can afford to lose this much. Maybe he has money from other places. Maybe it was from his ownership in Full Tilt. I don't know what to say. Uh, I don't think he's won that money. That he hasn't won that much in tournaments for sure. So I don't know how he's getting twelve million to lose. Maybe people are backing him. He's never been known as a good cash player, so I'm not even surprised by this. He's a, he's a tournament guy. Someone who used to uh, be on the previous site I was involved with sometimes, uh, Eric Crane, Jacks One Hundred One. Some of you know him. His greatest win ever was an $800,000 victory over Gus in PLO. And Eric, who's a huge degenerate himself, when he won that 800k, I talked to him. And he was even younger back then. I was like, Eric, please lock away that money. Please, please, please cash it out. Do something with it. Do not gamble this money. Of course, he didn't listen to me. Now he did buy a house with with some of it, like a cheap house for like 200k or 175k or something, but he lost that house too, and he went broke. So <laughs> didn't listen to me. He chunked off the 800k he won pretty fast. And uh, you'll see Eric Crane playing every World Series. You know he gets staked, and 
Eric can be a good player when he wants to be, when he stops tilting. And what uh, were his uh, what were his leaks? Uh, both tilting and and uh, no bankroll management. Gotcha. So, I, I've I've said with Eric Crane, you never know which one's going to show up. You you can <laughs> have the uh, uh, the good one. You can have the good with points of being bad one, and you can have the terrible one. You never know which one's going to show up. Wow. And uh, so. I mean, I've played against him on Absolute Poker in the past, and he, it, it was amazing. You, you just never really knew. It was, it was Sometimes he built, like, tight, like a tight, aggressive player. Sometimes he'd just be a maniac and just, just shooting off like a like a madman, and not even like a like a smart maniac, just like raise, 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 with just absolute crap. Like a, like a guy would, like, four bet me on the turn, and I'm like, oh, okay, maybe he's got it. And then I check all the river, and he shows me jack high, no draw. I'm like, what the? Did he really think I'm three betting the turn with, with air? Like, like. What could he? He was like he was like playing the bot then, right, Druff? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I couldn't understand. Like, like, why would anyone ever do that? Why would anyone like who's even slightly familiar with my play ever think I would three bet the turn with complete air? I'm not saying I always have a complete monster there, but I I'm never going to three bet the turn with just absolute air unless you know if I totally think that you're bluffing and you will you're willing to fold. I will three bet the turn with air, but that's about it. Like a guy like Jax, right. I'm never going to three bet the turn with air. So, I know he's going to four bet me there. But so like, like uh, it, it was. And it wasn't just like once he did. He just like time and time again. And it's like, does he everything I'm going to fold to him when he does this? Wow, what so, a nut! Yeah, but other times he'd play great. So I, I couldn't figure it out. And, and he wasn't multi-accounting. It was just him. Weird. So uh, anyway, <laughs> um, I I don't know what to say about guys like Isildur and and. Gus Hansen, I always thought it was just so strange how people can play these nosebleed games underrolled for them. How right. you can put that type of money on the line in a single session. How can you lose $1.2 million in a single session, like WCG Rider? How? Like I, That's what I'm saying. Like How much do these guys have to lose that? They, they don't a lot. Of Sometimes that's their whole bankroll. Like, like, even if it's half your bankroll, why? I mean, that's a lot of money. Right. Well, it's not like you're losing... Ten thousand in one session, and your bankroll's twenty thousand. I mean, it's still kind of stupid to do, but fine. It's still not a huge sum of money. But how can you lose over a million unless you're just so wealthy? Like Gila Liberté, fine. He loses a lot of money, but he's so rich, he's a billionaire. Fine. Right. But but right. but these people who are not billionaires, people losing most of their role in one session. How can they do that? How can they lose money? That they could live off of for many years, or they could buy a very nice house with, or like, how can you lose that money and then have very little left? Or lose half your money in one day. It's just crazy. And these people playing the nosebleed games, none of them, or almost none of them, are rolled for it. Right. And it, it's just crazy. But they do it. Yeah. I, I've seen the similar thing with sports betting. I've seen guys win, like, you know, 10, 20 grand in a day, and they'll just take it and say, ah, I'm going to put it on this. It's like, why? I don't get it. Yeah. It's, but at least that's ten or twenty grand. I'm talking like over a million and one. It's just no. But I'm talking ten, twenty grand every week. You know, I, I mean, it's not a lot. But when you see guys betting, you know, a, a dime and five dimes on like ten, twelve games at a time. Yeah. You know, it, it's ugh, it's puzzling. I think the people who play these notably games is a combination of arrogance, like they're the best and they got to prove it, and just a desire for action and to gamble and. 
Just yeah. I think something eats at them. Like I don't want to ever see stakes and say I can't afford that or I can't hang with these people. I've I've got to play it. I don't care if I'm rolled for it. I've got to play. I I I've never had this. I I've never felt I have to. And whenever I've moved up, it's because I think okay maybe I can beat this game and since it's higher I'll win more money. And if it doesn't work out for me, I say all right well it didn't work out. I'm going to go back down. And and it, it right. feels kind of shitty, but. It, I'm not going to destroy myself over it. I'm not going right. to. I'm not going to keep playing or, or or lose half my role in one day. Or like if I, I take a real beating at, at a high limit, I think, you know, I'm depressed about it, and I think, okay, I I can't let this happen again. I've got to. Uh, I've right. got to reevaluate. Do I want to continue with this, or do I want to move to a lower stakes and uh, where I was winning before? I mean, that's a. Because I I don't want to w- lose what I've already won. I I don't want to. Backtrack and undo the good I've already done. I, that, that's just killer. It's it's one thing never to have made that much money, but to have made money and then just chunk it all off, I think is just like the worst. Right. There's a guy I know. He plays seventy five one fifty Omaha, and he's a dealer. And I'm thinking to myself, how much are you? <laughs> how much are you making? And you're playing that game. Yeah. I mean, it, he's a hell of a good Omaha player, but you know, seventy five one fifty Omaha eight. That's a pretty big game. Yeah. With a kill, with a kill. And, and he's a dealer. And I said, I talked to another buddy of mine. I said, how the hell does this guy have the money to play that game? And he's like, I don't know. But he plays it every time it runs. And you think, okay, well, if, if he can play that game, maybe he shouldn't be a dealer. Maybe he should uh, quit the job. You know, like, like, like how, much are you, how much are you making there at your dealing job to where it's worth your time if you can play 75-150 Omaha? Like, if you can beat it, then you might as well just quit the job. And if you're uh... – Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm not really – close to them but i mean it, it's just see that game is big you know yeah even a 3060 is a is a big omaha game but 75 150 is pretty massive and you know he's in there though whenever it runs hmm. well okay so have you seen uh the documentary ultimate beat i watched a trailer for it but i'm uh I, i'm gonna contribute the money because i figure uh you know i figure i might as well just Use it as a write-off as a video rental. Yeah. So I'll probably just pay the what is it three bucks or something? The three or bucks to iTunes? watch it to watch it online and six bucks to download it. I'll just watch it. Yeah. By the way, uh, a China Maniac. I, I have, yeah, I did. I did see the trailer though. It reminded me of the uh, what's that? Um, it reminded me kind of like the Zeitgeist intro. If you ever saw that. <laughs> and I, I said, all right, well, I'll, I'll get around to it. Okay. Did you did you watch the final cut of it? Yeah, well, I watched it. Yes. Uh, before I get to that, I just want to read from the chat room. By the way, uh, China Maniac said uh, WCG Rider is a big winner across a lot of sites, which I know to be true. Um, he, he can sell action off and rebuild easily if need to. Um, he thinks Isildur one is a fish. He actually called him a whale. So uh, he, he's saying that WCG Rider can easily rebuild by selling off action since people respect his game so much that he could just keep staying in action. But still, I mean, even if you can stay in action, you're still losing $1.2 million. You're just risking too much. I don't care. I don't care if I could rebuild and, and you know continue playing the games I want to play even if I go broke. I, you're still losing a lot of real money. I just think it's too much to risk. So, Druff, uh, whatever happened to uh, Zygmunt? I don't know. I, I don't another keep... one track too much of these guys, to be honest. I, I think he's still around in some way, but I I don't keep track of all this. I'm not, I'm not like a poker fanboy. I, I only sure, sure, see, right. these, th- see these stories when they when they go down or something really interesting happens. And, um, you know, so 
I, right. I don't know what happened to Sigmund is the answer. Uh, so the ultimate beat documentary, I watched this right after radio last week. In fact, there was a little delay for a few hours getting this up in the archives. Usually I get it up within a short time of when the show finishes. This time it took a few hours because I just got into watching Ultimate Beat, which should be a good sign for the movie being good because it was boring and I would have uh, easily found the desire to turn it off and finish archiving the show. But uh, I did watch the whole thing straight, which is about 100 minutes long. Obviously I have a lot of interest in the subject of UB since I was one of the activists against AP and UB and their cheating. And I appeared on uh, you know, 60 Minutes and CNBC specials about it. So I, I'm not the typical viewer of that. Also, I was in the documentary, so there's the additional interest for me to see how much of my part was featured in there. Because I, he interviewed me for about an hour, maybe even more, and I knew I wouldn't be in an hour of it, but I, I wanted to see which part he decided to include. I was actually in a healthy part of it, especially at the beginning. You'll see a lot of me. But I'll give you my unbiased, as, or as much as it can be unbiased review. Uh, keep in mind, I have no financial or otherwise stake in Ultimate Beat. None. If it, if it makes a million dollars, I don't get a penny. Uh, I did not get paid for my appearance on it. I, I do not benefit in any way from it doing well. So this is really an unbiased review. Um, I, I found it was very informative. I, I thought that this was the most comprehensive uh, collection of information about the UB scandal that I have seen in one place. And they really did pack a lot of information into that 100 minutes. And, and believe it or not, there was a lot more that could have been packed in that wasn't, that was omitted. Uh, right. Someone even said, oh, we needed another hour. And he's like, another hour? It's already too long. And I agree, you can't have a two-and-a-half-hour film about UB because only the real UB diehards are going to want to watch it. And everybody else is going to say, there's no way I'm watching this. Like, like, already, like, if you're not all that interested in the story but are kind of curious about it, you hear there's a hundred-minute documentary, you're going to think, ah, it's a little bit much. So, like, 160 minutes would be crazy. I'd watch it, but a lot of other people wouldn't, and I'd understand that. Uh, so, uh, I, I'll say that I enjoyed the information presented. I, I think there may have been a few mistakes in there. When I say mistakes, I mean uh, theories that were not true. But I don't blame Scott Bell for that, because he was putting this together from incomplete information. Much like I did with the, uh, the Chris Moneymaker, Jason Young conclusions that I posted... I don't know any of these things for sure. I, I don't know with 100% certainty that uh, Jason Young didn't really have a bookie who ran off or that Chris Moneymaker was broke when he was making the bets. I pieced this together from a bunch of information that I saw posted in that thread and put together what I think is a correct or mostly correct story. And that's, that's what Scott Bell did to a much larger degree with the UB scandal. That's what Haley Hintz has been doing with uh, the AP and UB scandals. And when you do that and when you don't have direct access to a lot of information and when you don't have the power of being in law enforcement where you can subpoena information or force uh, companies to cooperate with you or pressure them to cooperate with you when you're just an individual who has to rely upon leads and, and uh, information that's volunteered sometimes by people who have a uh, an agenda to volunteer the information you have to try to separate the BS from the truth there's a lot to right. do 
you're never going to get 100% of it right. So I, I don't fault Scott Bell from anything he said in that documentary or anything he concluded or implied in that documentary that wasn't true because he tried his best. He tried his best to present what he believed to be the full and correct picture from everything he could research. Uh, so I know some people have attacked it from that standpoint who don't like him, but I don't agree with that, much like I don't agree with anyone who mocks Haley Hints for the same thing. Uh, one complaint that's been common about this documentary is that it's a little bit hard to follow if you are not at all that familiar with the scandal, especially when it comes to the corporate shell game that occurred, where they kind of kept pretending to sell to themselves, or kept splitting off to different companies that owned it, and the whole thing got very confusing. The whole situation was confusing, and the film didn't do very much to make that any clearer. They didn't put a graph of showing, okay, you know, UB started off as this company, then it became this, then it became that, then it split off to this and this, like... There was no graph like that. It was just quick mentions of this company, that company, this company, that company, and very hard to follow, even if you were familiar with the whole situation. Uh, so that, that's one criticism I'll give of it. Another criticism I'll give is that there was not very much coverage of the AP scandal. Very little coverage of that. And there was very little coverage of the fact that the AP guys, guys like Scott Tom and Oscar Hill Tatum, the cheaters from that scandal were active owners of UB up until the very end. And that was just very briefly mentioned, and uh, as was the fact that there's kind of a civil war between the uh, Russ Hamilton, Greg Pearson-type group, and then the, uh, the Scott Tom, Oscar Hill Tatum group, uh, as far as uh, you know, who had control of, of UB in the later days. There also wasn't much mention of anything that happened after 2008, very little mention of the attempted rebrand to Sirius. Very little mentioned of the promotion of the site through guys like Joe Seabach and Prahlad Friedman to try to make it look like it had new owners when it really didn't. I thought these were very important uh, parts of the story that were not really presented very much in that film. But I'll, in its defense, it was already 100 minutes. How much can they say? They had to cut some things. But I thought those were too important to cut. I thought maybe some of the other stuff could have been cut. Uh, so overall, I think anybody who has any interest in the UB scandal should watch this because you get to learn about a lot of the peripheral characters beyond just the Russ Hamiltons and and uh, you know Scott Toms and one, names you've heard mentioned a whole lot. You get to learn a lot more about the involvement of the lesser names in the scandal, and while the film doesn't draw conclusions, it presents a lot of evidence to you and allows you to draw your own conclusions, which I think is good. I think it's good it leaves it open for you to draw your own conclusions. It doesn't say, this person did this, but more of, we have evidence of this person performing these actions, and it looks suspicious to us. You know, you you, you draw your own conclusions. So I feel that uh, you should watch it, and you should buy it. It's worth the $3. It's worth the $6 if you want to download it. That's not very much money, especially the $3. A lot of work was put into this. Scott Bell has been working on this project for years. And I think the best thing is that he's not even finished. When some people posted some negative reviews about certain parts, such as the fact that they couldn't follow the whole thing is about the companies 
and and uh, the you know the ever changing companies that owned UB. They couldn't follow other parts of it, and he said, "I'm willing to take all constructive criticism and actually implement it into a new version of the film." He was actually willing to re-release it with these changes that are being suggested. And I think that's great. He doesn't just say, well, here it is, like it or don't like it, tough luck. He's actually willing to change it, willing to listen to popular opinion, figuring that if enough people say the same thing, they're probably correct about what could be better about it. So while it's not a perfect documentary, and while it can be hard to follow at times, I think anybody who's had any kind of at least moderate interest in the UB scandal will find this enjoyable and informative, even if you need to watch it over like three sittings, half an hour at a time. And... (laughs) Uh, you don't have to be a UB fanatic to enjoy it. But I will say that if you have very little interest in the UB scandal, uh, this is not going to appeal to you that much. You have to have at least some interest in it. So that that's my review of it. And uh, that's really an honest, unbi- unbiased review. And uh, so overall positive, overall, I, I think you should rent it. And you, you should definitely support it because... The goal of this is not to make Scott Bell a ton of money. You know, how many people are going to pay him three dollars to where it's worth that much to him? Even if, even if a thousand people buy it, he's gotten thirty thousand dollars, and and that he has to subtract all the money he put into uh, making this, and of course all the time he spent, it just wouldn't be worth it. He probably could have made more work working McDonald's. So, <laughs> so I mean, it's the truth. So, so I don't think he's going to make very much money on this, and I think he knew that. I don't think he, I don't think he believed this was going to be a a huge uh, money maker for him. He just I, I, he just really got into exposing the UB cheaters and the people whose names were not out there that much sure. and, and and wants to be someone who has a big hand in that. And and I think that's great. And I think anybody who's doing that sort of work, him and Haley Hintz, even though the two of them hate each other, it, uh, I think both of their work should be supported. And if people have talked about, oh, I want to get a torrent of it. I want to uh, find a way to download it and not pay. I, I can't stop you from doing that. But I, I've requested on my site that nobody post any torrents or links to get this for free because I, I, I don't want this sort of hard work to be stolen. And, uh, um, you know, this is a topic that's close to my heart, the, the AP and UB scandal. And anybody who's putting a lot of time and effort into producing films or books about what happened there and not BS books like what Ben Mesrick produced, uh, uh, putting the AP guys in a positive light, but I mean documentaries about what really happened there. I, I want those people to be rewarded for their hard work and not uh, cheated by people getting it for free. So I, I was given it for free by Scott Bell, but not because I'm anyone special. He gave it to me because I participated in it and appeared in the film. So I, that, was, that was kind of my payment is to get one for free. And I, I feel I did my part by you know, being in it and, and coming down and, and being filmed all for this, but... Uh, yeah, and I never asked for money because I, I didn't feel like I needed to make money on this. I just wanted to get out uh, get out the word on this and put right. in my own words about uh, the whole situation and then my feelings about the situation. So that's uh, so so it's better than Runner Runner. Yeah, yeah. Well, Runner Runner's a, a, I haven't seen it yet, but it, Runner Runner is is fiction. Runner Runner is is uh, taking an actual event, the UB scandal, and really, really, really fictionalizing it into something else and not even claiming to be an accurate portrayal of that story. So I, I, I don't mind Runner Runner for that reason, even if it wasn't a good movie. I, I don't mind it. I don't mind that someone made a, a fictional version of it as long as they don't purport that it's the actual situation that occurred there. 
as right. long as they just make an associated story that they got the idea from, fine. You know, that's a, in fact, I was proud of them for commissioning this DVD extra part that uh, if you buy the DVD of it, you get to see a special about real cheating in online poker, of which you'll see me as well. And of course, as I've mentioned before, I also didn't get paid for. So, right. Uh, uh, if it's about UB or AP, some sort of media, you'll probably see me in it. But uh, I, some people have accused me in the past. I'm just trying to get my face on video, or just like to hear myself talk, or you know, I'm trying to worm my way into these things just to brag about. No, I, I was actually invited to all of these things. I didn't ask to be in any of these. Scott Bell asked me into to be in Ultimate Beat. Uh, the company that made the DVD extra for Runner Runner asked me to be in it. 60 Minutes asked me to be on there. CNBC asked me to be on there. I didn't approach a single one of these entities and ask to be on them. I guarantee you, I can prove to you if need be, that all four of these contacted me and asked me to be in them. And I said yes. That's how it went. So, uh, next topic I won't talk that long about, and we're actually finally getting close to the end of the agenda here at 11.30. Need this be a long <laughs> show. NetTeller's parent company will be processing online gambling payments in New Jersey for their upcoming legalized online gaming there. If you remember, NetTeller was the processor extraordinaire for uh, online poker and every other form of gambling prior to the UIGEA being passed, and even a little bit after that, where it was great. You wanted to move money around between gambling sites, NetTeller could let you do so instantly. It was so cool. You could withdraw like instantly off PokerStars, move it into a sports book, or vice versa. Sometimes there's a little bit of a waiting period while your withdrawal is examined, but if you're a trusted user on, on one of these sites, they will let you withdraw instantly, ship it to Net- NetTeller instantly, you can move it, and you could make pretty quick withdrawals to your bank accounts. I, I made a ton of NetTeller withdrawals to my bank accounts when I was uh, you know, winning a lot during the heyday of online poker. It was great. No no waiting eight weeks for checks, no bounce checks, no $2,500 withdrawal limits per month, no crap like that. Just unlimited money getting you know, to and from poker sites through NetTeller. Huh. But it all ended in 2007 when the feds busted them and essentially confiscated all of their profits they had ever made with the company, over $100 million. And uh, you know, they confiscated this money via a fine where they, they, they arrested the two founders of it when they stupidly came to the U.S. And they basically dropped the charges against them if they forked over all that money, which they did. So I thought NetTeller was pretty much done. You know, They were allowed to continue doing business after that, but they were only doing business with non-U.S. players, and it's been like that ever since. Well, listen to this. Optimal Payments PLC, a leading global online payment provider, has been found suitable by the New Jersey Division of Gaming Enforcement to offer payment and risk management solutions, thankfully not uh, iOvation, to New Jersey licensed providers of internet gaming. Optimal Payments is the parent company of NetTeller, which has a long history with the world of online poker. NetTeller served as the most popular e-wallet option for poker players in the U.S. before the company was forced to leave the country by the Department of Justice after the UIGEA. Six years later, Optimal Payments is making its long-awaited return to the U.S. The company has already partnered with Caesars Interactive Entertainment and Bally Technologies to provide payment solutions and related services. 
We are excited to be an approved vendor in New Jersey, and we look forward to leveraging our vast experience and expertise to help facilitate online payments for our partners in New Jersey, said Joel Leonoff, President and CEO of Optimal Payments. New Jersey plans to go live with web gambling on November 26th after a five-day trial period starting on November 21st. The state began awarding permits to operators this month, with the first going to the Borgata, Tropicana, Golden Nugget, and uh, Trump Taj Mahal Casino and Trump Plaza Hotel Casino. They've also received licenses. So, uh, interesting. I think that's fine. Uh, the only thing I didn't like about NetTeller back in the day was they were super hard asses when it came to rules. Like, I remember they suspended my account because I sent a very small amount of money from my account to my girlfriend's account. And to get the money, you have to accept the transfer on the other end. So, like, I'd send money to my girlfriend, and then she'd click accept. So, I told my girlfriend, hey, I'm just going to ship it to your NetTeller account, and I'll, I'll do all the accepting. You just, uh, you know. What she wanted, she wanted some money to play on PokerStars. Like, not very much, like $300. So, I said, okay, I'm going to ship it to your NetTeller account. Here's your NetTeller number. Like, I I had set the whole thing up for her in the first place. So just enter that onto PokerStars to put in the 300, and I'll transfer it to you right now. I, I don't know why I didn't transfer it on PokerStars. I don't remember why. But but whatever. I sent it to you on NetTeller. <laughs> and what NetTeller got so mad about was that I used my own computer to accept the, the transfer. So I sent it and then used the same computer to accept it. And they were they were furious about this. They said, oh, my, how could you do this? You know, this is against our rules. You can't send it and accept on the same computer. And and so I told them, which wasn't true, but I said, look, she was at my house, so I sent, and then she went to the keyboard and clicked accept. No, you can't do that. It's in our terms and conditions. You do that one more time, your account's closed forever. Like, they're really nasty with me about it. They're treating me like a criminal. And I had a perfect history with them. They had made so much money and fees off of me. I mean, I didn't pay the fees, but uh, the online sites were paying the fees. I, I was a great customer of theirs, and I sent $300 to, to her, and there was no problem with it. Like, it's not like... Uh, I hacked someone's account, or, or I went into her account and said to me, I just sent my own account to hers. And I can see where they'd say, we don't want this, but they were really nasty to me. But other than that, uh, I, I really liked their service, and it was really great to have them before they were kicked out of the U.S. market. And they never did anything shady, as far as I know. So, you know, they, they at least they have experience great. I support this. How, how do you feel about this? Uh-oh. I think my co-host abandoned me. I'm here, buddy. No, I said, how did you feel about this? Oh, I didn't hear you. Oh, you must have, not, must have had some sound problem. I mean, I, I I used to love NetTeller, but, you know, now just playing online, it's just the, you know, the doing the check system is just as easy, you know? Yeah. Yeah, the e-check system is, is is pretty easy. I did that. I do that on. Uh, you know, what I like about Ultimate Poker. I'll say this: if you have a Citibank debit card, yeah, you can you can deposit like unlimited. It seems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but that's that whole thing we're talking about the the liability. I mean, they're really exposed if you're like, you know what? Here's twenty grand, and then say someone took your card. Yeah, I always wondered about that. Like, 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 what if I had like a hundred grand in my in my Citibank? Could someone really just decimate my card for a hundred k? And then you uh, claim, and then you claim it was stolen. Yeah, <laughs> like I, I wonder if that's going to happen. But uh, um, I'm sure you know the the you know I don't know what uh, what's his name has been up to lately. Who's the kid that used to 
calling it the N-word all the time. Oh, uh, of uh, one step. Yeah, I'm sure he's plotting, you know, multiple accounts or something. Yeah, yeah. I, I have a but, feeling that I have a feeling that I'll be in the Bellagio parking lot sometime, and instead of uh, a, a cute Italian hairdresser uh, hitting on me, I think I'm just gonna get some guy with a gun saying, uh, "Hand over your Citibank card. I want to play on Ultimate Poker." <laughs> so, anyway. yeah, the, the net the net teller thing is always a. It, I mean, are they still around at all in the states for any kind of processing? No, or no? no, they're 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 completely out of the market here. That was one of the oh. agreements they made to uh, uh, to continue operating and to uh, not be in jail. So, so they must be pretty in tight with Party, right? Because didn't Party do the same thing? They asked them to leave and they left? Yes. Yeah. But it was different. Party left immediately at the UIGEA. Net Teller kept doing it for a few more months and then got busted. Right. So party had it a little bit easier. Party cooperated a little bit more, but uh, you know the U.S. Is, is pretty positive on both of them because at least uh, they both backed out pretty quickly after the UIGEA, and and um, right. they both paid a big fine in the hundreds of millions. So, uh, speaking of a fine, second to last topic here. This is really weird, and for once the PPA did something useful, which you don't hear me say very often, but. Uh, the PPA has finally decided to uh, branch out and not just write letters and petitions that are ignored by the White House. Uh, they, they finally decided to do something a little bit useful and try to get involved in these remissions processes and try to get the government to do the right thing in getting the players the most they possibly can and in the most efficient manner. Now, they, they haven't been very successful like everything they do, but something interesting came out of one of their latest efforts. Uh, some people who had money stuck on AP and UB when it went down, and you know they had the same situation as Full Tilt, where they stole all the money, and people had money on there, and there's nothing to withdraw, and they were they also went down after Black Friday. Uh, unlike Full Tilt, where there's a fund to where we will be getting our money back eventually, maybe from Garden City Group, who's managing it. AP and UB is a different story. Uh, basically, they were seized by the government. It was never sold to anything. They were seized for the crime of money laundering. And their, aff- their assets were forfeited. But their assets were not forfeited for the crime of cheating players. They were forfeited for the crime of money laundering, which is different than Full Tilt, where they were accused of, quote, a Ponzi scheme. So their money was forfeit. Their assets were forfeited for a different reason, for cheating players. So the government's attitude, basically, is that since the APUB assets were forfeited to the government, that whatever the government gets out of these assets, it's theirs. Right. Because this was just a seizure for money laundering, not for cheating players. And if they happen to have cheated players also, well, oh well, that's not what we busted them for. So... And 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 they're not going to continue. They're not going to bust them for cheating players because they've they've pretty much done all they're going to do. So for that reason, it looks highly unlikely that players who had money stuck on AP and UB will get anything. Now, I will throw out that unlike Full Tilt victims who had no clue this was coming and really felt that Full Tilt was probably reputable, AP and UB was different. Most of the people who had money on there knew very well 
that AP and UB was owned by the same people who cheated them and didn't care because they wanted to play in good games. They didn't give a crap about uh, continuing to support a company like this and, and giving the middle finger to the rest of the poker community who was boycotting them. In fact, a lot of them were there because the rest of the poker community was boycotting them, figuring the games would be better without all these sharks on the site. So those people I really don't have much respect for, and I am happy to see that they're not going to get their money. However, as a public service, I will still tell people how to get their money, maybe, Probably not, but possibly. Small chance. Uh, you can file a remissions request, you know, just in case you're one of these people who truly didn't know what was going on there and innocently deposited, thinking it was the new UB that had nothing to do with the old UB and then uh, found out the bad news later. Apparently, there's a report that Kansas, the state of Kansas, received $6 million from the government in relation to their case, their claim against the AP and UP, UB domains. Now, the way this happened was Kansas was one of these states that was going after domains. Or Sorry, it wasn't Kansas, it was Kentucky. I don't know why I put Kansas. I put it and then I repeated it on, uh, because it's on my agenda. It was actually Kentucky. I apologize for the wrong uh, information. Anyway, Kentucky went after domains of illegal online poker sites that were offering uh, services in their state. And um, it's an interesting tactic Kentucky was taking, and that is if you were offering illegal online gaming in our state, then we have a right to seize your domain. So, ultimate poker, or not ultimate, ultimate bet (laughs) was the victim of this, and I shouldn't say victim because they they weren't the victim of anything. But uh, Kentucky went after them for this and went after their domain, saying we have a right to your domains. Uh, This has been something that's been going on for quite some time. In fact, players from Kentucky weren't allowed to play on UB after December 3rd, 2008 because of this. And um, but Kentucky still kept their claim up for those uh, domain names. And um, when the government seized AP and UB, Kentucky said, hey, we were here first. We right. want our $6 million. We, you know, we, not our six, they said, we want something here because these are our domains. So huh. what the U.S. government did was said, all right, fine, here's $6 million. And I just found this out today, and I'm not 100% sure this is true, but this is coming out of a report from the PPA. So it probably is. Where did that money come from? Well, that's the most interesting part. It came from the Full Tilt Remissions Fund. No. Yep. From the fund that's supposed to pay us, the players, apparently (laughs) $6 million. Goes to the Jack Daniels distillery? (laughs) Pretty much. Wow. Really, really bad. So, uh... Well, the, uh, what is it, the uh, GG, or what is it, what is that company that's doing this? Oh, G- the GCG, Garden City Group, yeah. Yeah, doing a hell of a job. Yeah, definitely, so. So, yeah, can you believe our $6 million, $6 million of our fund, supposed to go to the players, you know, they're not paying out our full tilt points or our Iron Man medals, those get, those get lost, those are just promotional, they say. We don't get that, but uh, the state of Kentucky, uh, they are entitled of a, to $6 million somehow. <laughs> 
the, the government for you. So the only silver lining in this, if this is true, and again, I'm I'm going off the uh, PPA report, and uh, this was analyzed by the former CEO of True Poker, David Gzesh. This is his conclusions. I, I actually didn't read the whole thing. I, I found this out just a very short time before the show started. But the only silver lining to this is the fact that since a payment was made to to Kentucky from this fund over something on AP and UB, that should open the door, maybe, to players who got cheated by AP and UB to make a remissions claim from that same fund. Basically saying, go through the full tilt remissions process, except file a petition also for UB. And say, I had this much on UB, I'm claiming this. And you can even put that I was, uh, I've been made aware that this fund has been used to pay victims of the UB scandal, and that a $6 million payment was already made to Kentucky, who considered themselves one of the victims of the scandal. So, it probably won't be successful, but it might have opened up the door to this. Because now they can't say that this fund is only for victims of full tilt. Because Kentucky felt they were victims of, full, of uh, UB, and they got $6 million from this fund, according to this report. So you may want to try submitting a petition for remissions the same way you would for full tilt, but also for UB, if you had money on there. So uh, it probably won't be successful, but you may want to give it a try. Finally, Cantor Gaming... This is a story that was brought to me by my co-host Lon Cigar. Cantor Gaming is eyed in a federal money laundering probe. Cantor Gaming provides sports betting in the Las Vegas area, and they got in trouble a while back, uh, I think last year, for uh, placing illegal sports bets through the site Pinnacle. Uh, One of their employees was doing this. So um, I'll read this article, and then you, you can definitely tell me what you think about this, because you, uh, you, you used to work for Cantor Gaming. Uh, Cantor Fitzgerald's betting affiliate eyed in money laundering probe. Federal state authorities investigate whether Cantor Gaming failed to report suspicious transactions. Reports earlier in October alleged Cantor Gaming Chief Lee Amatis and Cantor Gaming were being investigated for knowingly taking illegal sports bets. If true, the probe follows a guilty plea to fraud conspiracy by former VP of Risk Management at Cantor, Michael Colbert. Colbert admitted to accepting illegal wagers and participating in an illegal gambling ring that included the arrest of 24 others. The plea came to light following the release of sealed documents in late September, and Colbert is said to be cooperating with authorities. Cantor Fitzgerald is denying the investigation, according to reports, and spokesmen told the Wall Street Journal, quote, that Colbert's wrongdoing, to which he has pleaded guilty, was his alone and did not extend to other executives or the company as a whole. A federal law requires companies to report all cash transactions of greater than $10,000, which Cantor says it has always complied with. The source says that the list of those investigating Cantor includes the U.S. Attorney's Office in Brooklyn, the U.S. Postal Inspection Service, the IRS, the Treasury Department's Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, the Inspector General of the Federal Reserve Board, and the Nevada Gaming Control Board previously said it is investigating the sports betting operation. Now, what do you make of this? Well, I want your take first. Don't you find it odd that one of the largest trading, you know, firms in the world 
is doing sports betting? Yeah, it it, it is kind of strange. Uh, you want to talk about moving money around? You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a good point. I, I never thought of it that way, but that's a good point. That it's a, that is a good way to launder money. And, uh, and and I'm not trying to say, believe me, I mean, it, it's betting. You know what I mean? They're not just taking the money. But what I'm saying is they go by the claim. I don't know if they still do this. I've heard they cut people off. But they go by the claim that they'll take any bet from anybody. But when you have, you know, I, I mean, I, I think in the I think in 9-11, didn't they lose like a ton of people because they were all in Tower 1? The first fourteen floors of that tower. Yeah, yeah, were they, all... they did. They yeah. did lose a whole lot of people. Yeah, because they. Right. What, what happened right. was they they were in the first tower that was hit, and uh, they were above where the uh, the plane hit. So, unlike some people in the second tower that was hit, that that really right. kind of they could have escaped if they had uh, been a little bit more prudent and said, "Hey, yeah, I better get out of here." Even if they didn't think sure. a second attack was coming, just hey, the tower next to me is on fire. Better get out of here. Uh, right, right. Some people just stayed at work. I don't know why I would have been out of there real fast, but uh, the people in the first tower who were in Counter Fitzgerald, they they had no way to prevent yeah, their own death. No I mean, but they do over, I think it's like a, a trillion trades in, in a year. I mean, you're talking so much money, and they're heading up a sports betting operation. It's just, that's the one thing that I never could understand how that was even, you know, how that that even got approved? Yeah, and and taking these huge bets, yeah, it is kind of strange. And you know what? I have to say that I don't believe the this many federal institutions, law enforcement institutions, would be that concerned if it was just a matter of some guys going that's... there and placing fifteen thousand dollar bets, and they're not making them file a CTR. Like that's just, uh, I, I think you're that would be a, a gaming thing. I mean, you're... If you ever look at, I mean, and I know he loses bets too, but if you ever look at all Mayweather's bets, they're all run through Canner. Yeah. All, they're yeah. all run through the M, which is a Canner book. I mean, you're, and that's not the only one. I mean, I'm not trying to say that Hilton doesn't take big bets, but, you know, when you have an investment firm involved in an online, or, you know, taking sports bets, it's bizarre. It's like having Wells Fargo take sports bets. Yeah, it is weird, and and with this many different uh, investigative bodies involved, major investigative bodies, I I just really don't think this is something minor, like that they're just not filing the CTR forms as much as they should. I mean, this is the list investigating them, the U.S. Attorney's Office in Brooklyn, the U.S. Postal Inspection Service, the IRS, the Treasury Department's Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, the Inspector General of the Federal Reserve. uh, I mean, that's... That's a lot of different right. bodies investigating. Plan, the, the Federal Reserve wasn't even involved in like the full tilt. You're talking the Federal Reserve Bank, meaning banking. Uh, you know what I mean? I mean it's yeah. It's there's just, there's no way they get involved in this if it's just something minor and they're just not filing all the right forms or or taking a few big bets from uh, Floyd Mayweather and not not filing the right forms. I mean that's they're not going to waste their time with that. Someone will waste their time. Maybe Nevada Gaming will. Maybe the IRS will. But not not all these together. Right. So I mean, like I said, I mean, I when I worked there, I never saw anything, but I always just thought it was odd that a, a investment firm started an operation of sports betting. I mean, somehow that money has got to flow through the channels. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, 
you know, you have a casino and you got a pit and you got the poker room and you got the bingo. It's it's still all coming from one corporation, you know. So I just I've and I I have a feeling that the Colbert guy, if he's cooperating, he might be telling them stuff. Who knows? Yeah, that's uh, that might have been what led to this whole thing, this whole investigation. Maybe that they investigated this Colbert guy to try to get a weak link in the organization and then find out right. the real stuff they cared about, much more than some gambling ring in Las Vegas. Right. That had a uh, photographer girl running sports bets, remember? She had the, fo- yeah. the photo studio. <laughs> that was so weird. I, I, I just thought of her when I read that, too. It's, it's like so hard to forget her. It's like this, uh, this like cute, sprightly-looking uh, children's photographer who's like, 42 years old, but yeah, you know, she she kept herself up pretty well, and she was like this this uh, just this cute little woman. You, you you picture you bring your kids to her, and she takes these cutesy pictures. Uh, uh, and then she takes ten times on the Dodgers and the Lakers. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and then like like you know, you have a family bringing over their three year old, their one year old for cute pictures, and then the next person coming to the door is like, hey, yeah, um, here's uh here's two hundred k here for uh, for tonight's NBA. <laughs> Like, 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 like! How does a girl like that get involved? Like, they arrested various poker players. I could totally see the poker players uh, being involved in booking action. I mean, it's the same thing that happened with, uh, you know, on the other bust, the Trencher bust for uh, with, with Justin Smith uh, and and uh, Peter Feldman that, and, and all those. That, that still, that still is just bizarre to me. That uh, you know, I, I can see the. I mean, I guess I can't see Bill Adler doing it, but you look at Justin Smith, and he doesn't look like the kind of guy that. Isn't sports betting? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. it's I don't know. Yeah, well, I, I think a lot of these guys did it because they needed bank rolls, and this was an easy way to do it. And they knew a lot of degens who liked to bet sports and poker, so you know it was very easy for them to have clients, and uh, so they fit right in. But they could all totally make sense. But that that, that one photographer girl, I don't know how she got involved. It's just like such a like right. a forty-two year old female children's photographer. Right, who who looks like yeah. just like totally clean cut and like just this like this this like cute little uh, girl. It's so strange. It was totally not right. what you'd ever picture as, as someone who's a bookie. But uh, anyway, but yeah, I'm, totally, I'm totally gonna watch this because I'm. I have a couple friends that still work over there, and I mean, it's if they go down, I mean that'll change everything because there's only really like four or five books left in this whole city there's yeah. William Hill there's Canner there's Station and there's you know I guess Boyd and the Orleans but you know they were pretty much on the path to buy up everybody I mean they bought the Venetian sports book they bought the Palms you know yeah a lot of people don't realize that that uh, when they bet with these sports books they think they're betting with a hotel but they're really not no and and it's you know it's getting harder and harder my friend told me that the once seattle lost this last game if they would if the seattle would have covered and the over would have hit the books would have been in deep deep shit wow. but because that game didn't win all the parlay tickets teasers everything got thrown in the garbage you know what they so. need to learn that they need to learn the art of uh, of middling from jason young if they want to stay in business <laughs> right so, you, you haven't been doing any teasers, though. You said, huh? No, I, you know, I had to give up on the teasers, not because I wanted to, but because uh, they're dead. They, the odds have shut me out of placing positive expectation bets. They, all the online books that used to offer 
positive expectation teaser odds don't do it anymore. The last good one. What do they one, cut it down to? Like just seven point teasers, or not even that? No. What, what they do is they make the payouts to where they're not worth it. So, like the three team right. payouts now range between plus one forty five and plus one sixty. You need really plus one eighty, so you're right. not even close. Now, Bodog or Bovada, I mean, they were a great place to do it. You couldn't bet very high with them. You could only bet up to like a thousand with them. But the good thing was. Not only did they pay full at the time, but uh, they also sometimes posted the wrong lines. Wrong meaning like uh, they didn't update them fast enough. So <laughs> you could really take advantage of it from a teaser standpoint. And and I got so many extra points with them. It was like I was buying extra points for free on these teasers, which was huge. So yeah. I, I was I was way plus EV getting teasers against them, and they were so clueless they didn't catch it. So finally they just lowered them across the board. Uh, right. Where you just it's just not worth it, and you can still do two teamers for minus one ten in a lot of places, including Bodog, but it's just not worth it. I, I read analysis on this, and from a mathematical standpoint, it's just about break even to do that. And so yeah, it's break, and you're really doing good if you're about fifty three percent in sports betting now. Well, yeah, but I was talking about like after the juice, it's like break even. Oh, so I was like, right, I was like, right. I was like, yeah, if if I'm like, if I'm feeling like, yeah, I want to be degenerate and just bet in break-even mode, fine, but you know, these are some effort, and it's t- tough to get money on and money off and all that other crap these days in the U.S. phasing sports books. So, like, do I want to do all that for a break-even bet that, right. you know, it's just not worth it. Like, uh, um, so I, I said I'm not going to do it. But, you know, if they still had the old odds, I would totally be doing it. And fortunately, my very last teasing experience was a good one uh, where I barely, barely won almost 10k on my last experience doing it and uh, and then that was my very last time and uh, it's yeah. been, been a little while but at least I got a good last experience out of it and I, I never got as much out of it as I could have I just joined the whole party too late I, I wish I could have been doing this for years before that because I would have been and I would have made a lot of money but uh, yeah. yeah so be it uh, if anybody ever finds a, a sports book that I can bet on either live or online that takes uh Six point NFL teasers for plus one eighty. Please let me know because uh, I'll definitely do it unless it's a no pay book. Then I definitely won't do it. But uh, I, I bet Jason Young would probably take my action on that if uh, <laughs> if, I, if I requested it. Yeah, I got a I got a buddy. Yeah, he, uh, he's hammering. He's been hammering this one uh, this one book, and they cut him off. He was doing ten point teasers and betting like seven games and just hitting them every single week, and they finally just cut him off. I'm surprised they did so, because they. they Usually yeah. less. Well, when you're doing ten point teasers, I mean, you're getting if you're getting a team that's you know minus twenty eight, and then you get them eighteen. It's you know, but he was betting. He was betting. Started betting a thousand, then two thousand, then he went up, and they said no more. Yeah, I think they just were eliminating the risk because you know, just in case he he's just a amazingly sharp better, and they don't want to mess with it. A lot of them just get just kind of panic when they see that. You know, these have been mathematically analyzed to death. And oh. it's it's been determined what lines you need and what payouts you need uh, in order to profit in these situations uh, on average. And of course, there is variance, but it's been determined pretty accurately. And yeah. uh, you know, sometimes well, this last week, all the favorites came in. If you had San Fran, Denver, Denver, and the Packers, you were cashing a three-team ticket easy. Some, something I found that uh, it was interesting. I, I came up with one conclusion about betting these teasers that the general uh, sports betting teaser world never accepted. 
but I still think it's right. And that conclusion yeah. was, if now the conclusion that is accepted, that wasn't mine, was that you want a low total on these games because it makes each point more meaningful. So when you get six extra points in the game, it means it means more. So that that right. and that's true, and that's been mathematically proven. What no mm-hmm. one seems to have analyzed, and what people don't seem to want to acknowledge, but I, I've noticed just anecdotally from personal experience, and it makes sense, is that teams that have less variance in their play, teams that infrequently get blown out are much better to tease than teams that do get blown out sometimes. Uh, and, and the reason I say this is that a team that doesn't get blown out very often can often not cover but still win the teaser for you with the extra six points where if they get blown out a lot then it will ruin your teaser a lot. So like, I had it when I was betting teasers. I had certain teams like, like the Oakland Raiders I remember one year that Sometimes it played decently, and other times just get completely blown out, and they would kill my mm. teaser every time. And I, I'd be following all the rules for the for the wrong teasers like I'm supposed to, and and I just keep losing thanks to these stupid teams that keep getting blown out. And I realized these were teams that uh, tend to be you know pretty bad teams, either last place or close to it, you know, very bad teams that just had a real problem with blowout games, and, and where a lot of times the line would be, uh, you know, plus. Uh, Plus two point five or something, mm. and uh, yeah, and and then they end up losing by uh, by seventeen, by twenty. You know, right. like, like obviously it's going to happen sometimes, but uh, teams that are more likely to have variance in how close they are to the line, you know, the the ones that finish close to the line, sure, more often are much better to tease. And I, I kept yeah. trying to insist why that's mathematically correct. I didn't have the numbers to run, but I, I, I insisted that conceptually this is true. And I said, you know what, I'm going to try to stay away from teams that get blown out a lot, even if they yeah. otherwise fall in the parameters. And people say, oh, you're an idiot, this doesn't mean anything, and they try to try to cite to me why that doesn't mean anything. But I said, I don't I don't buy it. I don't believe you. I, I, I don't want to tease teams that get blown out a lot. Yeah. So, so well, anyway. Well, China should call in. I, 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 would hope he did, I would hope he did good this last week. I know the book was getting destroyed on Sunday, uh, especially with NFL, just every single one covered. And Denver, you know, you, you think they're out, and then they just come back and score. That's a game that's always going to go over because they can score 30 points, and they have a shitty defense. So the other team is at least going to score 20 points. But the funny thing is they were saying that about two years ago, the average line on the total was 37 to 41 some of these games draw for like fifty nine for the over. Wow, it's it's crazy. You know what I found interesting in this article I read about uh, Haralal Bob Fulgaris. Uh, you read that in ESPN? Yeah, that is a, an old article. It's sort of old. Not, it's like right. an read recent article. But what was really interesting was how he made a lot of his money was taking advantage of a flaw in the lines that I could not believe happened. It's one of these things that was so simple, I can't believe that more didn't think of it. And that was, and this doesn't exist anymore, so don't bother trying to take advantage of this. But he was taking advantage of the second half NBA lines, where what sports books were doing was just cutting the lines in half for the second half. So if a team was favored <laughs> by by eight, then for the second half they're minus four, and they weren't adjusting for you know who's ahead at the second half, you know who's blowing who out. So, Injury so he would, is nothing. Yeah, so he would find situations where where a team is blowing the other one out, 
at, at halftime, and he knows that they're going to take out their their star players, and not really try because they know they've got the game in the bag. And and sure enough, uh, they were covering the line way more than they should. And and so he was taking advantage of this for so long. It made millions of dollars apparently taking advantage of this flaw. And I'm thinking, what kind of moron is setting these second half lines by just simply cutting the regular line by half? Like, yeah, how could they have they, been? They, don't, they they got everything covered now. I mean, for the most part, I knew a guy that. Well, he's an old guy. He he's just made a ton of money. He used to actually write props like way way back, and he him and his kid just. Just started totally hammering, hammering books on prop bets. You know they could only bet a, a certain number on the props, but they would bet like you know is so and so going to throw X number of TDs in the second half? And they had everything figured out, like they had already you know calculated it. They would just go in there and hammer it and hammer it and hammer it, and then they just started getting backed off of everywhere, and then they had to get runners to go running for them. I mean, everyone will try to get an edge one way, but the books are slowly, you know, just eliminating that. So, yeah, uh, so much. And these, these college games, you never know. Like this team, you think they're gonna, you know, they'll they'll put the throttle on, but then in the second quarter, they'll just totally ease off, and you're like, come on, score! And they don't <laughs> score, unless it's like you know Oregon or you know something like that. Yeah. Well. So that. Uh, oh, by the way, I just. And it's after midnight now, as I knew it would be with this show. But uh, Benjamin's Benjamin's probably awake still. Yeah, I, I hope he's asleep here. I mean, he was up at this time on Friday night. <laughs> that was uh, that was a surprise. Hopefully, he's not doing that tonight. Uh, I think I would have heard from his mom by now. I, I think that uh, <laughs> you, you know, it's, 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 I never know what to do. I never know what to think with her in this radio show because. Um, Sometimes if she wants me to end it or something's going on, like she'll she'll come in and signal to me that she's pissed off and I'll do it. But other times there would be like totally good, very very valid reasons to interrupt it and and tell me to end it. Like one time there was a a, a big thing happened personally for us. I won't bother to go into it, but uh, right. it was something I would have definitely wanted to know and probably would have ended the radio show right there. But she waited to the end of the show, and I I said, "Why did you wait to tell me?" This big piece of news. She said, I, "I didn't want to ruin the show for you." I was like, <laughs> I was like "That's nice of you, but you know, next time something this big, just tell me." So uh, yeah. you know, sometimes she wants to respect the show and, and not disturb it, which which I appreciate. And then other All times, right. uh, yeah, if Benjamin's driving her nuts and staying up for eternity. She'll finally tell me to come. Yeah. So I think the fact that I, I haven't been visited yet shows that uh, it's probably. Everybody's probably sleeping now, which which is good. And yeah. but anyway, let me uh, just about Haralabo Vulgaris. Someone brought up recently on Twitter that I think they, maybe they posted on the site about that he was on quitting. Twitter. What is that? That he was uh, quitting betting or something? No, what I saw was that he was talking about what he would need to make per year to make it worthwhile for him to run a tout service. Uh, and I thought that was yeah. an interesting discussion because when you have someone with that good of a reputation, right, you would think that he could make a fortune running a tout service just based upon his reputation alone. I mean, if think about Haralabob's NBA picks. I mean, everybody would want those. People would pay right. big money for those after all the hype that's been surrounding him and being the best NBA sports better in the world. So 
just based upon that, the second he'd open up the service, he'd make a fortune. So people have asked him, right. why don't you do that? And he said back, if it's not $3 million that I would make from it, at least, then it wouldn't be worth it to me. And people are like, what? $3 million? You're telling us that you need $3 million a year to make it worth your time? Like if you made 500 k off this, that wouldn't be worth your time? To just simply make pigs right. and post them? And he right. said no. So no one could understand that. They thought he was being arrogant, just saying that his time is so worthwhile now that uh, $2 million wouldn't be enough. He needs $3 million. I don't think that's what he was saying, but I think he didn't want to say the truth. And let me tell you what my belief is about the truth of why he wouldn't run a tout service unless there was a huge reward in doing so. Right now, everybody believes Haralbob Vulgaris to be the best NBA sports better in the world. And if he were to go on a losing streak, which he has before, if you read the the ESPN article about him from a while back, he talks about some losing streaks he had. Mm-hmm. But if he were to go on a losing streak this year, for example, lose a fortune, nobody would know. Nobody would know that he's struggling. Nobody would know that maybe his old methods that he was using to beat the NBA sports betting system no longer work. Uh, nobody would know. He would privately be suffering, but nobody would know. His reputation would be intact. However, let's say he ran a tout service, and let's say he didn't do well. Let's say it wasn't his fault that he didn't do well. Let's say he just ran bad and had a losing season. And all these people who paid all this money for him to give his picks, he ended up losing for them. And they ended up losing a lot of money because of it. Right. You would have all these people that went from admiring him to hating him, to thinking he was a fraud, to thinking he was exaggerating his own results. To thinking sure. he was never that good. To thinking that uh, he's a has-been. All these different derogatory things people would think of him because he would be going into it with such high expectations for everyone. And if he failed to perform to those expectations, even through no fault of his own, uh, his stellar reputation would go in the toilet. And I think he enjoys the reputation. I think he enjoys people looking up to him for his sports betting prowess and for doing what very few people can do and that is consistently make big money just directly betting sports uh, and I think it wouldn't be worth it to him to take that risk to have that type of hit to his reputation unless he absolutely made huge money from it like 3 million a year I think he's trying to say it would need to be something like 3 million a year for me to be willing to take that risk to my reputation and anything less than that isn't worth that because I have money now I, I, I'm very comfortable. I have plenty of money to live on, to do what I want. So I, I'm sure if he was broke, he'd be happy to start a tout service and have the guaranteed money. But but he's not broke. He has plenty of money, so he has enough to where that's the money he needs to risk his reputation. And I, I really think that if he had a bad year, the public perception of him would change, even if it was an unfair perception. It would change, right. and I don't think he wants that. You just You just don't want to... Sometimes you, when you have built a reputation of some sort, the one problem there is you can't take that many risks anymore. You have to be very careful what you say and what you do because you don't want to destroy the reputation you've built, and that can happen very quickly. And uh, it can especially happen quickly when money's involved. And, and people's memories are very short, uh, especially if there's not quantifiable data that you can prove. So unless... It, you you can't see a list of all of Haralbob's bets and picks in the past. You just have to trust that he's made a lot of money in the NBA. But you you don't know for sure. You know what? What if he had a rich uncle that's been uh, leaving him all this money? And he's actually been losing betting, and nobody knows. Like uh, I'm not saying that's what happened. I believe he's made a lot of money, but uh, nobody has any absolute proof 
that he's been winning what he says he's been winning in the NBA. But, but they believe right. it based upon everything they've heard. But if, if he goes out and, and, and looks like he's inept and has a losing season, then that changes everything. That That's why he's not doing it, in my opinion. Yeah. Did you ever meet him? I have not met him, but uh, he knows, this is another person who I like to describe as knows of me and I know of him. In fact, occasionally he mentions things about me on 2 Plus 2. It's interesting. He's actually made comments about me twice in, I'd say, the last two months or so on 2 Plus 2. One positive, one kind of negative. The positive one was uh, he was talking, I think it was something about UB or, or, or Lock Pokers. Some shade, I think it was UB. Some kind of shady site that I've involved myself with uh, following. And he said something like, uh, well, I, I, don't, I don't know all about this uh, I, I can't really tell you this much, but I'm sure if you consult Druff, he'll be able to tell you, or something like that. Which is, oh, that's that's a nice endorsement from him. But but the, but he wasn't saying it like sarcastically; he really meant it. Sure, sure. And uh, uh, but then on the negative side, when I talked about how we called up Prahlad Friedman's number on this on this show, uh, and yeah. we reached we reached his ex-wife, and by this we determined who got the house. Uh, he didn't like that and criticized it, saying, "What says so, so you're?" Uh, uh, you're using your show to, to to bother some poor guy who's getting a divorce now, and so I responded. I'm like, he's not some poor guy getting a divorce. He's some he's a guy who sold out all these morals he claimed to have in order to get paid by UB and lie about them being owned by someone else. So here you have its biggest victim claiming that uh, UB is okay and is being run by new people now, and people believe him because he was the biggest victim. And I thought that was terrible, and it, it led people to deposit there falsely believing it was safe. So I think someone like that, a harmless prank call one time on a radio show, isn't a terrible thing. I, I said I wouldn't have pranked someone uh, who otherwise is innocent and, and hassled them about their divorce. I said, for example, if Greg Raymer was getting a divorce, I wouldn't be pranking him to find out you know, who got the house. I would think that would be kind of mean. But uh, right. but but Prahlad at least deserved that, is what I said. And he didn't respond. But uh, so those are my two recent reactions with with uh, Harala Bob. But uh, you know, in general, I, th- I think he's a very smart guy and is very. Uh, uh, usually, his commentary is uh, very on the ball and, and makes a lot of sense when he posts on two plus two. His his name on there is Coltrane Dog. So. Right. The, the the thing I'm I'm really curious is if he's making all this money. I wondered where he's unloading his bets at. I've wondered that too. I, I have a feeling he's using runners and just doesn't want to talk about it. It, it has to be because if he's, I, I mean, I know guys that do a pretty good living, but I mean, if he's making that amount of money, that's. I'm not trying to say it's Billy Walters' money, but if he's making, he's probably making what four million a year. If he would take three million, he's probably making four or more. He's got to be unloading a ton of games. You know, every night. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't know if he's making that much anymore. I think he was making that at his peak, but uh, but he's yeah. I think he has a lot of runners, and it probably wasn't that hard to find them being in poker. He just has to find people he can trust and aren't going to scam him. Uh, so, right. but uh, you know, it's funny because I saw um, another poker player at at the first Dodgers game I went to in the playoffs. Uh, uh, Danny Fuchs. I saw him, uh, or Danny Fuchs, whatever his name is. Uh, I saw him like a, like four rows up from me, directly ahead of mm-hmm. me. I think I, I got I got into my head. There's always going to be poker players sitting ahead of me at Dodgers playoff games. So I thought I saw Haralabob sitting like six rows ahead of me at the NLCS game I went to. 
And it turned out it was a lookalike. When the guy came closer to me, it was definitely not him. But at first, I was like huh. pretty sure it was Ralabob. Like, I can't believe this another poker pro like right in front of me. And I was like, I was actually going to go up to him and say, you know, we've never met before, but like I would have introduced myself to him. But um, no, it wasn't him. I would have looked like a fool if I did that. But uh, right. I think the Dodgers needed me at their playoff games because they were two and zero in the games I went to and had a losing record in the games I didn't go to in the playoffs. Hmm. So. That's uh, something that the Dodgers to think about. They should give me free season tickets. So uh, something for me to think about here is ending the show after five hours plus on the air, which I think I'll do. So I'd like to All thank right. Lawn Cigar for staying the whole time. I mean, this is your first stint co-hosting this show. I felt you did a good job and added a lot of good information. And uh, I'll yeah. say you're, the connection I had the second time I called you was a lot better than the first time. You you kind of had like a shoddy connection the first time, and it was kind of like I moved to the uh, to the upstairs secret location. What was that of a secret location? I moved to the upstairs secret location. Oh, you moved to an upstairs secret location. Okay, maybe that's what helped. But yeah, it's a lot better now. And uh, you're welcome to come back anytime. I know we've talked about it a long time prior to this about you co-hosting with me and. Uh, even you having a, a different show on here, me co-hosting with you, but just never happened. But I'm glad it finally did happen. I know some people were looking forward to having you as a co-host here, and you ended up on just the the monster long show, which I, I just knew when I I just watched these stories unfold. I'm like, oh, I got to talk about that this week. I got to talk about this this week. I'm like, damn it, there's a lot to talk about this week. And then I post right. nine topics, and people suggest four more. I'm like, oh my goodness. And then and then and then I hear that. Uh, Sarah Albright wants to call in. I go, well, i got to take that call. Like I'm like, oh, my God, this is never going to end. So Eric Ryland loses his heads-up match. <laughs> yeah, Eric Ryland is uh, saying, I'm sending you $20 because I'm going to win the heads-up match, and then he loses. I mean, you you got to not do things like that. It's like jinxing yourself. you got you got to just like not say anything about how you're going to win in, until you win. And uh, I think Eric learned that hard lesson today on uh, the Poker Fraud Alert. No Fraud Online Poker Room. Congratulations to Vegas Jim for being the winner of our Poker Fraud Alert Heads Up Tournament. So, we will be back next week. First show of November. This is actually ending on October 30th. I can't believe it. So, uh, First show of November, which will be in, I guess, technically six days, on Tuesday at 7 o'clock Pacific Time. Todd Dandruff would tell us here, and uh, Lon Cigar, thank you for listening, whether live or in the archives. We always appreciate our listeners. Good night and shalom.